You know, back when I was in the academy, we would follow every toast with a song. interesting twist it was a song here actually by brent spiner and patrick stewart from star trek the next generation now they didn't actually do this song this was a mix-up that was done about three and a half years ago by someone on youtube seven million views it went viral and i found it only recently and i thought this is something different we're going to play this as the opening for the show welcome to poker fraud alert radio i am todd dandruff with tell us your host this is being broadcast live and recorded live on February 23rd, 2020. The time right now, 9.19 p.m. I bet you know what I'm going to say next. We have a free roll tonight, a free roll, which is uh, $65 just like last week. In fact, it's a very, very similar free roll to last week. Same total prize pool, same payout structure. 
really everything's the same. In fact, it's even at the same time. It's just on a different day of the week because last week we broadcasted on Sunday or Monday night. This week we are broadcasting on Sunday night. But other than that, it's the same free roll uh, and even some of the same donors. <laughs> so very, very similar. If you like last week, you will like this week. It is 33 for first, 20 for second, 12 for third on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen. Make sure that you go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll at least once and read the rules so you understand the qualification requirements to win the free money. And you also have to you have to have a validated account on the poker room. And remember, the poker room has a different login and password than you have for the forum and for mainpokerfraudalert.com. So don't try that account over there, or it will not work. You need a separate account there. The good news is that uh, once you're validated on each one, then you never have to go through that process again. So that starts at 9.35. Actually, has not begun yet for once we're actually starting the show before the free roll starts. And you have all the way till 10 p.m. Pacific time to get in there. It actually says Pacific Daylight Time in the thread. I must have mistyped that. It's really Pacific Standard Time. We're not at Daylight Time now for another two weeks or so that will be coming back. 33 for first, 20 for second, 12 for third. Anonymous, the same anonymous person who gave the $50 last week, has given another 50 for this week. I split their $100 donation between the two weeks. And Eric Benzmokin gave me $100 a while ago. I already used 50. We're just throwing in another 15 from that. That leaves 35 for the future. Thank you to him, as always. And by the way, he contributed some information I'll be giving you later in the show about a certain legal matter. I bet you can guess which one that is. So we'll talk about that. I always appreciate feedback from him. By the way, we actually had feedback from two attorneys, from Eric and another attorney who I won't name because I'm not sure if he wants to name, but we actually have a number of attorneys listening to this show. I think uh, that's the profession that, uh, aside from poker player, that's the profession that I believe is represented the most as far as listeners of this show. For some reason, we get a lot of attorneys here. So I, I thank them for their expertise, and they tell me things that I don't know. Sometimes I think I know a lot about uh, legal matters and the law. I, I think of myself as like a poor man's lawyer without the law degree. But uh, then I'm proven wrong when, when I do these segments, and I go, what is this? What does this mean? And then they, they always help me out, and I thank them for that. So uh, I will present all that later in the show. If you want to call the show, same phone numbers as always, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808 is a separate number into the show, the Mount Charleston line. And just make sure to show your caller ID no matter which number you call or you will not get through. If you want to text the show... You can text our main number, 775-372-8355. I will respond to you, whether it's before, after, or during the show. You can text me anytime. That is a way to reach me by text at any time that you have something to say. And don't be shy. You can just say hello that you're a listener and I've never heard from you before and whatever. Uh, you're even welcome to give me constructive criticism. If you don't like certain things on the show, you'd like to see some things that are different, I won't be insulted unless you come to me in an insulting manner. But uh, otherwise, I will be very grateful that you're providing such feedback. So don't be afraid to do that. I'm always trying to make the show better, and I'm always trying to listen to what people have to say about it. And I kind of use that feedback along with my own assessment. So I'm not going to change everything just because you tell me to. But if I get enough people saying the same thing, then I'll say, hey, you know what? 
they're right and I'm wrong and I will change it. I do this show for the listeners, not just to hear myself talk. The call to listen line is a way to listen to the show that requires no smartphone, no data plan, no computer. You do not have to have the internet, and most importantly, it never buffers, never freezes. If you start listening on it, you will keep listening on it with no interruption whatsoever. And that's something you can't say about just about any streamed show that exists anywhere nowadays. How many shows can you listen to and be sure that you're not going to have buffering or pauses? Poker Fraud Alert is one of the few. We have a no-buffer guarantee. It's just a simple phone number you call and listen from any phone that can dial. 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, or the alternate number at 641-741-1095. Are these tough numbers to remember? Yes, they are. Do I expect you to memorize them? No, I don't. Just go to the radio tab near the top of PokerFraudAlert.com, and they are all listed right there. Every number I've given out on the show is listed right there in case you forget them. An important reminder, though, if you want to use the call to listen line, call the call to listen line or the alternate. Do not call the main number to the show. Do not call the Mount Charleston line. Those are not listen lines. Those will not work. I always have people trying to call those lines, trying to listen to the show, and that will not work. So that's just something to keep in mind. I, I understand we have a lot of phone numbers, and it's confusing. We probably have like more phone numbers that we give out than any show out there. If you can find a show that gives out more numbers in, in, to reach them in some way than this one, actually, I do know of one. I do know of one. It's not a poker show. I just thought of one that I think has even more numbers than I do. But uh, we have a lot of numbers. There's even a, a second alternate call to listen line I'm not even giving out because I it's enough. Four numbers associated with the show is enough. But if you forget them, just go to the radio tab. They are listed right up there for you. And the free roll, remember, I can pay you – in many ways, I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, or even one other method, a method that is used to pay for things online, especially auction-type things. I can pay you that way. Just PM me, Dan Space Druff, on the forum, or email me, Dan Druff, at PokerFraudAlert.com, or text me, 775-372-8355, after you win. I prefer the PM on the forum, by the way, but you can do it the other ways if necessary. And I will pay you... No guarantee it'll be fast payment. It may take a few weeks. That does happen sometimes. But there will be a payment, okay? That that I can promise you. And I keep track of all the payments. You can see them so you can tell exactly who got paid and who didn't get paid so you can be sure that I am not pocketing unclaimed money, that you know it's not a, a secret form of income, that I'm not pretending to, t- to run this show at a loss, which I am. I am running the site at a loss every year. And I'm not expecting you to feel sorry for me for running the show at a loss, but I'm just saying that uh, that's not a, a secret way I'm funneling money to myself. You can now see every single prize given away in the free roll and who it's going to and whether they've been paid or not. And if they don't claim the money, then we eventually re-give it away. So everything is right up there in black and white for you to read in case you're curious. We have a chat room. Remember, there's a chat room. If you're listening live, go in the chat room. You need a flash-enabled device. No iPhones or iPads will not work. You need a... Poker Fraud Alert Forum account in good standing to get in and chat. And if you're not listening live, don't bother because there will be nobody in there. But if you are listening live, then you can chat with the other members. And I will even read the chat room uh, occasionally during the show and comment on things. So the chat room is available for you. And I will find Trader Ruski now and connect him. And uh, then we'll give you the agenda for tonight, which is a lot of topics, more, much more than I expected. It's only been six days. I thought maybe we'll have a, a short agenda. 
And then I went through everything. I got, no, we actually have a pretty long agenda. Who knew? It just kind of felt like a short agenda week. It had only been six days. I couldn't think off the top of my head of, of many stories that jumped out at me to talk about. But no, actually, yes, <laughs> there's stuff to talk about. A lot of things to talk about. What's happening, Drop? Trey Daruski, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So, uh, by the way, people, it's, right now it is scheduled for another six-day show, six days from now, the final day of February, the 29th of February, that you won't see again until 2024. Basically, if it's not an election year in the U.S., you will not see the 29th of February. But uh, and I also give you another little piece of information about the 29th of February. I was almost born on the 29th of February. I was not. That's not my birthday, but it easily could have been. Because I was born in 1972, in early 72. And I was born around the right time for that to happen. It just did not. So I I could be turning 12 this February 29th, but I am not. I will be turning 48 this year. Okay, so uh, here's the agenda tonight, and then we will get going. A lot of different things to talk about. I don't anticipate any one topic taking a really long time, which is good because we have a lot of topics. Poker Fraud Alert hats are going to be ordered again. I will give you some details about that and how you can get one for free. Yes, for free. I'm not selling them. I'm giving them away. They don't exist yet, but they will soon. Phil Galfond appeared on Chicago Joey's show, and he was asked several questions that came from, guess who? Me. Yes, I submitted questions to Chicago Joey. And he asked several of them, and in fact, I even saw him kind of like reading the list kind of to himself, and he didn't realize he was saying it out loud. He actually had my list in front of him as he was questioning uh, Phil Galfons. I thought that was funny that my list was kind of used as a guide for the interview. So I will play you some clips from the interview. I'm not going to play the whole thing. If you want to hear the whole thing or watch the whole thing, you can go to Chicago Joey's channel. But we will be commenting on that tonight, especially since some of the questions came from me. A Poker Fraud Alert exclusive, are the drawings rigged at Wendover, Nevada casinos? Wendover is in northeast Nevada. It's in the Salt Lake City market. It's about 120 miles from Salt Lake City and not close to anything else. But uh, a listener to this show, I Am Greek, suspects that they have rigged the drawing for one of their higher rollers. And uh, not only am I going to discuss my feelings on that, but we're going to just call them. Dwight Thornwood is going to call, and he's going to get to the bottom of this because uh, Dwight Thornwood is going to be quite unhappy that he did not win any prizes, and he, he heard the same name being called over and over. And you you can imagine how that sat with him after he, he brought his hard-earned cash over there. He works hard for his money there. And Dwight was not happy one bit. So Dwight's going to call up Wendover, Nevada, and speak to them about this matter. Danielle Burreal. Have you heard of that name before? Probably not, but... She is the new head of WSOP.com. But who is she? I will tell you some things about Danielle Burreal, and we'll discuss whether we can expect any changes with Danielle in charge versus the unfortunate Bill Reaney era that we have exited from as of last year. Matt Glantz on Twitter pointed something out when Doug Polk mentioned that he was in New Orleans and he was loving New Orleans Matt Glantz mentioned that, of all things, he has a gay friend in New Orleans who saw Doug at a New Orleans gay bar. Yes. I'll tell you about this sordid story 
And I will tell you about the reaction I got on the forum when I brought this to everyone's attention. May not be what you think. Well, Dan Druff has been murdered. He has been. Dan Druff is the first murder victim at the Mystery Murder Dinner Theater show at the D in downtown Las Vegas. Seriously, if you go watch that show, the first murder victim is a fictional Dan Druff. So is this some sort of message to me? Is someone trying to put it out there that they want me killed? They want me murdered? Is someone having a fantasy of me getting murdered in Las Vegas and wrote this into a show in Vegas? We're going to talk about this show and we're going to try to figure this out. Is this a coincidence that they chose the name Dan Druff? And it actually is Dan Space Druff. It's exactly like I use online. Is it a coincidence that Dan Druff in Las Vegas is getting murdered in this show? Or is this something aimed at me? And I'm going to tell you how to find the description of the show and even how to go watch the show if you want to go do that. A Hold'em player with quad nines, and I say a Hold'em player because it's it's a lot harder to get quads in Hold'em than it is in something like Omaha or especially Big O. But a Hold'em player with quad nines with a pocket pair quad nines, you would expect him to win the hand, wouldn't you? I in my I've never lost with quads in my life. I will say I have beaten quads twice, but I have never lost with quads. Every time I've had quads in my life, I've won. But this quad nines didn't only lose. It actually came in third. And even more amazing, all three players used both whole cards. So it wasn't some stupid thing where each player has a one card straight flush, one the top end, one the bottom end, and then the guy with quads loses. No, it's, it's much worse than that. Probably the most unusual hand in poker I've ever seen dealt. I didn't personally see it, but I do have a picture of it, and we'll talk about that hand. Well, there's details that have come out of a breach that has allowed 10.6 million MGM hotel guest information uh, posted to a hacking forum. So we'll talk about that and what you can do to protect yourself, if anything. I have an update on Mark Klang. We talked about him last week, the degenerate we had on the show about three years ago. I talked about how he... Posted on Twitter that he had $5 million at one point and blew it all, and now is broke and living at home with his parents. It's even worse. There may be a criminal matter that could put him in prison. So we'll talk about what's going on with Mark Klang. And this is information he put out. These are not rumors or guesses about him. Unless he's lying, I guess. But uh, he hasn't really been known to lie. He just... He lives a very degenerate lifestyle and not always in a good way. This is the one-stop... Shop for updates on Ray Davis and his trial for uh, allegedly sexually uh, assaulting a minor. And this has been going on for a while now. And really no other outlet in poker is giving these updates. But uh, I have another update this week and some legal clarifications from two different attorneys who listen to this show. One being Eric Benzamoka and the other being a second attorney I will not name. So I have some more information for you if you're curious about that case. Aquafina is water I drink during this show a lot of times. Not always Aquafina, but often I'm drinking Aquafina during this show. So we're going to talk about that. No, that's actually not what we're going to talk about. Aquafina is also a, an Asian female comedian who is going to be playing a non-comic role 
as Phil Ivey's edge sorting partner. They're actually making a movie about Phil Ivey, his edge sorting in Baccarat, and the lawsuits that followed. So we're going to talk about that movie and whether Aquafina was the right choice. Massachusetts has a state rep who is in hot water. He was arrested for using campaign funds to, what do you think? Yes, to gamble, both live and online. I will tell you about that scandal. Another scandal, MoPlay, not MorePlay, but MoPlay, M-O-P-L-A-Y, is a betting firm in the UK. You could do sports betting there. You could do casino betting or casino gambling. There's no poker as far as I know. Licensed and regulated in the UK should be pretty safe, right? Apparently not. They are insolvent, and they're not going to pay anyone. Your money is gone, despite the fact that they were licensed and regulated. So we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about whether licensing and regulation of gambling sites is useful at all, or if it's just adding an additional layer of red tape, and if maybe it's better if they're unregulated. So we'll discuss whether regulation or no regulation is better. This is not something that's agreed upon universally. I've had these discussions with people on the forum before, and there's some people who don't agree with my take on it. So we're going to talk about the MoPlay thing, and also, if this happens, what's the point of regulation? Well, Omaha, I think most of you know how to play Omaha, but in case you don't, Omaha is like Hold'em, except you got you get dealt four cards instead of two, and you have to use two cards. In Hold'em, you can use zero, one, or two whole cards to make a hand. So like if there's a straight on a board, you, you can use zero whole cards and make a straight. You can use one whole card. You can use both whole cards. In Omaha, you have to use two of the four cards. You can't use one or zero. You can't use three or four. You have to use two of the four cards in your hand and then make the best five-card hand with the five-card board, just like in Hold'em. So... Then, another game spawned called Big O. Big O is a pot limit version of Omaha, but it has an additional card. It's a five-card Omaha with the exact same rules. And it's also played high-low. Well, PokerStars has kicked it up another notch, and they have now a six-card Omaha. So we're going to talk about six-card Omaha. I don't know if it really has a name. It doesn't have a catchy name as far as I know, like Big O, but... Is six-card Omaha just a stupid carnival game, or is this something that will eventually catch on as Big O has? And is there much skill in six-card Omaha? We will talk about this weird six-card Omaha as our second-to-last topic. And finally, Harris Resort, Southern California, also known as Harris Rincon, has removed the last 99% or better pay machine in video poker. They had one up until February 2020. It is now gone. I believe it was taken out earlier this month. So I will tell you about that and what to do if you want to earn tier credits or if you want to play video poker in the southwest area of the United States. You will see that Arizona sucks. I'm talking about for Caesars. That Las Vegas sucks. And now Southern California sucks as well. So I'll tell you where you can still go. And we'll talk about the future of Harris Rincon and why that may have happened. So those, those are our topics tonight. A lot to talk about. Took a while just to name them all. Okay, we're, we're going to uh, begin here. I'm going to tell you about hats really quickly. Uh, I have not made the hats yet. 
Uh, I'm thinking the hats are going to be identical to the hats we had before. Those seem to be popular. And also, I don't feel like uh, making a new design, which I would be bad at, or soliciting others to make a new design, which most other people are bad at. So I think we're just going to stick with what we have. Uh, we just don't have hats anymore. We made them in 2013, I believe. Is, is that one Trader Ruski? Is that when we did this? I, I think uh, you, you were involved, sounds, too. That sounds right. Yeah. And, and they were given out uh, in various ways. They were mailed to people. They were given away at the World Series, and I, I gave them away, and then... I mostly ran out. When I say mostly, I, I kept some for myself in case I lose or damage the hats. I don't want to be left without a poker fraud alert hat myself. So when people ask me, do you have hats anymore? The answer is no, or at least none for you, or none for anyone besides me at this point. So I realize it's been about seven years. It's time for hats again, especially because we've had people who have found poker fraud alert in the past seven years that weren't even here to get those hats back in 2013. In fact, the site itself is only eight years old. We're about to come upon our eight-year anniversary at the beginning of March. So I said, okay, it's time for some new hats. But just like last time, I am going to dig deep into my Jew wallet and I am going to purchase these hats and I am not going to charge you guys a penny for it. So the cost of the hat, if you qualify for one, will be... Zero point zero. But wait, maybe I will charge you for shipping. Maybe I'm going to charge to ship it to you, especially if you're in another country. So that is the way I'm going to get you. I'm going to charge you for shipping the amount of... Zero point zero. Okay, so no, maybe, maybe at least I will charge you for handling. Zero point zero. Yeah, they're completely free. Whatever way you get them, they're free. If I hand them to you in person, they are free. If I mail them to you in the U.S., they're free. If I mail them to you in another country, they're free. So you'll get a free hat, but you have to qualify for the free hat, and it's in order of preference. And I haven't decided how many we're making yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to guess the right amount. I'm just going to pick a number out of my ass recently. Just, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wing it. I'm, I'm going to not overdo it, but not going to underdo it. I'm just going to try to figure out my best guess how many hats I should order and then order that. I'll order them in a few colors like last time. Uh, uh, I think I'll get blue and black, and then maybe we'll get like a few pink in case women want them in pink. But um, this is the priority for getting hats. Priority one, anyone who has donated a total of $50 or more to Poker Fraud Alert contests or free rolls, or anyone who has regularly co-hosted a show with me. I don't mean someone who's come on once or twice, but someone who has uh, been on several times as a co-host. Not as a caller, but as a co-host. So those two are both priority one. These people 100% will get a hat, no matter how few I order. And it won't be few. I'm going to order a good number of them to where those who are priority one will get them for sure. So this includes, again, those who have donated $50 total, which means if you did, you've, you donated $10 five times, you're good. And this is for the lifetime of the site. So $50 total that you've donated uh, will get it for you, as will the uh, as will anyone who's co-hosted the show with me a number of times, as will anybody who's done me any kind of uh, real-life favor that is uh, something sizable, uh, such as a favor that would be probably worth $50 or more. A- anyone like that will get the hat for sure. They're priority one. Priority two. Active forum posters who did not get one last time. So if you do not have a Poker Fraud Alert hat because you were never sent one, 
And you're an active forum poster. That is someone who I will recognize on the forum as a poster who's there fairly often. That would be every day, but someone that is actively part of the forum, then that will be priority two. Priority three, radio listeners who didn't get one last time. So again, um, this is for people who didn't get one back in 2013 and are radio listeners but not forum posters. I know what you might be saying. Why are we, the radio listeners, below those of the forum if we are the ones who are nice to you for the most part and the forum people troll you? Why are you giving this to the trolls? Well, it might be because I'm a masochist. It also might be because the forum posters, remember, I'm noticing, notice these are active forum posters. These are people who put in a lot of time to contributing content to Poker Fraud Alert. And radio listeners, while I'm happy to have all of you, uh, you don't contribute content, you listen, which is I, I'm happy about, and that's why I'm sending you a hat, but uh, a little bit below the people who are actively posting on the forum. But notice you are above the inactive posters of the forum. So people who post occasionally, you as a radio listener will actually have priority over them. So d- don't worry, I'm, I'm giving you priority over forum people, just not the active forum people. I'm trying. I'm doing this, as you can tell, in what I feel is the most valuable to Poker Fraud Alert. So the people who were very generous with their time and uh, and or money, or to me personally, I think are most deserving of the hats I'm paying for. The people who post on the forum, which they're really doing for their own amusement, but also happen to contribute to the site at the same time by doing so, I think are second most useful. The people who listen and make up a radio audience, I think are third most useful. The people who show up occasionally on the forum and post are fourth most useful. And then fifth is uh, everybody else. And by the way, when I say uh, the inactive posters, you also have to be one who didn't get one last time. So everyone else is fifth priority. So even if you're an active poster, but you got one last time, you're probably fifth priority, unless you can really convince me that you deserve one because you lost yours or whatever. But I really want people to get them who don't already have them. I don't want people just collecting them because they're the same hats. Like it's it's probably going to be the same hat. So the the goal is to have as many people who listen to the show and post on the forum have one hat. And I'll give them away until I feel that I've run out. I am going to save some for the World Series of Poker. So if you see me at the World Series of Poker and you don't have a hat yet, if you just see me walking around, just come up to me. And if I have a backpack on, that means I probably have hats with me. You can ask for a hat. Even if I don't have a backpack on, the backpack may be on my chair at an event. Usually I, I take it when I go somewhere because I just I'm paranoid someone will steal it. But if I especially if I have a backpack on, there's a good chance that I have a hat with me because I'm going to save some hats to bring to the World Series and just carry them around all the time. I don't care if I'm at a final table, I'll probably bring that backpack with the hats there to give away. So you just ask me, I'll hand it to you. You don't have to feel shy. And it doesn't matter what priority you are at that point. If you just see me and you know I have hats, I will give one to you. Uh, and, of course, it's first come, first served. And once I run out, then that's that. And uh, if there's still a large demand at that point, then I may order more. If I think there's only a few people who didn't get them, then you'll have to wait till next time, probably in the year 2027. So get them while they last. You don't have to claim them right now. You might as well wait until I actually order and receive them, and then we will start the process. Don't worry about getting shut out if you're priority one or two and you're not fast enough responding. It's not going to be like a super quick process. It's not like if you don't respond on the first day I announce it, you're screwed. I'm going to give everybody time who's in the upper priority levels to let me know and get the hat ahead of others who are a little bit lower 
But I'm gonna. My goal is to get everybody hats who wants them. So I'm really just trying to make a guess at how many are going to be wanted, and then order that many. So this way, I don't have to turn anybody away. And of course, I appreciate it if you wear the hats uh, when you're at poker venues, such as uh, playing live or at the World Series or whatever. I used to be skeptical that maybe this doesn't get anyone, but I have heard from people who have found the show or the site or the forum, whatever, from looking at someone else's hat and either asking them about it or just going to Poker Fraud Alert and finding what it was. We had that guy from Australia on last week who said that's how he found it. He saw me walking through the halls of the Rio. He had no clue who I was. He had no clue what that was about. He said, oh, Poker Fraud Alert, what is that? And he went and looked it up, and he found the show and goes, oh, I like this show. So that's why he's listening now. You don't have to wear the hat. You can you can stuff it in the back of your closet and keep it as a souvenir and uh, pass it on to your kids and grandkids one day. You can do that. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do with it. I would appreciate it if it got some exposure. But I won't be mad. Like, if I see you at the World Series, you don't have the hat on. I'm not going to say, where's my, where's my hat? Where is the Poker Fraud Alert hat? You are required to wear this hat. I'm not going to do that. You can do what you want with it. You can even drop it in the trash. If I give it to you and you, you want to light it on fire, you want to drop it in the trash... You want to use it as target practice for your rifle? You can do that. I'm not one to tell you what you can do with your property. And once I send it to you, it is your property. So that's the hat situation. Again, don't claim it right now because I have not ordered them yet. Just wait for the announcement. I will make it both on the forum and the radio show. And then you can get a hat. This should be coming fairly soon. It'll definitely be done well in advance of the World Series, which begins in about three months. Now we're going to get to our first real topic. Our first real topic is Phil Galfond. Phil Galfond appeared on Chicago Joey's show to talk about the beatdown he took in his match so far against Venny Vidi. He's down almost a million dollars, and he appeared for about an hour and a half with Chicago Joey on Joey's YouTube channel and discussed the whole thing. Now, when I saw this was announced, I, I have a good relationship with Chicago Joey. He even appeared on this show as a guest in November, and we talked to him for about two hours. So I figured, okay, I have some questions I want to ask Phil, and I know that Phil is not going to answer me because Phil thinks I'm too critical. Phil thinks I'm kind of a jerk. That's He hasn't told me that. He, he will never say that to me, but I think he believes I'm a jerk. I think he believes that I'm too negative, I'm too critical, that I want him to fail. In fact, he, he thinks – that I hate him, I believe, and I don't. Some some other people think I hate him, and I don't. I, if I hated him, I'd say so. I don't even dislike him. I'm not uh, a Phil fan or Phil lover, but I, I'm not a Phil hater either. I'm, I'm really very neutral on Phil Galfond. I, so I, I'm not rooting for him to succeed or for him to fail. But recently he has failed, and that's a fact. And I'm fascinated by the whole Galfond challenge and, by extension, the struggles of the Run at Once poker site. So it, I'm, I'm covering all this from an angle of fascination, not an angle of gloating or trying to rub his face in recent failures. And I, some people don't believe me, but that's the truth. It's just news. It's something I find personally interesting. But anyway, I knew he's not going to respond to questions I will ask. Because he, he hasn't responded to questions I've asked in a long time. Also because I ask the tough questions. I ask questions that are not easy to worm your way out of or to give a BS answer that sounds good but doesn't answer anything. I I tend to ask pretty pointed questions. So he doesn't like answering those. Chicago Joey uh, has been on good terms with Phil for a long time. So he appeared on his show and I said, well, maybe I can ask the questions through Joey. 
So I asked Joey, can I send some sample questions? He said yes. And others asked that as well after I did, and he said yes. So he got questions from a number of people, but it appears that he was kind of using a lot of my questions as a guide. And I'll show you late in the show where he accidentally reads something out loud he didn't mean to, and it's actually exactly the wording I sent him. So Chicago Joey actually had my list of questions in front of him and was asking a number of them. At first I got confused. Joey, at first I thought he said he's going to ask two of my questions. It turned out he said he's going to ask all but two of my questions. I don't know if he ended up asking that many, but it really was uh, a lot of the interview was guided by my questions, which is great. I, I, in fact, I even told Joey, you don't have to give me credit. I just want these asked. You don't have to mention my name. You don't have to give me credit. Well, he did. He did give me credit. He did mention I was one of the people who sent in the questions. He even mentioned Poker Fraud Alert, which I appreciate. So, uh, I, But I told him. I said, I'm not looking for credit here. Just ask him. Whatever, whatever way you want to. You want to give me credit? Fine. You don't? Fine. I just would like these asked, or at least some of them asked. And it's your show. You can decide, of course, but these, that, that's what I'd like to see personally. So he did. And I'm going to play you some clips of it. No, I'm not going to play an hour and a half of it. No, I'm not going to play most of the hour and a half. If you want that, then go watch the program. In fact, you can actually see them talking back and forth on Skype video rather than with me. I'm just going to play the audio. Not that the video is very exciting. It's just them talking back and forth. So I'll play you some things that I considered kind of highlights of it, and then you can go listen if you're interested. Of course, I will comment. I will stop and comment every so often as I play it. And the first portion I'm going to play you here is when Joey brings up that People he knows are concerned about Phil, given that Phil has shot off a million dollars already without even having completed the match against his first opponent. I mean, people are really, they're really concerned about you out here, brother. I mean, so we've seen the notes, right? We've read the notes. You're putting the notes on, on Twitter, kind of giving people a little insight into your feelings. And obviously there's been a lot of thoughts about that from the community. So tell the people, you know, how are you feeling right now at this point of the challenge with all eyes on you, the pressure on you to perform? What's going through your mind right now, brother? After a couple of days off as well, too. You know, I've spent like, I've spent the last, I don't know how long it's been, a week, a little less. Uh, I haven't really been thinking about it too much. So I think um, if I force myself to think about it, you know, I still have some negative feelings uh, associated with how it's gone, of course. Um, and, you know, I still have to decide if I want to continue this first challenge or uh, throw in the towel and move on to the next. Um, I- I'm planning over the next few days to kind of dig back into focusing on the challenge and reviewing hands and seeing, you know, how he's playing, how I'm playing um, to kind of help me make that decision. Um, but right now, I don't know. I feel, you know, uh, definitely like emotionally recovered, but there's still the issue of, you know, losing to this guy every day. Is it a, is a good idea to keep playing him? Uh, so, so that's something I have to decide, but, but I, I feel fine. So right now where we stand, you took a break. There were six challenge days left after your last announcement. You agreed to pay a 3000 euro a day penalty which comes out to whatever exactly that conversion is. I haven't done the conversion. I'm just going with USD in this challenge. I'm making it easy. I don't want to sure. confuse all my American audience out there with the whole entire Euro Euro dollar. They're not going to know what's happening. So yeah. we're, we're saying down 18,000 United States dollars is what you're paying right now. And a, the big question people have is why not just say, you know what? 
This first match is done. You win the $200,000 side bet. Let's move on to the next one. Before we continue here, there's one thing that annoyed me about this video is that Joey was kind of treating his viewers like idiots. It's not that difficult to convert. It's about 1.1 to 1, a little bit more. I think like a dollar twelve to 1 as far as the euro to the dollar. But but Joey is obsessed the whole interview with calling it USD, US dollars, which it isn't. It's euro. And you can say euro, and you can just quickly tell your listeners they're close to dollars, but a, but a euro is worth a little bit more. So whatever we're talking about, just multiply by uh, 1.1 or add 10%. And I think, honestly, Joey's viewers are intelligent enough to figure that out. Uh, like, Joey did these fairly complicated videos about Mike Postle and did a great job analyzing that. And I think his viewers appreciated it, and most of them understood it. So I don't see how Joey can expect people to understand all the possible stuff, some of which is kind of complicated, but they can't convert uh, USD to Euro, especially if he gives the conversion of uh, 1.1. So it, it's funny, at one point he even admonishes Galfon later in the show to not talk about Euro. And it doesn't seem like a joke. He's, he's just obsessed with calling it dollars, which is a little bit weird. Other than that, I felt Joey did a good job with this, but the, the obsession with the Euro versus the dollars was weird. It was It was kind of irritating me, and now I've got to tell you guys about it. Okay, let's hear Phil's response. Yeah, I almost uh, I almost did that. And actually, um, for a moment there, made the decision actually to quit the first challenge mm. and uh, started writing up the note post about quitting the challenge. And uh, while I was writing it, I was just like, I don't know if I'm ready to quit yet. And, um, and I realized I wasn't in the right mindset to, to decide. So obviously 18,000 in penalties is a lot to pay, especially if, you know, I might end up, uh, quitting the challenge anyways, but in the scheme of, you know, playing 100, 200 PLO, there's $200,000 at risk on the side bet. Um, it's not, it's more, it's pretty important to make the right decision which obviously I can never really know what the right decision is, but um, in, in the grand scheme of things, the 18000 uh, is not going to... I think it's a small price to pay to approach this, you know, uh, with a clear clear head and, uh, and make the best decision. And not just because I'm down 900000 but just even even if I weren't, just in the, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, 100, 200 is big. So a lot of people would say thinking about that, right? Well, we look at the results so far. We look at where Benny Vidi appears to be from a talent-wise, from a composure-wise, from a results-wise so far. They would say that, well, if this challenge continues to go on, why exactly will it be different here in the future? And obviously, I would say you are getting a couple weeks off here. Even though it's six challenge days, you did have an agreed-upon break in terms of where you're taking a trip with your family. So you agreed upon that time off. So it's not just the six days. It's actually about two weeks worth the time here that you're getting to clear your head. You can get to talk with people if you need to. You can get to work at your game. But a lot of people, and I might agree with this, might look at the results so far and say, well, it appears like Venny Vitti here has been pretty consistently working at his game now for a couple of years and has a pretty well-thought-out strategy. Is this enough time for you to close the gap in terms of what it appears to be so far? Um, it's not enough time to close the gap. If If I've been a significant underdog, then, you know, two weeks is not going to is not going to make much of a difference uh, in that. Um, so, like for me to even be considering it, uh, I need to ha- I need to think that 
that were at least close um, in uh, in skill level, which obviously like it doesn't it doesn't appear to the public to uh, to be the truth. And there, and you know like I don't uh, I don't want to like. I want everybody to believe what they want to believe. I'm definitely like when I say that I, that I think I, I definitely thought when we started like early on, I thought I had an edge. Um, as it went on, I became less certain. I still kind of thought I did um, towards the end there. I think I did not, uh, but in large part, cause I just wasn't, wasn't playing my best. And um, you know, the question is, do I think I can have an edge? That's the question I'm asking myself. And I think for everybody out there watching, seeing the results, you have to think, you know, absolutely no way, Phil. What are you, what are you even thinking? Well, yeah, that's exactly what I think, and that's what everybody's thinking, and that's what people aren't understanding here. I understand Phil thinks that he wants to take a break and not quite give up yet, not quite be done with this yet, and since he already had a vacation pre-planned that was allowed as far as this match was concerned, that... He thinks just taking off those six days, paying the 18,000 euro, notice I didn't say US dollars, but 18,000 euro, that that's a price that was worth it to him so he can still give himself all the way till March 1st to decide if he really wants to be done. And the problem is here that Phil has been under the delusion here that he might have an edge, he might be running bad. And yet there's so many people who've been watching this and have told him, Phil, we're watching, you're not running bad. You're just getting outplayed here. And that's a fact. And with so many people telling him this, and with the fact that it's believable, here we have a guy who's been playing his ass off for years at high stakes online on Poker Stars and elsewhere, and someone who's been studying the solvers probably, this this Venny Vitti guy, obviously an excellent player, and we have Phil who was once an excellent player, but hasn't played in a long time, heads up, and is not only probably rusty, but probably is not as good as those who have studied the solvers and really adapted to the ever-changing game that is Pot Limit Omaha. So I think it's time for Phil to say, all right, at the beginning I thought I could hang with these 2020 crushers, being a 2010 crusher, but okay, apparently I can't. Apparently I'm just getting outplayed, and that's fine. I can still be a very good player. Overall, even by 2020 standards, I can still be an excellent PLO player. I just can't beat the best. The best, they're just way above me already at this point, and I'm not going to catch up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing if I'm, I'm losing every flip. It's, it's one thing if I'm losing every all in. It, it's another thing if, uh, it just seems like I'm losing. And every, every day it just seems like he's losing. It just kind of has the appearance that one guy really has his number. And Phil does not have his number. So at that point, you, you just got to give up and move on. And uh, that's why people are scratching their heads going, well, that's, that's, we don't know what this time's going to buy you here. It, it, it should be pretty clear. It should be pretty clear from everything what's happening and to throw away another 18,000 euro just to give you a few more weeks to come to the conclusion, uh, that seems like a waste of money. But whatever, it's Phil's money. He can spend it how he wants. Um, but I think it, if I decide to continue the challenge, um, I mean, that should be... Uh, evidence enough that I that I believe uh, that I can compete uh, with him, and you know, it, I don't expect people to believe that I'm right. But I but I think like yeah, something I said in my last note uh, post on Twitter is, you know, some people seem to be upset that I have tried to like claim 
that I have an edge. And, and I, I'm just kind of sharing like, this is what I'm thinking about and, and what I'm considering. And, you know, I'm basing my assumptions on the way that we've each played and, and the hands that have shown down and things like that. Um, and there's a, you know, I think there's a chance I could be wrong, of course. And I think that the public should think there's a huge chance that I'm wrong. Uh, but it, it, you know, I, I still, I still am, I wouldn't say I'm confident, but, um, certainly more confident in myself than, than the viewers, uh, should be. Yeah, Phil, I mean, listen, you know, let me, let me, I talked about this yesterday in my video about Luke Short's recent comments, and I think it's just incredibly, I mean, disrespectful in a way from, from Luke to, and even a lot of other people to, to put it out there, say that, well, you know, the guy can't do it no more. The guy's not one of the, the best players, right? You've been proving yourself in the poker community at Nolan Holdem, Potlum and Omaha tournament poker on every level of the game now for what, over 10 years, right? So to say, to sit here and say like, you know, the guy can't, the guy's not good anymore at poker because you're losing a match 15 sessions in to, to one of the top PLO players right now in the entire world. I mean, I, I think it's a little ridiculous to make that statement, right? And people say, is the guy delusional, right? That's what I keep hearing. Is he in denial? Is he delusional? I mean, this is the kind of confidence that you need. And of course, this confidence gets you in trouble sometimes when you yeah. run bad, when you play bad, when you aren't better than the other person. And this is what makes poker beautiful is that everyone sort of has that confidence about themselves that they can beat anyone at any given time. And the reason why you've gotten to this point in your career, the reason why you've decided to start a business where you're starting a damn poker site is because you have that confidence in yourself, in your ability to get better, in your ability to perform when the pressure's on you. So it would be, you know, if, if you didn't have that right now, I, I would be a surprised. But at mm. the same time, we can obviously understand where people are coming from when they say, like, is this guy crazy? Like, is he looking at the results? Sure. Is he looking at the hands? So on one hand, we got we got that that idea, and I can understand. The other hand, we got where you're coming from, and ultimately, we don't really know where things stand right now, but as you said, to the public, right? All the public sees is the results, man. They see the results. They see this the anonymous European figure bashing down Phil Gaffan, and they say, like, man, clearly this dude's better. So what can you really do here moving forward if you choose to keep playing Vinny? That is going to give you a better chance. And if you get back into the match and you lose some money, at what point do we think about really pulling the plug for good? Yeah. No, good questions. I mean, I uh, look. I, I don't. Well, actually, so so Venny is on vacation coming up, but I've been uh, with family uh, most of the the last week too. So I don't think that like there's that I'm going to be spending more time on my game than he is during this break. Um, and I don't think that a gap can be closed that much, uh, with the exception of like clearing my head and not playing my C game. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's, there's not a lot that can be done in a couple weeks. Uh, I think maybe, maybe there's more for me than for him because he's been playing for, you know, years straight and I haven't been. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in, in terms of how long I've been working on my game in the last several years, a, a, a week or two is actually, a, you know, non-negligible amount of time. But no, there's, if he was, if he was much better than me, he's still going to be much better than me. Right. Uh, when we get back to it. <laughs> that sounds like all the reasons to quit. <laughs> These are good reasons. It sounds like Galfon understands, but then yet he's 
considering that he's going to return to it, which is crazy. Like he's he just named all the reasons why not to. He's been getting killed. Venny Vitti has been studying PLO very, very closely for the last few years, and Galfond has not. He said his entire study time on PLO in the last several years is less than a week. <laughs> I think every reason exists here. No matter how much Galfond studies in the next few weeks, it's not going to matter. It's not going to be enough to catch up if he really is behind in skill here. So he's got all the answers. Why not to? The only answer to continue is, well, maybe I was running bad which people are watching and saying is not true. And as far as, you know, when, like the decision whether or not to quit, there are really two major factors. Mm-hmm. One is, uh, you know, distance from even, because even being down this much, there's still like a, a, a fraction, a little bit of EV in the in not giving up the side bet. Like I'm an, I'm a big underdog to win the side bet, even if we play all 25,000 hands. And even if I'm the stronger player, um, which nobody should believe. Um, but uh, there's always the chance, like that's worth a little bit. So the further you get from, from, from like, from break even, um, the less that matters. And then of course, it's just like evaluating play and his play and my play. Mm-hmm. And it's tough because. You know, you can look at results. It's tough because results matter. Um, results matter, and looking at the way he plays hands, at the way I'm playing my hands, uh, also matter. And it's tough to decide how much to, like, how much weight to give to each because I look through the hands. I, I definitely catch myself making uh, mistakes, and and fewer kind of as it went on, but then more at the end. Hmm. Um, but I see him making mistakes too. And I still feel like like going through the hands and looking at the way each of us are playing, I, I still feel relatively confident. But then when you look at the results, um, obviously there are variants in results, but it makes it like, it, it shifts the probabilities of, of you know, hmm. what you think based on looking at the hands. Um, it, it's kind of like, you have to look at the results and say, well, how much do I trust my analysis of mm-hmm. the way we're each playing? How much do I trust my experience in judging myself versus other people? And uh, on the one hand, I have done it for a long time, but on the other hand, I haven't done it lately. Um, so yeah, that they're all factors, I think. So like, if I decide to continue, there's no magic number where like, if I lose... 400,000 more that's when I'm going to quit right or, you'll just kind of you you'll, know. you'll kind of feel it out and, and you'll you'll mm. and it's even possible like let's say that I come back and play more and I win 150,000 but then I change my mind about like who's better like and and like I maybe I win 150,000 but I'm like oh I just ran hot and he's outplaying me left and right and then no chance that happens that that's the most ridiculous thing that Phil says the entire time yeah, maybe I'll come back and I'll win 150k, and then I'll quit. I'll say no, I, I won 150k back off you, but you're the better player. That's very, very hard to say. It's very hard, even if it's totally true that he's running great. It's very, very hard to say when you're running well and beating the other guy that oh, he's actually better than me. And think about it. You guys are mostly poker players. How many times have you played an opponent and you're beating him? And have you thought, yeah, I'm beating him, but he's better than me. 
And and um, I don't mean like if if uh, if you've been getting clobbered, 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 and then you win a few hands in a row. I'm talking, and, and you may say, well, that's what's happening to Phil. Well, yeah, but Phil is coming back with the belief that he might be the better player. He's not just playing because of tilt or whatever. Like if he comes back, it would be because he believes he might be better. So if he does come back and he wins, you're telling me he's going to quit at that point? He's going to say, oh, no, no, I'm going to throw in the towel now that I'm starting to win again? There's no way. There is no way. The only way that would happen is if he, let's say he wins back 300,000 euro and then quickly loses back half of it, they may go, whoa, 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 here we go again. I'm just, now I'm on my way back down. It's depressing. But if he's on his way up, he's not quitting at that point. There's no way he's quitting while he's on an upswing against uh, Venny Vitti if he comes back. So I don't know why he says something like that. That's there's no chance that happens. And I just quit then. So it's it's not necessarily based on how much I win or lose. Um, it's it's kind of all the factors together. Okay, I think that make think that makes sense to a lot of people out there. I mean, we we've seen the interest in this challenge, right, Phil? And and uh, you know, right now we just got imagine six- uh, imagine what the interest would be if it was a close match with some <laughs> some oh, back and my, forth. I mean, you know what? I, I but I, I think you know I think about that too. Obviously. I'd like to see a little bit better of a, of a competitive yeah. match. I think we'd all like to see that. But at the same time, it's also very interesting. Now, I mean, we got 1,640 people watching on YouTube right now. We got more people watching on Twitch. The interest is there when, when we're I'm making the challenge videos, the recap videos. You're putting out the notes. You're talking about your feelings. I think the great the poor community, uh, I thought most people were appreciating the notes. Obviously, some maybe not appreciating the yeah, notes, yeah, right? I They're know. like, oh, my God, he's writing notes. I mean... How dare he talk about how he feels? I mean, yeah. listen, you know, right? You could talk about how you feel. And I do got to take a little partial uh, blame for that a little bit, right? Because I, I was telling you during the challenge, I go, Phil, you got to tell these people how you're feeling, buddy. Like, yeah, you're, you did. You're getting, you're getting, like, it's not going well. Like, let him, let's give him some insight. Let's give him into your mindset, right? Because I think that's what people really want to know. But if you're just playing on the stream, they don't know right. how you're feeling and doing. Like, they, you know, they might lose some interest. And I know one of our big goals for this challenge is to generate interest around what's happening with things, right? So you've been doing that. You've been putting yourself out there. You've been really getting deep into your mindset about how you deal with downswings and how you think about where you stand right now. And I guess let's talk about that, right? So you went into down, dealing with the downswings, but why don't you expand on that a little bit further? Again, your last note, you talked about when you had your winning day and then you had the hope was still there and then you had a, a really bad losing day and then the hope sort of started to fade away and, and the depression kind of set in when you just weren't running bad and things weren't going your way. Before we play that, I'm going to play that, and then we're going to jump to a different part. But, yeah, I, first of all, I don't believe there would be anywhere near the interest if this were an even match, if they were kind of going back and forth and kind of right around even right now. The fact that Phil is getting beat down is actually generating the most interest in this. Not just for me, but for everybody. If Phil was beating the other guy down, there would also be interest, but not quite as much as Phil, the name player in this whole thing, getting beat down on his own site. That is what is making people pay the most attention. May not be good for Phil, but that's that's what's making people really interested. If it's going back and forth, it's like, okay, whatever, two good players trading leads back and forth. Yeah, if you're a diehard poker fan or PLO fan, maybe, but other than that, it's quite boring. This is not boring because you're seeing Phil get beat so hard. So I don't think Phil understands that. Uh, but Joey's right about that Phil putting out these notes and explaining how he's feeling and how he's approaching the match. I, it's, that's all very interesting, and I think people do like reading that and getting it to his head so you can understand how he's feeling as this goes down. So Joey's right about that. 
Yeah. So, I mean, when we started out, right, the I was losing right away, but... Um, They're commenting I, on the jug, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I fe- but I felt pretty good. <laughs> I felt pretty good about how I was playing. Um, and a lot of my kind of... My emotional state was, for the first while, dictated, you know, on, on how well I thought I played uh, the, the day or days prior. Um, because, you know, when we've played 3,000 hands, there's still 22,000 hands left, and, like, the results at that point don't matter. And as we approach, like, now we're almost at 10,000 hands, now it's like, well... 10,000 hands down 45 buy-ins the uh, you know 15,000 hands isn't isn't uh isn't enough time to like yeah it, it like I'm like very likely to lose the challenge even if I were the stronger player by quite a bit um so part of that like that wears on you but really for the first while I was not deterred at all like I I was losing but it was just early there's so much challenge left not only is there so much challenge left but there's there are other challenges afterwards so um you know it's you always get give and get the advice of like it's just one long session you know you go into today and and don't worry about today's results because it's all one long session and and the kind of nice thing about a challenge like this where it's 25,000 hands 35,000 hands is you know when you start out every you can see that you're like yeah I played a thousand out of 35,000 hands or 25,000 hands it it's not that big a deal it is all one long session um so that helped me I think in the beginning quite a bit and I I really don't think I tilted for I don't know the first like 10 11 sessions it really wasn't until the last couple um and even like yes yeah, you mentioned the day that I that I lost like 260 some thousand and that was right after my my first real winning day right that was probably the the most I like the most frustrated that I felt like emotionally speaking I still think I played okay but um but that yeah that was the the most like eh, the 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 most emotional I felt while playing I guess I would say and then the next two days um are really like the my play the next two days are what made me start contemplating quitting and then end up making this decision um I wasn't uh I don't know how to describe it like I, I wasn't super emotional like feeling a lot in game I wasn't like getting heated but I was playing scared oh and i could tell that like i could tell that there were plays that i should have made that i didn't and um i was kind of just yeah i was i was used to running into big hands with kind of big hands and so i started to fear that that would happen uh, a lot more and it, it made me play worse and that happened for for a couple of days in a row i think and that's when i like i I don't, I, there was really only, like, I don't think getting, like, losing a pot and getting really upset and tilted in that respect, like, I don't, I don't really think that happens to me very often and it didn't happen much. But it was kind of like a, I don't know the, the term for it, but just like, just seeing, you know, I bet he raises, I fold, I bet he raises, I call and lose. Um, I jam river with the fourth nuts. He has a nuts. Mm-hmm. Like seeing that so many times, just it started to, I just started to expect it uh, too often. And that's, that's what, what made me play worse for sure. Yeah. And, and you can see how that would happen. 
I mean, people, especially if you played heads up, you will have these streaks where your opponent just always does everything right. They make the right calls against you. They make the right raises against you. Uh, the times you have big hands, they happen to have better. The time you say, oh, no, come on, they can't have this strong of a hand again twice in a row or three times in a row, they do. And when you finally get the nuts against them, they have nothing and fold. It's It just seems like everything goes wrong, and it starts to grind away at your confidence, and you start to get afraid to make plays that you know you should make because every time you're making them, they fail, and you just waste more money. So then you start getting afraid to do the right play, and that compounds the problem. And this is a very tough thing for a human being to prevent happening when they're getting their ass beat in poker, especially heads up. I've experienced before. Phil is experiencing this now. I don't blame him one bit. And yes, sometimes taking time away can help. But the problem is, if you come right back to the same opponent who's been beating you, it's hard to come back to that person with confidence. Even if you've given some time to get that out of your head, it never completely gets out of your head. And that's why, at least in the case of Vanny Vitti, I think he should just quit and be done. So we're going to skip ahead now to the portion where Joey gives me a little bit of credit for having asked questions and goes ahead and asks some questions that came from me. My guy, Peter Jennings, I want to give a shout out to him. The guy was just golfing with Tiger Woods. I mean, let's talk about Peter Jennings. I'm not even sure if it's the, the famous Peter Jennings or another Peter Jennings. It's weird. I don't understand that part. He talks about Peter Jennings a few times in this podcast. I don't know what this guy's doing. I'm watching him. He's at a golf course with Tiger Woods. He's with the Condoleezza Rice. Really? I don't really know the history of my girl Condoleezza Rice, but I mean, he's with Tiger Woods. I know Tiger Woods, yeah. man. So shout out to my guy, Peter, always doing great work, always working hard, always uh, gambling up there. Big DFS guy, uh, Fantasy Labs, Action Network, kind of out there doing a lot of great work. He said, as all the promotion from the challenge increased the player base much at Run at Once Poker? And I think that's a good question. I know my man Todd Watellis sent me that on Twitter for some questions as well, too. So what, what's what been happening? First of all, props to Joey for saying my name right. Second, I just realized I had a little uh, brain freeze there. Peter Jennings died years ago. I forgot about that. Peter Jennings died in uh, in 2005. And I was like, Peter Jennings? I'm like, is that the same Peter Jennings? And I go, wait a minute. Didn't he die? And I went back, yeah, he died. Oops. So obviously not the same one unless he came back from the dead. It's just when he's mentioning he's golfing with Tiger Woods and Condoleezza Rice, I'm thinking, okay, maybe it is the same Peter Jennings. But no, that couldn't be possible. Unless it's Peter Jennings' ghost. Okay, so you heard Joey give me the props there, and let's hear some questions, some of which came from me. Here, man, are more people playing on the site? Are, are more signups in action? Do we got li- liquidity going? What's what's the deal here? So he's asking about the run at once poker. Is it, Because of this, this was one of my questions. Because of this, is the site doing any better? Yeah, um, we've we've been um, steadily increasing since basically the beginning of December. Um, beginning of December or like j- end of November, we launched the Legends program, which people really liked. Um, it, it really increased the volume of our existing players and got us new signups or, or kind of reactivations. And traffic picked up quite a bit. In January, it picked up again, even before the challenges started, and then picked up again once the challenges started. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been great kind of all those things combined for traffic. And I'm hoping there's been a, a slight lull since the challenges stopped. Not too bad. Just been like a, a week of dipping slightly back down. Um, so I need to get back in there and. Okay. Th- that's a total non-answer. Here's the truth. Yes, actually there was an increase in traffic 
a while before the challenge started, like you know, probably beginning of January, like he said, when they changed their VIP program, when he finally did what everyone had been saying for a long time, and that is get rid of this splash the pot as your entire rake back. Stop giving all the rake back, what you claim is rake back, as a splash the pot promotion and actually give some traditional rake back. So finally, after resisting this for months and months and telling everyone why they're so wrong, Phil went and changed it to where they lowered the amount of rake back that you're getting through Splash the Pot, which, by the way, isn't real rake back, but whatever, and then actually gave some real traditional rake back on top of that, which actually gave more, and, and you get the, the amount of rake back based upon how much you're playing and what tier level you've earned. It becomes much more like a traditional rake back program plus the Splash the Pot thing. So this actually is popular, and some people said, okay, finally, I'm going to register now and play because now there's a proper rewards program in place, and that increased the traffic. So people have been saying this all this time. Phil said, no, 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 you guys don't know what you're talking about. Listen to me. Nope, it was a fail. Nobody wanted to come, and then uh, he changes the rewards program to what people were asking for the whole time, and suddenly it gets better. Lo and behold, what do you know, Phil? You listen to people, and your site improves its traffic. Uh, but then it, it got stagnant again. It, it increased, but then it kind of got stuck. And it wasn't like an exponential increase. Maybe he doubled traffic, which sounds great, but when the traffic's very low, doubling is not what you need. You need to be uh, to, to get like 50 times the traffic is what you're looking for, not double. So it kind of doubled and then just sat. And I was watching it while he was doing this challenge, and it was not increasing. It was kind of still sitting at that same level that it had increased to because of the new VIP program. And then he's right, though, that since the challenge ended, for whatever reason, it has tailed off and it's starting to head back toward where it was before the VIP program change. So this is all very bad news. Oh, I'm very happy with the traffic is. No, you're not. This is not what they envisioned. And we're talking about like they they have an average of like 100-something cash players on at once. That's That's not what you're looking for. You're not looking for an average of 125 cash players on at once when you design a new proprietary poker site that's supposed to be competing with poker stars. That's pretty bad. That's a fail site. This is not what he pictured. If, if he had seen in advance this is the traffic he's going to be getting, he would never have done this project. So he's not happy with the traffic. He knows the traffic sucks. And the truth is this match, while entertaining and interesting – and giving us something to talk about and giving the poker world something to observe and comment on has not increased the traffic and has not achieved its mar- marketing goals, at least not yet. And I don't think it will. I don't see how this is going to translate to people playing there. And by the way, and I, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again since we're discussing this. You don't want this as a way to draw traffic because... Uh, the problem is there's not many ways to gain from it from a marketing standpoint. So if Phil completely crushed Venny Vitti instead of the other way around, people would be saying, wait a minute, we're not sure if we want to play on here. This might be rigged. Maybe that's why Venny Vitti, this great player, is getting shellacked by Phil Galfond because Galfond has it rigged. So that's if he's killing Venny Vitti, so that wouldn't be good advertising for the site. If Venny Vitti's killing him, which is what's happening, no one thinks it's rigged, obviously, but... People are going to say, well, uh, Phil Galfond, who was our poker hero before, is kind of looking like a chump. He kind of looks like a has-been. So he doesn't excite me anymore. He's no longer my poker hero. Now, Venny Vitti's my poker hero. Screw Phil Galfond. He's a has-been from 2010. And this is proof that he's no good compared to the top players these days. 
So yeah, it doesn't really change how I feel about a poker site he's running, but at the same time, I'm not really much of a fan anymore, so screw him. Like, people don't really have those conscious thoughts, but they kind of have those subconscious thoughts. Like, you, you may want to join a site that is run by someone you really admire in poker, one of your poker heroes, a great player that you've always wished you could be. But if that great player isn't seen as great anymore, it's just seen as good, you may not have that same motivation. So if, if you get beat really hard, then that kills a lot of your own marketing value. This is kind of like a, a celebrity poker site in a way, where, where Phil Galfon, some of the draws that he's running it. He's not just some anonymous guy. This is Phil Galfond, supposed to be this great player, and now he's getting his ass beat, and maybe he's not a great player anymore compared to the greats of today. So now they're, th- that's going to hurt his marketing value. So the best he could do marketing-wise is to kind of trade back and forth, kind of run around even, or maybe slightly beat Vanny Vitti, but that's very hard to have it land there, and it didn't. So... This was a dumb idea, and he was risking a lot of money. What if what if these modern players are better than I am, then I'm going to get killed, and that's what's happened so far. So that's uh, that's what's happened here, and it, it has not helped the traffic I've been watching. So that's – I don't know if he's just not telling the truth or if he's just delusional, but this was uh, this has not achieved what the goal was, despite the fact that they've shot off a million dollars doing so. And uh, get those streams going. But, yeah, I'm hoping we can keep the momentum going with uh... – just continue promotions. I mean, we're, we're giving away a lot of stuff. We're like, we're giving away a lot of money. So like right now we have February is our birth month. We, we launched last February. And so from now till the end of February, we're giving away, um, free 10 euro to anybody who hasn't created an account yet. A free what? So a free what? Sorry. 10 euro, $10. But in. Yeah. See, listen, the whole euro. I mean, okay. 10, yeah, yeah. 10 United States dollar. 10. <laughs> there he goes again. Joey and his obsession with hating the euro. USD equivalent. <laughs> it's approximate, right? It's not exactly 10, but it's around, right? We're making yeah, it easy for I think it's closer okay. to 11. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't opened an, up an account yet, you can do that now. Don't have to deposit. You just get 10 bucks free. Um, and so then wait a sec, you, wait a sec. So if we go to run a one's poker right now, open an account, 10 bucks free, right? Yeah. But you can't and be American. Just, ah, look at that. Sorry, guys. Yeah. 55% of my demographic just yeah. can't do it. That. Unless you go to Canada. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's not, a, it's not a far trip away for you guys. So Mexico, really not. Tijuana, whatever. It is what it is. You know, go to a house, broth, whatever. Do what you got to do. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's that. Then there's the for first-time depositors, um, which you can qualify for both of these. So if you haven't created an account, you get the free 10. If you have created an account but haven't deposited, you can't get that. But you can get um, 50%. Instant deposit bonus up to fifty dollars, uh, in addition to your one hundred percent deposit bonus, uh, which is like a, uh, it's like a you know the the deposit bonuses the traditional one is a you release over time, right? So you you get that for one hundred percent, and then you also get fifty percent up to up to fifty bucks instant. Um. So what you're saying is there's no reason not to deposit. You check it out. You support Phil. You support the cause. Right? You just put – throw 10 on there. Go sign up, right? Just play a fucking hand, right? I mean – By by the way, this is an example of how they're not doing it right there. So they're obviously giving away a lot. He's he's, he's honest here. They're giving away a lot of money. They are. These are good bonuses. But to say that if you have an account and have not deposited yet, that you can't get the $10 at someone who has not created an account yet – that's, I mean, that's just punishing those who who were excited for your site and signed up when it was first there, but for whatever reason didn't deposit. Don't screw those people. What you should say, if you want to attract people to the site, you should say that 
$10 euro for, for everybody who claims it. Give some way to claim it. And or like if you just log on to the site, each person will get 10 euro one time. That's what you should do. That'll bring people to log in. Then they'll see the games going. Then they may want to play with the 10 euro. It's, it's not a bad idea to give 10 euro to everybody. But just just give 10 euro to everybody. Make some kind of withdrawal requirement so they can't just hit the withdraw button and get the 10 euro. But you know, some kind of playthrough requirement. But But... Leave this open to everybody, active players, inactive players, people who have deposited, people who haven't deposited. Why make this to people who only make new accounts? I, I could see if it's only for people who are first-time depositors, but to, to screw the people who made an account and never deposited is just really crappy. I'm not saying it's unethical or bad. I just think it's crappy business. I think it's a, a crappy business decision. I want to be clear here. He's not doing anything wrong except to himself. But this this is where they need people to just sanity check these things and go, no – if you're trying to draw people in, if you're putting up money to draw people in on these promotions, you've got to make sure you don't get people angry at the same time. This is like Business 101. This is uh, Poker Site Promotion 101, and there's a poor understanding of that there. And this is exactly why – well, one of the many reasons why that site's not working out. That's what I'm saying, right? Just go on there. Check it out. You know, you got one guy yeah. who, who wants to provide a good product, good service for the community, and that's going to take time, and it's going to take years, and it's going to take support from the community as well. And then you have other companies out there who, you know, we've seen where they stand with things. And while they may have a great product now, we've seen where their stance lies in the future, and they're trying to uh, change the name of what poker actually is in some ways. Talking about poker stars, by the way. to continue keeping poker what we've known poker to be, and you have other companies out there who'd like to see it more of a casino-style game where only the house profits versus the actual players profiting and a different experience altogether. So I think from my eyes, when I see it right, I think that's a, that's a cause worth supporting. And I think that's something to stand behind as well, too. And while there might be issues with, with that people have with things and they want to play tournaments and they want to play sit and goes and those aren't available right now, they will be in the works and they will be coming over time as well, too. And it's, it's a very long process and, and you're starting from a certain point with brand new software and everyone else is starting from a point where they've been doing this for quite a long time and it's already been established. So it's just a yeah. challenge that's going to take some time. This is all what I don't understand also. And keep in mind, I say this as a programmer. I say this as someone who has worked on software projects for commercial companies. Uh, that's what I did before I was a pro poker player. What I don't understand is if you have a million dollars to sink into this, you have several million. As, as we've seen, he's already lost a million. He's still going to play. So you have millions of dollars to sink into this marketing scheme. Why not use that million to hire emergency contract programmers and get them quickly up to speed and have them add multi-table tournaments quickly? I'm just not understanding why that is taking so long. And I, I know all the logic that's involved to put in multi-table tournaments. You can't just snap your fingers and do it in one day, but it's not as difficult as what they're claiming. Really, the, the toughest site, the, the toughest part of creating proprietary poker software, if you're going to create your own poker software, the toughest parts are just the, the very basic structure of the whole thing and the entire gameplay the, the about the dealing out the hands, having people take seats, the, the, all the rules of the way the poker hands go and, and determining a winner and pushing pots to people and the graphics and the... Um, and the way the graphics move, and, and these aspects, just the very basics of a poker site operating, are the hardest part. That's, that's by far the hardest part. Once you've got all that down, to build on top of it should not be difficult. You should be able to build things like tournaments on top of it 
without a tremendous amount of effort. Again, it's not trivial. You can't do it in, in a matter of days. But especially if you get a number of talented programmers that are understanding they're not being hired full-time. These are people who are being hired for contract work, and there's plenty of them out there. There's tons of them out there that you could hire for contract work and get them up to speed and have them work day and night on developing multi-table tournaments and use that million dollars for that. I guarantee you put a million dollars into the development of multi-table tournaments, you can get those churned out pretty quickly. I guarantee it. But I, I don't know why they're not. They're, they're, and he talks about, I'm not sure if we're going to get to that in here, but he talks about all the challenges with multi-table tournaments. I, in fact, I think he's about to say that in the part I'm going to play here. It's, I can tell you, as I've never programmed a poker site, but I can tell you from my knowledge of poker and from my knowledge of programming and from my knowledge of building software projects and all of that combined, that this should not be incredibly difficult. This should not be something that takes – remember, he said the, the anniversary is coming up this February, so it's, it's pretty much been open a year, and they still don't have them. That, that's a disgrace, and they're not coming out with them soon. So when they have I, – I thought maybe it was a funding thing. They just couldn't afford to hire anyone else. They've got millions of dollars to sink into this nonsense, this challenge. I don't understand why they don't use that instead on building the tournaments, which is really their last hurrah. That's a, really their last chance to win. That, that This is just – it seems like everything they do is mismanaged. Yeah, no, well said. And, uh, yeah, I – you know, we've made a lot of progress in a year, but I always want – more it, there's always uh, there's there's a lot more uh to be made over the next year for sure um uh, and uh, and the last thing i didn't finish just because also we're we giving back more rake back this month um it's 51 percent now through splash the pot which is what we launched with but we didn't launch with the legends program okay when we added legends we reduced it to 30 percent through splash the pot and then 10 to 45 through legends so now for the rest of the month it's 51 percent through splash the pot 10 to 45 through legends so 61 to 96% rake back for the rest of the month, depending on how much, how, what you qualify for in the Legends program. How about this? Damn, how, I mean, what, what, people are really... I, 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 I skipped, now I have to get back to where I was. I messed up in the video trying to pause it. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, I know I sound like a broken record with this stuff, but okay, they're giving away 61 to 96% of the rake they collect, and they are. That's the truth. And that's very generous, and that's uh, a great deal for the players. I've got a question. Why not just do away with rake for a little while if you're going to do that? Wouldn't that be the smarter way to go, especially if you have millions of dollars to put into marketing? Wouldn't you say, we're rake-free now? We're not going to stay rake-free, but for a while we're rake-free. Come on over here and play rake-free poker. Wouldn't that be a good way? Look at me. I'm working for free for him here. He's not going to listen to me anyway. But <laughs> Wouldn't that be the smart thing to do at this point? If you're willing to give away this much rake back and you're willing to put millions of dollars into marketing, why not just go rake-free at this moment and – then build traffic, and as soon as the traffic gets built, go, okay, guys, now we're going to have a reduced rake. Okay, now we're going to have a regular rake. Okay, there we go. It's not hard. It's not hard. I don't get it. You, you guys are trying to make the site work. You, you really want to give away 61 to 96% rake back when you can give 100% just have no rake? Wouldn't that draw a lot of people in? Oh, my gosh. Why am I the only one who thinks of this? You able to make money doing this or what? I mean, is this like uh, is this something where you you, you take a loss for a while and then – Year five, you hope to make some money, or, or how, how does this sort of work? Yeah, I mean, it, I hope it's sooner than year five, but <laughs> but you do take a loss for a while, and the reason, right, the reason that we kind of can keep 
or decide to keep throwing money at people uh, like we are is because such a like a key part of a poker platform is liquidity and traffic. And, and that's correct. But do you, do you like Joey laughing going, so is this thing making money or is it going to take five years? <laughs> like he's kind of laughing in a nervous way like, oh, my God, Phil, you're making such a mistake here. Like do you understand you're, you're hemorrhaging money every month and this may never make money? What, what are you doing? Like he doesn't want to say it out loud. You could totally tell, especially if you look at his face. I know you can't on this show, but go watch. This is at about the 38-minute mark. Go watch on uh, – this is called Phil Galfon Talks Losing $900,000 in Galfon Challenge. That's what it's called on Joey's channel, which is Joe Ingram 1. Go watch this and you'll see Joey's face like, what are you doing? And you can tell Joey's like concerned that like, he likes Phil. He, he doesn't want to see Phil suffering like this. You, you could tell he really wants to just shake him and go, just give up. Just, just give up. Do something else. This is not going to work. This is all wrong. He doesn't want to say it, but you can tell that's what he's thinking. If we don't have a lot of traffic, then when new people show up, it's a bad product because they have nothing to play. Mm. Um, and so it's just so important right now to increase our traffic. Right. That's correct. 100% correct. That's why I say have no rake, have people show up. I found this problem in the 90s when I ran a chat room. I, I ran an internet chat room, a web chat it was called. And I found that the thing that makes a chat room do the best is having people there chatting. And if you don't have people there chatting, anyone who shows up to chat will have no one to chat with and they will leave. Much like the reason I tell you not to chat on the Poker Frogler chat when we're not live because there's nobody in there to chat with. So the only way a chat room will work is if there are others to chat with, and there's others to chat with who will hold your interest to stay around and chat. And I put a lot of effort in to getting people over there, and there were way more chats in the 90s than there were people who wanted to chat. So most chats were completely dead. Most chats you'd go to, there was nobody there. And the challenge was having someone always there, doesn't have to be the same person, but having like at least a few people always there chatting, so this way conversations are always going, and then it increases exponentially where people show up and they see conversations going and they stay. Then more people come and see a better conversation going and they stay. And then they want to come back more often because they remember having a good conversation. And that's how it works. And it's the same thing in poker. In poker, if you go, there's a lot of games available and you play and you like the site and you like the games. You're going to think about next time you want to open the software, you're going to be looking forward to doing so. But if you go on there and it's zero 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 zero, no one's sitting – you're going to say, oh, screw this dead thing. You're not going to even want to open a second time and check. So it's very, very important to have people playing and have people used to playing and having people just wanting to turn on their computer and open the poker site and play it. That is the goal here. And so he's right. You can't make money right off the bat. And that's why you have to take a loss. That's why you have to have very, very generous promotions. That's why you have to kiss everyone's ass and do exactly what the public wants. And get everyone loving your site before you make money, and then you start introducing the ways you make money, and and you start charging rake and do things like that. And this is what, exactly what I had in mind, by the way, when I was uh, talking to him about maybe working there. I, I had ideas like this on how to build traffic. And I'm not saying 100% it would have worked, but this is being approached all the wrong way. And I know this. How do I know this? From being a player myself, from knowing what I look for, from knowing what my friends look for, from knowing what my peers look for from knowing what people on forums who have posted with and discussed poker sites 
what they look for. And, and most of us agree. Like I'm, I, I have some ideas that people don't agree with. I have some opinions people don't agree with, but something that I'm pretty universally agreed with has to do with any, an opinion of what makes a poker site good, an opinion of what people want out of a poker site. If I post that, you're going to see very few people saying, Oh no, Todd, you're wrong. No, I, I disagree. No, you're all wrong here. Like most people will say, yeah, you're right. I think very similar to what most other grinders think, and even recreational players for the most part, as far as what makes a good poker site versus what does not. And uh, original poker stars understood this very well. That's why they did so as well as they did. Uh, Run it once does not. And I had a feeling they weren't going to. And you can still, you can see they still kind of don't. Like Phil knows what he needs to do, but he doesn't understand quite how to do it and keep people coming back, keep new people coming in so that when new people show up, they have a game to play. When our existing customers show up, they have a game to play. Right. Uh, because if they don't, then, then we lose them. So right now it's, it's all about building that player base. And, uh, and that's, that's where we're at. I, don't, I, I hope it's, like I said, I hope it's not five years before we, uh, we're breaking even month to month, but uh, it will take some time. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, maybe doing, now that I'm getting back into the poker swing of things with content, I'm going to stick around here for the foreseeable future. I was thinking about maybe I do, you know, I don't know, right? Get on Run Once Poker, do a little bankroll challenge, hop in the mix. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, yeah. right, what are what are some ways I can personally kind of get out there? I've been trying to do it from the content end and trying to just provide these little recap videos, and we got my – All right, let's, let's get past this here. I want to go back to uh, another part of the video. I think it's about, like, the one-hour 11 mark. And it is about who is bankrolling this Galfon challenge. So I'll play that, and then we will be done. And you can hear the rest of this if you want to. The, the parts I played were from, like, the 5-minute to the 15-minute mark, then, like, the 32-minute to the 38-minute mark, and now the hour 11 to whatever we finish here. So it sounds like we played a lot, but really we haven't. So there's a lot more to this to listen to. And I encourage you to go listen if you're interested at all in this topic. Let's uh, play this here. So it's really, it really has been more about the, the actual poker than, uh, than worrying about what people are, are saying or thinking. Definitely makes sense. Uh, another question here I got submitted to me. How much, people keep asking about if you have all yourself during these challenges. And now we covered that mm-hmm. on the podcast we did before the challenge started. And you said that you had all of yourself in the match and that some of the side bets you were still in action of. And is that still the case in terms of what's happening right now? By the way, that was my question as well. Yes. Okay. So you have all of yourself in the actual challenge itself in terms of what happens at the tables, wins and losses. Kind of. I have the majority. Kind of. Okay. So you sold a little I, bit of action? Yeah, no. I, well, what I said last time, I believe, is that I have the majority of my action um, and I've hedged in the side bets, um, right. especially the, the longer odd side bets. Um, and that's still the case. I... I it's tough too because, like, I've also so I don't have all of everything, but I also have extra action. Like I've what I've got other side bets. <laughs> what? So what? like it. Yeah, sorry. The sun is getting really annoying. I'm sure you can see. I can it see all. it. I'm like, what's happening yeah. here with this light? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird in this video. You can see there's sun shining on Phil's face now. Uh, they did the interview at. Uh, about three o'clock Eastern, I believe that this was about twelve noon. I think Phil is in Vancouver, and the sun is is shining straight into uh, Galfon's uh, eyes. 
or maybe it was later than three o'clock Eastern. Whatever it was, it was sometime during the day, and he couldn't close his blinds right. So it was uh, they were making joke about how Phil can't even afford good blinds anymore. But then you see the the sun is just shining right into his eyes, which is kind of weird. Like, wouldn't Phil have fixed this by now? Where he sits at the computer, that there's not a sun just shining right in your eyes. That would tilt me to no end. Maybe that's why he's losing. But uh, anyway, yeah, they're discussing what Phil owns of himself in this match, which I've been very curious about. That's why that was one of the questions I submitted. And I know a lot of you are curious as well, as are others who are observing this. And it's funny because I, now I didn't see the other program where he appeared on with Joey, so I don't know what he said. Joey remembered him saying that he had all of his action, or almost all of his action, and Phil saying, no, 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 I'm just saying I had a majority of my action, which could mean 50.01%. Majority, that could mean a lot of things, but I would think that if he had like 80% of himself, he'd say, I have most of my action, or I have the vast majority. The fact that he says majority makes it sound like he has maybe 55%, and then he's saying that he loaded up on extra side bets to where... I guess he took action from people betting against him. He's betting on himself, obviously, on the side bets. And, but though, though he talked about how he hedged the side bets that have longer odds, like the one coming up with Chance Cornuth, which is four to one, and then also the one with Perkins, four to one. So is, is he selling off some of that? I I am not quite understanding, and it seems kind of like Joey isn't either. Okay, we got a blind okay. up there. Maybe you heard of blinds these days. I don't know. I I, they, I do there. This is the as as well as they can protect down nine hundred thousand. We don't got a button we can push. Dude, no, put them down or something no. like that. No, okay. If I hadn't lost, maybe I could have installed something. But at this <laughs> well, point, I, I, I listen. They've been donating about thirty five dollars during the chat during here. I can happily right, put nice. it towards the blind fund if we want to okay. get the automated blinds here. I need a blind automated blind fund and an electricity fund. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, in short, I have the. It's blinding them. <laughs> it's like I can't see. It's right in the eye. Yeah, it is. Okay. Mm. Okay, here. <laughs> it's okay, man. Hey, if you can overcome the challenge, you can overcome a little sunlight. It's okay. Let's, move, let's fight. Let's fight through this one. Yeah. Come on, we got this. We got this. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, the I have the majority of my action. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you have the majority of your action. There might be some extra side bets that might even pump the act up, pump the action up even more. Yeah. Sounds good to me. I like that a lot. Okay. Do you think it would have been smarter? Yeah, people keep asking about. By the way, do you think it would have been smarter? That's what I was talking about. Around the minute thirteen tw- or hour thirteen twenty mark, do you think it would have been smarter? That was my exact wording. So he actually had like my questions in front of him, and then he decides he's not going to ask that question. He asked something else. But that's funny that he's actually using my questions as a guide for a lot of this. But great, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that uh, Joey thought my questions were quality and asked a lot of them. Multi-table tournaments and sit and goes. When are the multi-table tournaments and sit and goes? Is there a rough estimation in terms of when that might be going down? That was also my question. So the sit and goes probably would have been out now if not for the challenge because we kind of had to put a lot of things on hold and tell the team, hey, we need private player pools. Um, We need observable tables. Like there are a lot of things that they had to get together. What? Oh my gosh, I, I believe him, and that's—I didn't think of that before. But yes, they had to actually put extra structure into the software to be able to have this stuff viewable for this challenge. Because remember, this is kind of like uh, Bovada, where it just drops you at a table, and and you you basically can't observe tables on there, much like you can't on uh, on Bovada or Ignition. So they they had to put in the logic to be able to do that. And this is some work; it's not tremendous work, but he's right that they had to do additional work here to allow the viewing of this challenge. And 
okay, but that begs the question, why do the challenge now? Why not get the sit-and-goes done? Why not get the tournaments done? Quickly uh, for the challenge. So they had to pivot. Um, so sit-and-goes are next up, and I've been so distracted. I, I don't know exactly uh, when they'll be out. There are still some things that the team is working on for the challenge because like, we have basically V1 observable tables, which is that we can get like an observer view so that they can stream it, but not everybody can observe. So they want to work on that. So everybody can observe within, uh, in the client, um, and a couple other challenge related things, but yeah, sit and goes are next. MTTs are still a ways away. Mm. Um, and there's still, there's has been, and still is work going on in the background, uh, kind of leading up to it. Uh, I like, I like Joe. Hmm. <laughs> He's going, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Oh my god, you need FTTs to drive it. Uh, including the sit and go work. Uh, obviously, like a lot of the logic you use for a sit and go, you can use for multi table tournaments. Um, but yeah, it's. Sit and goes would have been done by now if not for the challenge. But I think the challenge has been a good thing and, and, and worth it. And I hope sit and goes are out uh, in the near future, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, a lot of people would say, why waste time on sit and goes as well, too? Why not just go to tournaments when. When mm-hmm. I mean, listen, that's 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 the biggest game type. That's the most popular game type. That's the game type a lot of people want to play that are recreational players. So, correct. Why would they go to the sit and goes? Why not just? Yeah, that's a great that's question. A right, that's a great uh, question. I can answer that. Um, firstly, the like, like I was saying, sit and goes kind of get you part part of the way to multi table tournaments. So it's not like wasted work. Uh, just going sit and goes, and then you're starting from scratch on tournaments, on multi table tournaments. Um, we also, uh, you know, like our cash games, we we have unique ideas for sit and goes and for MTTs. And the MTT idea is kind of ambitious. Um, and actually, we're maybe reconsidering it and, and maybe thinking of launching with traditional MTTs and then building our our own idea later. Yeah, you think you think you've been open a year with no tournaments that you don't try to put in an ambitious version of MTTs when all anyone wants is to play freaking tournaments, even ones that are just like tournaments 20 years ago? Don't you think you can just try that? <laughs> it's just, it's an amazing, it's just the, the thought process here amazes me, I can say. They, uh, they needed someone in charge who understands the priorities that one must have when you're running a poker site and they don't have that. Okay. I'm done here. I'm, I'm not going to play anymore. I've just, I, I just, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, <laughs> it, it kind of tilts me in a way to listen to. It's, it's kind of actually tilting me to listen to this because you just, I just want to grab Phil through the screen and say, no, you're doing it wrong and shake him and say, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. No, this is not how you run a poker site. No, who are the idiotic yes men who are going along with this with you? Who are the managers involved that you've hired for this? This is this is not rocket science. I'm, I'm not the only person in the world who can recognize these things. Trederuski, you're a tournament player, right? I am. Yeah, so you're not unusual in that way. A lot of people, and I know I have a number of friends like this who prefer playing tournaments for the most part on these poker sites. I'm not one of them. I don't really like online poker tournaments, but I, I'm the unusual one here. I'm actually the freak in this case. Most players, especially recreational players, just just like to do tournaments, and some people do both. 
but uh, that that should be the priority. I'm just I'm just done here. You guys can listen to the rest of this if you want to uh, go to Joe Ingram one and find this interview with Phil. It's it's worth a listen, and I I really have not played most of it to you. And uh, Chicago Joey's doing some good work, so I appreciate that. Appreciate the fact that he asked a number of my questions, and the questions he asked that were not mine were good questions. I was pretty impressed with the the way Chicago Joey handled it. Yeah, do you have any idea who his tech team is, what their background is? No, I, I know nothing of this. Because it almost sounds like they're just snowing him. He's kind of repeating things he said to them, or that they've said to him. And if he just if he doesn't have a background in software, he's you know how does he understand what's going on? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it could be a lot of things. It could be what you're saying there. Uh, I just think that if, if he had somebody there, it wouldn't have to be me. I'm not saying I'm the only one in the world who could have saved this. Uh, a lot of people who just know the industry well that would be placed in a position where he could still be the big boss and make the ultimate decisions, but where he'd really respect the opinion of whoever he installs in this role to say, wait a minute, Phil, this is crazy, that he'd really consider it and not just overrule him constantly. If he had someone like that there, just one person, this could be very different. And I don't know what the ceiling is on the traffic since it's not taking U.S. players. And that's already a challenge. And because Poker Stars is so dominant, and that's also a big challenge. So I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do. I'm not saying if I was running the site, it would just be booming and crushing Poker Stars. It probably would not be. But I can say that they've done about as poor of a job with this decision-wise as they pretty much could have. And that's and this this challenge here is just another piece of that, another branch of that. And I just scratch my head going, well, if they had a million dollars to put into this, and more than a million, then why not put it where it could have gone a lot better. Moving on, we're going to make a call, which I think a lot of you will enjoy, provided we reach someone. But I want to give you background about the call, and then we will make the call. And it's actually an interesting topic that I bet a lot of you have probably thought of if you've been in casinos where drawings have occurred, where they have some kind of promotion where they're doing a drawing to win something. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's medium, sometimes it's small. But uh, there's some kind of promotion going on. And this, this happens all over the country where they do a drawing sometimes once, sometimes throughout the day. And whoever they call will win things or, or get to enter a cont- an additional contest to win things where you're guaranteed to win something once you get your name called. And uh, that entices people to play there. And usually you have to be present for it. And they do that uh, on purpose to get you down there and have you stay as long as you can gambling. So here's a concern that was raised in the forum by radio listener and forum poster, I am Greek. And he lives in Utah. So this Wendover, Nevada, which is in northeast Nevada, is pretty much the local casino to him. It's not right next door to him, but it's probably about a one and a half to two hour drive is my guess. He writes, so me and the wife are in Wendover this weekend for the Rainbow Casino 25th anniversary celebration. I don't know what that is, but moving on. There are three casinos in Wendover under the Peppermill umbrella, and they share the same loyalty card. So far this weekend, they've had five drawings where five or six cardholders are, quote, randomly chosen by the computer to receive $500 free play, and one or two more are drawn for $1,000 cash. So this is not huge money, but uh, still, it's something you'd like to win. This is for each drawing. There are three more scheduled for tomorrow in addition to the uh, to the grand prize drawing for a car. We noticed that one name was drawn at least four times and possibly all five times. 
Another name was drawn at least twice that we noticed, but chalked that up to random coincidence. I mentioned this to one of the slot hosts, and she said it wasn't unusual, but that she would discuss this with the higher-ups. Does anyone else find this to be not random at all? I mean, what are the odds this would happen that many times in a row where we're talking about thousands of player accounts? So, okay, that's a good question, and let me tell you about these drawings. And I, I don't know Wendover. I know about Wendover. I've never been there, and I'll tell you guys some things about Wendover in a second. But let me tell you about these drawings in general. First of all, it is illegal in the state of Nevada, and I imagine in most places where casino gambling occurs, but definitely illegal in Nevada, for drawings to be rigged. There have been fines levied against casinos for rigging drawings. Rigging a drawing means that it's predetermined who's going to win. Why would they rig a drawing? Because they want the biggest whales to win. They want the people who lose the most money, who gamble the highest there to win. So even if they're losing, they feel like they've won something. They feel like they got lucky with something. They want that person to win, not the person who uh, puts a $20 in the machine every uh, month or so and then leaves. They they want the, the high roller to say, oh, cool, this is fun. Okay, I'm going to come back. Oh, wow, I got lucky with something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back even though I got my ass kicked otherwise this weekend. That's what they want. So if casinos could have it their way, they'd always rig these drawings for the people that they want to see win. But that's illegal by Nevada law, and they can be fined millions of dollars for doing so, and some Vegas casinos have been. So you cannot rig it to where it is 100% certain that people of their choice will win. But there are ways to pseudo-rig these drawings to where most people, even if there's uh, thousands of people there, you can kind of pseudo-rig these drawings to where most of them have just about zero Point zero. Chance of winning. So how can they do that and still be legal? Well, it is legal to give away a lot of additional entries for the drawing based upon play. And it doesn't have to be linear. And when I say linear, it means it's not, it doesn't have to be one for one. It doesn't mean like they have to give away one entry for every tier credit earned. So here's just a hypothetical structure of how they could be giving away additional entries to where it would greatly favor the high rollers even more than you'd expect. So, and again, this is not from any casino. I just made this up. So you earn 100 tier credits, you get 100 entries. You earn 1,000 tier credits, then they'll give you 5,000 entries. If you earn 10,000 tier credits, they'll give you 100,000 entries. If you earn 100,000 tier credits, you get 5 million entries. So, so notice how this is already increasing, where 100 gets you an entry for each tier credit, but if you earn 100,000, you'd be getting 50 entries for each tier credit. Uh, if you earn 250,000 tier credits, you get 50 million entries. And if you earn a billion, uh, if you earn a million tier credits, you get 5 billion entries. So not only do you get way more entries for more play, you also get exponentially more per tier credit earned for more play. This is completely legal. So let's take, uh, Ron the recreational player. Ron the recreational player comes in and earns 100 tier credits. He gets 100 entries. Okay? Then uh, Wanda the Whale comes in and earns a million tier credits because she's a very high-stakes player. She gets 5 billion entries. So you have Wanda the Whale with 5 billion entries, and you have Ron the Recreational Player with 100 entries. Who do you think is going to win that one? Now, yeah, they're not the only two people, but, but you see that uh, Wanda the Whale in this case would have uh, a 50 million times greater chance to win than Ron the Recreational Player. 
So even if let's let's say it's it's uh, it wouldn't be like this, but let's say it was Wanda and then a thousand people there like Ron. Okay, so a thousand Rons and one Wanda. Well, Wanda gets five billion entries. Each of the thousand Rons gets a hundred entries. So it's five billion versus one hundred thousand as far as the chances are. So who's going to win that? Almost every single time, Wanda the Whale is going to win. Even with a thousand one people there, she's going to win just about every time, and it's completely legal to do this. Why? Because Ron, the recreational player, has the opportunity to earn one million tier credits, so therefore it's fair. Now, what they can't do is they can't just decide to give extra tier credits to uh, or extra entries to Wanda just because she's Wanda. But as long as someone with an identical play history to Wanda... And so, and by the way, they can they can also give them extra entries for showing up. But it has to again, it has to be based on their play. But but uh, uh, that's another thing they can do. So actually, it it is kind of legal t- for it to be based on her. But they they can say, well, uh, it, yeah, there could be a complaint if two people who are identical have identical action that one gets uh, far more entries than the other, uh, especially just for coming in. Uh, that's kind of a gray area. But uh, it's totally legal to give exponentially more entries to someone who plays way more. So not only do they earn way more just from playing more, but they also get way more entries per tier credit earned. And that really shuts out the recreational players, where they have almost no chance. And that's why in Wendover here, there must have been a few players who played far more than everybody else, especially this one particular woman that he was talking about that kept getting called, that someone got called... uh, uh, four out of five for the four of the first five prizes. Which I can see how that looks bad, by the way. <laughs> they they uh, they call off that same name. Okay, and our winner is, and they, they said the name, but then they, they say that four out of five times. That looks really ridiculous. And just for purposes of not pissing off the clientele, they should avoid that. If they were smarter, the way they would do this is uh, make the entries for the grand prize and have the smaller prizes kind of just be random just for, you know, but they don't have to award the entries equally for each prize. So they could say these entries you're earning are just for the grand prize, but for the smaller prizes, uh, it's just, it's the same for everybody. It could be something like that. So this way you could just about guarantee that Wanda the whale wins the car, but, uh, the, the $500 that can go to anybody. That, that would be the smarter way to do it. And this way people wouldn't be able to tell that Wanda the whale had it almost rigged for her. Because they don't know she's a whale. And even if they do, they can kind of ra- rationalize, okay, well, she, she earned a ton of entries because she uh, she played a lot. But when she's winning, like, every single one, then that looks really bad. And that's, why that's I think, why the host was saying, well, talk to the higher-ups. I think the host is going to go to the higher-ups and go, yeah, I know it's, it's not my decision, but this didn't look very good. This is pissing off my players here that they're hearing the same name called over and over. Maybe you guys better rethink this. That's, that, I believe that's probably what that host is going to go do. Anyway, that's a way they can totally rig it to where it's almost sure that the big whales win something nice. I once benefited from this on a smaller scale at Harris Rincon in 2015. I was there during the week, and they had one of these promos where you earn entries based upon the tier credits you earn. And this was a dead weekday afternoon. And I noticed there was like nobody else around playing high limits. And not only I was playing video poker, which of course racks up credits very fast. It's not like blackjack where the whole thing's pretty slow. Here I'm just you know going bang 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 playing you know, super fast. 
at kind of like middle limits. So I knew I was racking up credits real fast, and I knew this was based upon only the credits I was earning during those hours. So even people who were there hours before me, it didn't really matter. So like I, I happened to show up. I didn't try, but I happened to show up and play during the earning period, and it was just based upon that day. So I know if, if the earning period is like 12 to 3 p.m., and I look around, and I'm like the only one playing high-limit video poker and just you're banging out mach- uh, hand after hand after hand, and the casino's pretty dead, I have a feeling that I'm earning like way more than everybody else. And that even compared to everybody else combined, I've probably done pretty well. So I thought, wow, you know, I, this really looks like I should, I should get called. Well, sure enough, I got called. And it was some kind of like, you know that Plinko game on uh, The Price is Right? It was kind of like that. So it, it was they, – they bring you up there and you actually drop this little disc and it falls down. It's not an electronic thing. It was like you drop a physical disc down this this uh, giant Plinko set, setup thing they have and it lands in uh, certain prizes. I, I think I won about 500 bucks. So that was nice. It wasn't life-changing money, of course, but it was nice. And I said, oh, sweet. And that was nice. But I, I, I kind of expected to have my name called, and I did. In fact, if I didn't get my name called, I would have said, well, what the fuck happened here? I kind of got screwed. Whereas normally in these things, I think I have no chance. But because I was like the only high limit player during those hours and I was hammering credits through and I didn't see anyone else around doing that, I expected they were going to call me. What do you know? They called me. So good for me. But if you're a player who is either not playing very much or there's whales there just running big credits through on video poker or, or slots – then uh, you're going to have very, very little chance to win, especially if it's over like a long period of time where people have a lot of opportunity to earn a lot of credits or if there's a lot of people there where there's going to be, out of all those people, there's going to be some who, who run a whole lot through. So then uh, I Am Greek clarified after I explained this. He said, uh, I looked up their flyer posted on wendoverfund.com, and you're right. It says cash and free play drawings all weekend. Each drawing entries starting now through February 23rd. Then uh, it gives them the hours. Grand prize 2024 Explorer, Sunday at 6 p.m. Guaranteed $1,000 cash winner at each drawing. Customers must be present to win all drawings. So, so uh, But the important line here was earn drawing entries now starting February 23rd at 5.30 p.m. Or th- starting, through, starting now through February 23rd. So that's that's the answer there. That is the answer, and that's how these are basically rigged. That's why, even though you have a chance, you have very little chance. That's why these should not excite you unless you think you're going to be the big action there. Now, in Wendover, I'm not familiar with how big the action is there. But if you're showing up at a time you think it's going to be fairly crowded, you probably have very little chance of winning unless you're a really big player, or at least big by Wendover standards. I kind of had the ideal situation that I was playing kind of medium big and just cycling a lot of credits fast because it's video poker, and it was a dead time during the week on just like a week like during March, you know, March 12th, something like that, just in the uh, the middle of the day on a Wednesday. That's That was kind of the best time to be there for this, and that's why I was one of the selected winners. A little additional note, by the way. I don't know if they do this in Wendover, but we, we talked about this on the show in the past a few years ago. The Indian casinos in California do this, and I don't know if they do it in Wendover too, even though these aren't Indian casinos. But when they give away a car, a lot of times, even if the car is on display, they're actually not giving away the car, which sounds weird, right? But what really happens in many cases is they just are borrowing the car that they have. They have some kind of contract with a dealership in the area that they can display the car 
And then what they do is they take the winner in the back and browbeat them into agreeing to not take the car, but to take a much lesser cash settlement. Now, why would anyone agree to this? Well, what they do is they take the winner in the back and they say, look, you realize this car is going to depreciate the second you drive it away, right? And you realize you're going to be taxed at the full retail value of the car. So you're going to owe a lot of taxes on this. You know that, right? And you also realize that this is another car that maybe you don't need. So obviously you drove here in a car, unless you're going to sell your car and replace it with this car, which you probably don't even need to do right now. This is just another car that uh, you don't need. So even if you plan to sell this car, keep in mind, you have to pay the taxes on the value of the car, the full retail value. And you're going to have to sell it and it's going to depreciate. You're not going to be able to get the same price that uh, the dealership will. So this is probably something you don't need. Why don't you just take something that's cash? It's not quite as much as the retail value of the car, but you'll come out ahead this way. And they will keep browbeating with you with this. And if you say, no, no, I'd rather have the car. They go, no, 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 no. Think about this again. And they just, they will not leave you alone until you say yes. So let's say the car is worth 25000 They'll say, uh, how, how about you take uh, 11000 and at first you go, oh, no way, I'm not taking 11000 And then they they break it down for you, and they use a bunch of fuzzy math, and they, they, they really try to convince you that when the whole thing's said and done, uh, you're going to go through a lot of hassle and still end up with less than $11,000 when it's all done. So why not just take the cash? And believe it or not, most people back down and do it. This is at the Indian casinos in California. I don't know about what they do in Wendover. Now, what if you just hold firm and say, no, I want the car? Well, then what they do at some of these Indian casinos is they get really, really passive-aggressive and try to screw with you. So they'll lose your paperwork because you got to go pick up the car at the dealership. They'll say, well, you got to go down to this dealership, get the car there. Then you get down there, and then they, then it turns out the dealership has no idea what's going on. <laughs> and then the casino says, oh, sorry, we forgot to prepare your paperwork. You'll have to come back another day. And then there's another excuse why it's delayed, and they delay, 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 and keep trying to convince you to take the cash. And in one case... Uh, I forgot which one this happened at, but uh, in one case, a woman who just steadfastly refused and said, no, I want the car. During all this delay, they went through every moment of her being there, and they found that she let her sister spin a little bit on her card, which is technically a violation, and they took the prize away. Real shady stuff. Now, you have a little more power when this sort of thing happens when it's in Nevada because it has a gaming commission. But keep in mind, this is in Wendover. This is far from everything else in Nevada. There's nothing close to it in Nevada. It's very, very far from Vegas. It's very, very far from Reno. It's very, very far from Carson City. It's very, very far from Tahoe. It's, it's far from everything. It's really for the Salt Lake City market, but Salt Lake City is a different state. So there is... Nevada gaming that's in charge, but it's a, it's a much weaker version of Nevada gaming than the Nevada gaming that's in Las Vegas. Who knows what they get away with over there? So, uh, that's, that's just one thing you may want to know about the cars and that what they, at least in the Indian casinos, what they do. Wendover itself is a weird market. As I said, it's aimed at the Salt Lake City market. It's about 120 miles from Salt Lake City. It's a small town and the casinos are highly cooperative with each other, even ones that are not owned by, by the same company. All the casinos there cooperate, and if anybody gets banned, immediately all the casinos ban you. Every single casino in town will ban you if you get banned from one. They were notorious in the 90s and 2000s for very quickly catching card counters in blackjack and very quickly banning them from pretty much the entire town. Yes, you have a right to be there in the town, but you are not allowed to set foot in any casino property the second you get banned from one. Wendover was infamous for that in the past, and probably I'm sure they still do that to this day. But anyway, getting back to this, uh, we're going to call up. I believe this shouldn't be allowed. Uh, if I were in charge of the Nevada Gaming Commission, I would say that uh, I, I would put some kind of cap 
on what uh, one person could have as far as entries in any particular uh, contest. And that would stop this pseudo-rigging to where people can't earn 5 billion entries. I put some kind of reasonable cap to where it becomes much harder for one person, one high roller, to uh, almost assure themselves of victory. And you know, it's, it's fine if they have a better chance, but I, I would stop it at some point that's reasonable to where everyone has at least some chance. Because when you, like in the example I gave, someone who has 100 entries versus someone who has 5 billion, you're, you're, you're not going to win it. So you might as well allow just blatant rigging if that's allowed there. So I'm going to call up the, uh, a, a casino in Wendover. We're just going to pick one. Uh, we'll, we'll call up one of these pepper mill properties. As he said, it's this uh, group of three pepper mill properties in Wendover, Nevada. I don't know if there's going to be someone there at this time to answer to this because it is uh, 11.20 at night, but we're going to try. What's interesting is it's actually Pacific time over there, despite the fact that they are quite east of where I am. They are very far east of where I sit right now in Pacific time, but they're in Pacific time too. They really should be mountain time, but they're not. So let's call uh, the Pepper Mill Casino in Wendover, and uh, we'll get someone here. We're going to have Dwight Thornwood calling. This sounds like a Dwight Thorn. I know I've used them a lot lately, but uh, this kind of seems like a Dwight Thornwood thing. Whenever something kind of confusing is happening that uh, is screwing the common man, I like Dwight Thornwood. But he's a good common man. He's a type of guy that uh, is going to th- would be alarmed seeing this happen more than than even Colonel Fabersham would. Resorts went over. This is Gwen. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a Dwight Thornwood. Uh, I don't know who to talk to here at this uh, this here establishment, but uh, I, I, I've, I, I've taken part in this uh, this here promotion y'all got about uh, earning entries for this uh, contest to win this car, and uh, I, I didn't win, and I think it was rigged. Uh, who can I speak to about uh, this whole uh, matter? Okay, um, that one you'll need to call back tomorrow after nine. Well, there ain't no actually one- Monday. Right now, there isn't anybody here. There, you're telling me there Talk ain't no one. There that. ain't no one in the whole joint who you can put on. It don't got to be someone in in major authority or nothing like that. I ain't looking for the big wig, big cheese. I'm looking for anyone who can just give me a few answers. Okay, yeah, because all of our promotion people and tournament people have all gone home. What what time do they go home? Midnight. I thought you guys were on Pacific time. You guys ain't on Pacific times. I, I left there. No, so, we're on Utah time. Well, I didn't know that. I don't know what. So I must have not. Yeah. I must have not set my watch yeah, out the I'll, whole time. I, that's. I must have been an hour right. hour the wrong way. Well, no, no wonder I was so late. All right. Well. Um, yeah. Well, that's. Uh, I probably just missed, missed it there for twenty minutes. Oh man, this is just. Well, I have to call back tomorrow. So, so there ain't no one there right now to do this with me. No. No, there's no one here to discuss that issue right now. So you'll have to come back tomorrow after nine. All right. Well, I'm going to have to do that, and uh, I will call back tomorrow, and we'll, we'll get this all discussed. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, I, I shouldn't have rambled about Phil Galfon so much. I could have done this in time. <laughs> we only missed it by 20 minutes. Damn it. I'm going to call this back next week. We're going to do this next week. I'm not giving up on this one. It kind of sucks because I, I, I introduced the whole thing. I, I mean, the, the segment was worthwhile because I explained it to you guys, but I really wanted to do it this week. Well, to be continued, folks. We'll do it next week. I, I was really willing to talk to anyone, but yeah, after you understand, these are small places. So when people go home, there really probably wasn't anyone to talk to me except for the operator. Oh, well. Here I talk about them being Pacific Time. I had no idea something in Nevada was on Mountain Time. I learned something new. I thought the entire state, much like the entire state of California, was on Pacific Time. Well, Dwight kind of sounded weird there not knowing that, given that he was just there, but okay. 
We'll start this all over next week, and we will uh, move on to our next topic. I'm going to read you some texts we got from the 601. Any chance you will make hats available for purchase? No. Uh, the hats will be given away, and I'm going to give them away in the order that I specified, and that's that. I don't want to sell them. I just feel like selling them is bad form. I know a lot of places do. I know a lot of sites do. I want to give these away as a thank you to the listeners, and I'm going to really try to make the right amount to where everybody can get one. And as I said, if I seem to fall a good deal short, I'll have more made. So you'll probably get a hat if you want one. From the 831, talk about Lyman's return to Twitter. Well, it's not really return anymore. I think he's been suspended already. <laughs> Lyman came back to Twitter. We, we talked a little bit of trash back and forth. Uh, then I got bored with that, and I, I don't know what he did to get suspended, but it doesn't surprise me. Lyman doesn't interest me as much as uh, some people. I don't get the appeal. I really don't. He just kind of seems loud and obnoxious, and he has a really, really grating voice. I know some people like him. I know some people really don't like him, and I'm just one who finds him annoying. And I don't, I've never, I don't listen to his show. I, I don't really care for his Twitter. I don't really care for his posts. I, it's just someone that doesn't appeal much to me. And not because he talks trash to me. I just, I never saw the appeal even before I got involved with interacting with him. I'm sure he'll be back at some point. He could just make another account, I guess, but he hasn't yet to my knowledge. But yeah, he got suspended. His account suspended, I'm looking right now. He was gone from Twitter for a long time, and then he came back not too long ago, maybe if like three weeks or something, and now he's gone again. So don't bother trying to follow him or find him. Uh, from the 516, Hey Todd, came across your show a few months ago and really enjoy it. Thank you. Been a poker player and casino rat most of my life, so most of your topics are right up my alley. I had an observation during the Joey Ingram podcast with Galfon that Phil seemed very evasive when talking about backers, kind of in the end saying that he had most of himself but hedged. Yeah, we just talked about that. I'm no expert on cross books, but I'm hoping he meant that he has he had other people take a percentage of the side bet or whatever. But for a minute, I thought, does he mean that he has bets against himself? Which, of course, would be unethical and ludicrous. Anyway, main point is it seems extremely convoluted and was, was wondering your opinion. Thanks for the content. Well, first of all, by the way, that guy texted before I did the segment, so it wasn't that he didn't listen to the segment properly. He just he texted that about uh, two hours ago. So th- thank you for that text. But as far as uh, the backers, yeah, I was kind of confused by that too. I don't exactly know what he means. I see. I don't know what he means by hedge. He said kind of two contradictory things. One kind of seemed like he sold off some of his side bet action, so this way he won't get absolutely clobbered for a million dollars or a million euro if he loses to someone like Perkins or Chance Cornuth. But then he talked about how he took other side bets on the action, which would seem like it increased his side bet action. I, I don't know. It wasn't totally clear. So you weren't crazy. I didn't understand it either. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. If you want to get in your texts. Taking a look at the chat room before we move on to our next topic here. I am Greek, suggesting ask for a slot host. That's not a bad idea. That's you know I'm going to call back. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> so, disposition saying Dwight needs a spittoon. He does need a spittoon. I I got to get a sound effect of a spittoon for when he calls and, just, and play him spitting during the phone call. That, that's a great idea. In fact, I should have not read that and just pretended I came up with that myself and and, and stolen the idea. Let's see if I can find a spittoon sound effect. <laughs> okay, that's. A, I'm going to use that. 
That's a great idea. I can't wait during the phone call to do. <laughs> okay, I, I got to call this number back just for that reason. We'll have the introduction to our spittoon. Resorts of Wendover, this is Gwen. Oh, uh, yeah, oh, this is uh, Dwight Thornwood again. I, I was thinking here about this here promotion. Uh, I'm going to be kind of busy in the next few days. And uh, Is there a way we can speak to a slot host who might be on duty right now? Um, I can I can give you someone's voicemail. No, they that ain't gonna like from th- tournaments or special events. No, there ain't no one there right now at at, at twelve thirty a.m. Nope. Who, who's who's uh, one, one second here? Mm. Sorry about that. Um, uh, there ain't no uh, slot host on duty right now, right? No, no one that can help with what you're asking about. All right, all right. Well, until mm-hmm. after tomorrow after nine. All right. Well, I'll call back uh, tomorrow and. Uh, I'll, I'll call back tomorrow. All right. Thank, thank you very much. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, at least I got to use this platoon. All righty. Well, but, could, but, Ruff, couldn't you uh, – didn't you say there were multiple hotels in that area? I have a feeling they're all the same way. I, I'm, I'm giving up on this for now. We're, we're, we'll do it next week. We'll do, we just got to remember to do it before 11 Pacific time. Uh, as much as I don't want to table this, we, we have like a million more topics, like like literally a million. So I think we have to move on. Okay, cool. moving on to WSOP.com as a new manager. And they kind of announced it, but in typical WSOP.com fashion, they didn't really announce it. As usual, they are not very transparent, and even when they're being transparent, they're really not being transparent. I will explain what I mean by this. So back in uh, September... Bill Reaney, the much maligned head of WSOP.com, who had been the head of the site for six years, pretty much since the beginning, resigned. He quit. And at first there was some belief he got fired, but he did not. He quit, he resigned, and he moved to Thailand. Or at least he planned to move to Thailand. But whatever it was, it appeared it was something that he decided on his own. Bill Reaney was disliked by just about everybody who played actively on that site. And even though Reini clearly is a smart guy and a capable guy in many ways, this was the absolute wrong job for him. And we did a show in September where the, the title of that show is called Bye Bye Bill. And you can hear like an hour-long segment where you hear everything that Bill Reini did wrong. We're not going to talk about that here. Uh, suffice to say, the guy was terrible at customer service. He actually privated his Twitter so you couldn't even access him on Twitter anymore. And, uh, and and he'd kind of go into his shell and hide the second that anything difficult is asked of him. Even if he's not being criticized, even if just something he doesn't want to deal with, he just would hide from it. It was He was like the opposite of a good manager. He was someone who liked to be behind the scenes and not deal with people. Maybe Maybe he's okay dealing with fellow employees, but he did not want to deal with customers. He was very, like, customer non-facing, and that's terrible for a, a manager. And it's not like he designated people below him who were capable to deal with the customers. They just weren't dealt with, and they were just ignored. And the, he was absolutely disliked. And even on top of that, he didn't manage the room well. So, yes, the, the Nevada market was never good for online poker. Yes, even combining with New Jersey, the market wasn't big enough. Yes, it never could have been a huge site, given the way it stands right now, with anybody in charge. But in my opinion, he did about as bad of a job as possible. And it was just my opinion. You ask anybody who regularly played on WCB.com, they will tell you the same thing. Just, just ask anyone who you know plays on there a lot and ask, what did you think of manager Bill Reaney? And you're going to hear terrible things. And that's, that's the fact. And that's, it went on for years this way. 
And I just wondered why it took so long for him to not be there anymore. He didn't get fired. He finally left on his own. And he moved to Thailand, and I, I felt that one of the reasons he left was that he realized this wasn't going to develop into something huge. He wasn't going to be the head of something that's the, the next poker stars. He realized that he's running a fail site that it may never get bigger than it is, and even if it does, it's years away because they've got to wait for California to legalize it, and maybe even then it won't be that big. So I think he realized he's getting older. He doesn't, he doesn't want to wait for this to happen. He doesn't want to be the manager of a fail site with 100 people on and, and, and all this criticism he gets on Twitter. He's someone who is very bad at social media, someone who's very bad at taking criticism, someone very bad has a very thin skin, someone who doesn't like uh, dealing with, with customer concerns or controversies or complaints. He just is not management customer-facing management material, and he was the wrong hire. I understood why he got hired, because he had credentials that made it look like he would be a good hire, because he had experience in online poker sites from a managerial standpoint, but he was a software manager, not a customer-facing manager at other sites in the past, and here there wasn't much to do with software, because they were licensing existing software from 888. So totally the wrong hire, and he left in September. We already talked about that, and that's all the coverage I'm going to give to Bill Rini on this episode. If you want to hear the whole thing about him, go back to September 2019. So who was the next manager? Well, it appeared that they were flying without a manager. They were flying on autopilot for a while because they did not name a successor, and it seemed like maybe they were not going to put one in place until the sale to El Dorado went through. Because remember, Caesars has been bought. And maybe they were just waiting for El Dorado to take over and let them deal with appointing a new manager of WSOB.com. And the truth was it probably didn't need a manager in the short term because it, it, it was pretty much just in a holding pattern. They, they weren't introducing anything new. It's kind of a fail site. They, don't want, they probably don't want to invest a lot more money into it. So, so maybe it was better to have no manager for a while and just kind of let it go. In fact, truthfully, for the last several years, having Bill Rini as the manager was like having no manager. So it really wasn't much of a difference. In fact, nobody even noticed the difference. And that's the way it seemed to sit. And it was assumed, though never announced, that they just didn't have a manager and probably were not going to have one until the sale till El Dorado went through. Well, not true. There is a manager now. Except that manager was never announced. They never said, here's the new manager. The new manager never sent an email to everybody saying, hey, everyone, here I am. I'm the new manager of WSOP.com. Nice to meet you all. No, nothing like that. This is how we found out that there's a new manager of WSOP.com. And keep in mind, this is somewhat of a big deal because WSOP.com is where they hold these online events where they award bracelets during the World Series. And this is the only functional legalized online poker site in the state of Nevada. And it's one of the major players of legalized poker sites in the state of New Jersey. And it's the only legalized online poker site in the state of Delaware, and presumably they want to expand elsewhere, though for some reason they didn't seem to try to expand it to Pennsylvania. So you would think this is kind of a big deal that they have a new manager, but for whatever reason, they did not announce this new manager is in place. Except they made reference to this new manager in a press release about the WSOP online bracelets in 2020. So here's the first indication they have a manager now. And I don't know when she was hired, but this here's the first... Uh, indication that they actually have a new manager. Here's a quote from the press release of the online bracelet events at the World Series of Poker 2020. 
We believe the 2020 offering of online gold bracelets events features our best schedule yet, said WSOP.com's director of online poker, Danielle Burreal. What? We didn't know that she was the director of online poker. Like, this is just out of the blue. She's just there. Now, it didn't say she's the manager, but it, it sounds pretty close to the manager. Director of online poker, Danielle Burreal. Well, that kind of sounds like that she is managing WSOP.com as it pertains to the online poker portion, but she's not managing like the content on WSOP.com. Because WSOP.com is also a website that you go to for information on the World Series. It, it seems like it's showing that she doesn't run that, as Bill Reaney also didn't run that, but that she's running the online poker portion. It really sounds like she has Bill Reaney's job. But that's the first we're hearing of this. It's a typical World Series to let us know this way. She goes on to say, This year we offer a consistent schedule of Sunday events every week of the World Series, plus a special selection of eight events from June 28th to July 5th to coincide with the biggest week of the World Series of Poker when most players are in town to play. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. It's just a very standard quote about what they're offering at WCB.com during the World Series. That quote by itself, very unexciting, but... The only interesting part of it is introducing Danielle Burreal as the new director of online poker. So who is this? Who is Danielle Burreal? Had I heard of her before? Answer, no. Have you heard of her before? I'm guessing answer, no. So who is she? I'd heard of Bill Reaney before, but I, I've never heard of Danielle Burreal. So I looked her up. You can see Danielle Burreal's tweets and also see a picture of her if you go to twitter.com slash Ye gone. That's Y E E, and then the word gone. G O N E. Ye gone. Twitter.com slash Ye gone. Her Twitter picture seems to have been taken in the Cosmopolitan, and she seems to be wearing some sort of like club outfit. She's wearing these thigh high boots and like a, a see through black outfit, and then a non see through outfit under the see through outfit. It looks like she's going to a nightclub. She looks like she's in her early 30s, and I have no idea who she is. She looks like an attractive woman, but aside from that, I don't know anything about her. And I don't know whether she's capable. I don't know anything about her at all. So I looked up a little bit more. And this is what it says on her LinkedIn. That she worked for Poker News as their business operations manager from May 2011 to October 2012. Then she was at WSOP.com, or actually specifically Caesars Interactive Entertainment, which is their branch that handles the World Series, uh, WSOP.com, uh, and I think they own the World Series too. But uh, So she was a business operations analyst, whatever that is, from uh, May 2013, basically when they opened, to December 2013. She became manager of business operations from January 2014 through October 2014. Senior manager product and operations October 2014 to present. And it has not been updated to say that she's currently the director of online poker, which seems like it's so recent she didn't even update her LinkedIn. So she's been with WSOP.com since the beginning, which now is coming up on seven years. And started off probably lower on the totem pole and slowly moved up from uh, analyst to manager to senior manager and now the director of WSOP.com. It kind of seems like they just sat there in a holding pattern and think, ah, yeah, Danielle seems like a pretty good employee. Okay, she'll be manager. Now, again, I don't know if she's going to be good at this or not. It's hard to imagine she could be worse than Bill Reaney. 
She has pretty much no Twitter presence. She occasionally tweets, but she has not tweeted since January 15th, and that is now more than five weeks ago. So that's showing that she's not very active there. She seems to be a, a hockey fan. Uh, it does seem like she's friends with Matt Berkey because they uh, they interacted a little bit on Twitter on January 10th, and the way Berkey was talking to her, it kind of seemed like they were friends, which, believe it or not, may actually be a good sign that, that, that Berkey's friends with her. That may seem at least she's... She may be a little... At least she's somewhat engaged with people who are known in poker, which is good. Bill Breen was kind of just like in his own shell. And it, it's kind of helpful when you have someone who is friends with some known pros there and doesn't want to look bad in front of them. So that may actually be a good thing that she's friends with Berkey. Other than that, I can't see much. Other than that, it's just uh, the occasional tweets. She's kind of tweeting on average once every three weeks from what I can see. And that's it. She's played a little bit of poker. You can see a few live poker results for her. She seems to be a hockey fan, and, and that's about it. And she tweets occasionally, and that's about it. And I don't know. I don't know if this is a job that she is qualified for, or if they just kind of promoted her because there wasn't really anyone else to promote. Or if they just gave it to her because she's done a good job at the other position she's had there. Who knows? I wonder also if she is getting paid anywhere near what Rini was being paid. I don't know what Rini was being paid, but I, I had a feeling that he was being paid well because he had a management position and I have a feeling he was very much overpaid because they were believing WSOP.com was going to be something huge and they put a lot of money into it. That I know. And they probably wanted someone who they thought was high quality and they wanted to pay someone who they felt was high quality what they were worth. Turned out he wasn't worth very much and it turned out that the site was a fail. Turned out even if he was good, the site would have been a fail, but probably not as much of a fail. But still, I have a feeling he was making a good salary. But now that they see that it's a fail site, and it's not, it's probably losing money still. It was losing money, I know, but it probably is still losing money. Uh, I have a feeling that if they're promoting someone from within, who when they hired this person uh, seven years ago, was just kind of coming in at the ground floor, I have a feeling they don't have to pay them what they were paying Rini. That's just speculation on my part. Also, she's young, so it's, it's different. It's different when you have someone who was a software manager at major online poker sites who probably made good money in Bill Reaney, who's an older guy and all that. And you, you have some woman who's in her early 30s who's kind of slowly moved up within the company. Uh, you could totally see where that person is going to be paid less. But uh, here's a question, which I got an answer to from someone on Poker Fraud Alert. And keep in mind, this is one person's opinion. But Aaron Mikehunt, who plays on uh, WCB.com in New Jersey, I was saying, I wonder if, they've, if things have changed much. And he said, they have made some small, horrible changes to promotions, but everything else seems status quo. <laughs> That's not a good start. I don't know what the small, horrible changes to promotions were, but that uh, Aaron Mikehunt is not impressed so far. Now, maybe these were before she took over, but I don't know. For sure, there has not been a big splash. Let me tell you the right way to do things. It seems like this is a theme of tonight's episode. I told uh, Phil Galfond the right way to do things with his site. Now I'm going to tell Danielle Burreal the right thing to do. The right thing to do, because keep in mind, everyone was so frustrated with Bill Reaney for years and years. So while it would not be good form to show up bashing Bill Reaney as the 
former person holding your position, the right thing to do is to show up and be the anti-Bill Reini. The right thing to do, if you're Daniel Bayreel, is to email everybody. Say, hi, everybody. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Daniel Bayreel, and I am the new director of online poker at WSB.com. Here's some exciting things we have coming up, blah, 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 blah. And if you've got any uh, issues or questions uh, about the site, uh, please contact customer support. But if you have something you'd like to bring to me, here's my email address. And, uh, and we, you know, we're, we're going to try to make it uh, really great going forward, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to criticize Bill Reini, of course. You can just uh, basically say, here I am. I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to be very engaging. Here's a way to reach me. Uh, I'm very excited. We're going to make this site great again. Well, you don't, you don't want to say to make it great again because that kind of bashes Bill Reini. But uh, you know what I'm saying. Just say, I'm very excited. We're going to do great things going forward. And that's perfectly fine to say. But to be introduced in this way, where it's just mentioned in a press release that you're quoted as far as what the offerings are going to be during uh, the World Series, I don't think that's the proper way to introduce someone. I don't know why she didn't introduce herself. It's a little bit strange to me. But uh, Danielle, advice, introduce yourself now. It's not too late. You're still pretty new there as far as I can tell, as far as to this role. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've been there since uh, September, but I have a feeling you're pretty new. To this position. I know you've been with a company for six years or seven years, but introduce yourself. Be the opposite of Bill Reini. I'm not going to criticize you. I don't know you. Maybe you're very competent. Maybe you're going to do a fantastic job, or at least as good of a job as one can do under the tough circumstances there. And maybe I'll be very impressed. So I don't want to say anything bad, but make your presence known. The manager of WSOP.com should not be hiding or should not be someone you have to dig to find out who they are. They should be very visible. And look at Party Poker, for example, right now. Rob Young, he's all over the place. Rob Young is all over social media. And that's smart. Even uh, this Phil Nagy of ACR, even though he pisses people off sometimes, he's, uh, other than when he disappears for a while during controversies, you know, at least he's front and center. People know who he is. And he will be public about some things. But uh, nobody even knows who Danielle Bear really is, or even that she's the manager of WSDP.com. This was something that I noticed, and this is something that uh, a few others I know have noticed just from reading these press releases. But uh, you ask most players on there who's the manager right now, they have no clue, or they think it's still Bill. They really leave me scratching their head, my head sometimes at the World Series, and especially WSDP.com. That's, that's my advice to you guys, and good luck to Danielle. And I hope you do a better job than Bill did. And I'm serious about that. I'm not being sarcastic here. I hope I hope Danielle does a good job. I hope WSB.com thrives and does well because I want to see legalized online poker work in the United States and be a success. And I also would love to see an active site that I can play on when I'm in Nevada. I would love that too. So I, I'm not being sarcastic or falsely polite by saying I hope you succeed. I do hope you succeed. And I also hope you're someone I can go to if I have problems there, because Bill was not. So I hope that, Danielle. And if you're listening to this, feel free to contact me. I'll give you some advice, free advice. I'll do it very politely, very respectfully. 775-372-8355. You can text me anytime, and I'll give you my take on what the players want to see. Okay. Uh, See, Druff, I wouldn't be surprised if they just had to get a press release out, hadn't hired anybody to fill Bill's shoes, 
and then just said, "I'll put her name on it in that title." <laughs> that's that's not a, that's not even a bad uh, theory. Wow, I didn't think of that. But yeah, what if what if they had to quote somebody and they're like, "Shit, we have nobody to quote." Uh, hey Danielle, do you want to be named? Oh, this? Danielle, oh, we can't say she's that. Just say she's the director of. of yeah, you know, of online poker. Well, they had to tell her, but yeah, like Danielle, hey, we're going to say we're, we're going to say you're the director of online poker. Is that cool? Yeah, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> little, little did she now she's getting complaints from all around the world. <laughs> yeah, little she knows she's getting talked about on the show, and I'm talking about what she's wearing in her picture, and she's like, oh, how, how, how did I get this? Where did this come from? But okay, well we'll see where it goes. We'll see if at any point she introduces herself. I, I'm wondering, like in three months, if we'll know anything more. Like, will will she make any contact with anyone? Will she make any statement about herself before the World Series even starts? Or is she just, is she just going to like be there? Is it just is it going to be like a dream? You know, like in dreams where you're just there. It has no beginning and no end. You're just you're just in a situation where it, it nothing really preceded it. You're just there and you accept that. It's kind of like that with Daniel Burial. You're just like they're just like talking about the online events and just oh yeah, so Daniel Burial is commenting on this. You're like well, wait a minute, when, when was she? Okay, oh, yeah, I guess I guess she's the director. <laughs> just, it's just you're just there. She's just there. Someone said uh, send her an invite to be on the show in the chat. I, I'd love to, but I can't even reach her. I asked her on Twitter, can you confirm you're the new WSOP.com director of online poker? And I got no answer. Why? Because she does not use Twitter. She, has, she hasn't used Twitter in the last five weeks, from what I can see. So I, I don't think she's ignoring me. I think she hasn't seen it, and I don't know how to reach her. That's, I, I'd love to have her come on the show. That, that's not a bad idea, though. Like If, a, if she is reachable, I, I would like to have her on here. And, and you know, I'll be polite. I'm not going to like come at her really critically and like a jerk. Uh, I'll ask some questions I think everybody wants the answers to. But I, and I won't ask that she bash Bill Reaney. I know there's certain things you can't do. In a uh, company environment, especially a corporate environment, so I, I'm realistic that way. But I can ask her going forward, what are you going to do? And, yeah, that'd be interesting. If we could reach her to have her on the show. Yeah, not a bad idea. But first they had to reach her. We'll have to see if she even comes forward. All right. Let's move on here to our next topic. About Matt Glantz and Doug Polk. And this one is, I've already taken heat about this topic on the forum. So that's uh, we'll see if the radio listeners agree with those in the forum, or if they agree with me, or if it's split. The forum is really giving it to me pretty hard for this one. And keep in mind, I, I made the initial post without even making any commentary. I just uh, posted what I saw. So the tweet in question started off very, very innocently and just very mundane, something that isn't particularly exciting, and that was on February 21st. Doug Polk tweeted three words. Loving New Orleans. Okay. New Orleans can be a fun place. It's an interesting place. If you haven't been there, I recommend you go. So, all right, I would never make that a topic of the show. I guess what I write, Doug Polk's in New Orleans and he's loving it. Like, never would I talk about this on this show. Until, until that same day, Matt Glantz, a listener to this show responded to Doug Polk, and Doug Polk was probably surprised at what Matt Glantz knew. Matt Glantz wrote back, I have a really good gay friend who said he saw you in a gay bar tonight in New Orleans. I told him it couldn't be you, that you live in Vegas. Was it fun? I'm in for next time. I bet you were a hot item. Oh, boy. 
keep in mind, all Duck Polk wanted you to know is he just likes New Orleans. He's loving New Orleans. And then Matt Glass is like, yeah, well, I heard you were at a gay bar for my gay friend in New Orleans. And I thought it had to be like a lookalike. But, yeah, you're there. Okay. So I bet they were loving you. <laughs> so keep in mind, Doug Polk was not coming out saying, hey, guys, I'm loving New Orleans. We're at this gay bar. It's really fun. That's not what happened. Doug Polk didn't want you guys to know he's at a gay bar. He just says loving New Orleans. And then Matt Glantz is like, hey, wow, that's funny. I just told my friend it couldn't be you. And yeah, it was you. Well, someone named Sam Rothstein II, which is kind of weird because Jews are never like the second or third. That's uh, that's there's in the Jewish religion. It's considered that it's almost like wishing that your relative is going to die if they name them the same as the person that's still alive. Because in, in the Jewish religion, when you name someone after someone else, you're naming them after a dead relative, not a living relative. And if you do name them after a living relative, it's like you're wishing that relative dies. But somehow we have Sam Rothstein II. Maybe that's not his real name. Maybe but he's not Jewish. Just maybe, kidding. Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's Sam Rothstein who's actually Christian. That would be interesting. But Sam Rothstein II says, uh, hate to be that guy, but it seems really homophobic. Is this a joke or what? And he's saying this to Mac Lance. And so Mac Lance says, it's not a joke, actually, and I'm probably not homophobic if I'm, quote, in for next time. Now, I believe that. I don't think Mac Lance is trying to be homophobic or mock him for being in a gay bar. In fact, Mac Lance is saying, wow, that's funny because I just told my friend that it couldn't be you. It turns out it was. And, hey, you know, next time uh, you want to go to a gay bar, I'll come along with you. Now, I want to say, first of all, I don't think Mac Lance is gay or bi. He's, he's married. I don't think he's secretly bisexual. Uh, I don't think Doug Polk is gay or bi. Maybe he is. Maybe that's why he wasn't telling anyone he was there but uh, at the gay bar. But uh, I don't think Doug Polk is gay or bi. If I had to guess, he was probably there with some gay friend he has in New Orleans. Or maybe he was just with some buddies. There's a lot of gay bars in New Orleans. And maybe they were walking by one and they're like, oh, that'd be funny. Let's go to a gay bar. Like, it could have been something like that. So uh, I'm not... I'm not trying to say, and it's important for everyone to understand here, I'm not trying to say that Doug Polk is gay or bi, and I'm not saying that Mac Lance is gay or bi. I'd be very surprised if he was. Uh, so, I, But I thought this was funny because Doug wasn't trying to reveal this, and this is one of these cases where Doug's relative fame, because if you play poker, there's a very good chance you know who Doug Polk is. And since there's a lot of poker players out there, it's not that surprising that Mac Lance has a friend in New Orleans who's gay and plays poker and sees Doug Polk. He's like, oh, wow, it's Doug Polk. And that's that's one problem when you're well-known like Doug Polk is that everything you do, someone sees and reports back to someone they know, and it eventually gets out on social media. And again, I, Mac Glance was not trying to humiliate him or anything. He was like, oh, that's funny. My friend just mentioned he saw you. Like, I, I really don't think Mac Glance was trying to do this to, to embarrass him in any way. Uh, how did Doug Polk respond? He just responded with uh, the picture of uh, the, the emoji of kissing back to him. <laughs> but notice that Doug didn't say, oh, no, that wasn't me. That's so strange. Like, he's pretty much like, oh, yeah, you, you caught me. Okay, I was at a gay bar. So that's all I posted. I did not post, like, Doug is gay or, or he shouldn't be there or whatever. I, I didn't, nothing like that. So immediately the forum attacked me. One Marley One wrote, you are such a tool. Dupes Meriton wrote, what is this, 2004? So I wrote back to Dupe Samaritan. I said, have you been in a gay bar? I've never had the desire to enter one. What would be the point? And then people jumped all over me again. Now, so basically everybody's point to me was, you don't have to be gay to go into a gay bar. 
uh, people just to go in there. They, they have a good time. They're, they're fun places to be. Uh, you know, this, you shouldn't be so afraid of this. It's just, it's just with other people. You're not going to get hit on. It's fine. You know, it's a, that's a lot of straight people going to gay bars. My response. Now, first of all, I should say I don't go to bars anyway because I don't drink. So bars to me are not appealing anyway. Taking the, ignoring the whole gay element. Like if it be a straight bar with not a single gay person in there. It's not appealing to me because, one, I don't drink, and two, everybody else is drunk or, or at least buzzed, and it's hard to even have a conversation with them. It's noisy. The, the people, it's hard for them to pay attention to what's going on or any conversation. Like I've, had to, I've been in bars before, and I'll like try to talk to the people I'm with, and very often it's so hard to have a conversation between the noise and the, and the, and the people drinking and not really being all there. It's, it's just an environment I don't really like. Uh, but you add the gay bar aspect on top of it, and it's not that I'm concerned about being around gay people. That that part's fine. It's that I feel like a gay bar is a place mainly for gays to congregate and meet each other. So guys who are looking to meet other guys for dating or sex or whatever, uh, they don't have to, in normal life, to have to go around figuring out who's gay, who's not gay. That. You're going into a gay bar where gay people congregate, and it's uh, you can pretty you can feel pretty safe to flirt with or hit on other guys, and and not worry about getting pushback because uh, they're probably gay too. And as long as they're interested in you, then something might happen. So I I would in fact I would think that gay people would be annoyed to have straight men in a gay bar because you know they they approach some guy they like, they start talking to them, they think okay I'm getting somewhere, okay we're having a great conversation, I wonder if we'll go home together, and then they find out uh, 45 minutes in, oh yeah by the way I'm straight. <laughs> I have to imagine that would be frustrating. If I were a gay man, I would be very annoyed by that. I, I would, if I were a gay man going to a gay bar, I would want either all gay guys there or it to be very clear somehow who the straight ones were. I would not want to waste my time flirting with or hitting on straight guys if I were gay. Because you'd get nowhere. So I would think that the gay guys would probably prefer that there are all, all other gay guys there. And so, so I would not enjoy being there because I wouldn't want to have that whole situation. I wouldn't want like a guy comes and sits down and talks to me. I don't know if he's just being friendly or if he likes me. He wants to, you know, he's hoping we're going to have sex or hoping we're going to be dating. And I'm like, and like, okay, when do, when do I address this? When do I break it to him? When do I say, oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know I'm straight. Like, it's kind of awkward. Like, who wants this? Like, I, I don't have to do this in real life. Like, in the World Series when I'm walking around, some guy comes up into me and talks to me, whether it's someone who knows me from the radio or not. Just, you know, someone starts talking to me. I don't think, oh, well, I, I bet that dude wants to bang me. I just think I get some dude talking to me or some dude knows me from radio and we just talk. It never comes even slightly to my mind that there could be any. I, I know when you do it, Jeff. I know when you do it. When? After he bought you the third drink. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, like, it's, it's something I don't have to worry about. And now I admit that at this point in my life, when I'm getting close to 50 years old, and if I went into a gay bar, I probably wouldn't be bothered that much because I'm I'm kind of too old. They're, they're not going to like all swarm me. Like there, there's some straight men who have this delusion that just because a guy is gay, they're going to hit on them, and that's not how it works. It's uh, um, gay men have standards too. They have types too, and there's not uh, uh, the older you get and the the fatter you get, <laughs> the less appealing you are to most gay men. And uh, so, so I'm not saying the gay men are going to swarm me the second I come in there and, and, and all want to take me home. Uh, and I think if I went into a gay bar 25 years ago, I think I'd be a much bigger hit than I would be today. In fact, I, I know I would. But uh, but it's not 25 years ago. It's in the present. So I can say that probably today if I went into a gay bar, I'm not saying nobody would bother me, but there's a decent chance that I wouldn't be getting too many guys hitting on me there. Uh, but 
ignoring that, I just I would find it irritating to have to even deal with this or think about this. And and someone said to me, "Well, now you know how straight women feel in a regular bar." I go, "Well, yes, actually, actually, yes." And I've thought of that before. And as much as I'm one who questions these claims of male privilege and all this that we're hearing about today, I will admit there are some areas in life where males do have privilege. There's areas where females have privilege too, but this is one area where a male has privilege is that uh, in, in most cases, if you're a straight male, in, in daily life, you don't have to worry about like dudes hitting on you or even women aggressively hitting on you that you're not interested in. You can just – you can usually – if you're a dude, you can usually just go about daily life and nobody hits on you that you don't want to have hit on you. And that's – if you're a female – especially of a female who's under 35, who's average-looking or better, you're going to constantly have dudes trying to flirt with you and hit on you, and it's very annoying. And I can imagine that's something that kind of sucks about being a woman. And I've thought about that before. I've, I've thought of more for, you know, wow, it's, it's, I'm glad that I'm not female, uh, among other reasons. That, that's a big one, that I don't have to deal with uh, aggressive and perverted dudes constantly bothering me. <laughs> Even if I were a straight female, it would bother me. Because yeah, I, if I were a straight female, there'd be a number of dudes I wouldn't like, and they'd be constantly bothering me and hitting on me. Like, uh, you know, who'd want that? So I, I, I feel for the women who have to deal with this, and I can empathize with that, even being a straight male. And I've thought about it, but uh, um, I wouldn't want to put myself in that position. It just wouldn't be fun for me. And keep in mind, I don't really like bars anyway, so I, I wouldn't have the desire to go into a gay bar. And even if I did like bars, I don't think I'd have a desire to go into gay bars because I'd say, well. I can go into a bar that's not gay and not have this happen. And you can go to a bar that's not gay and there will be gay guys there. But if it's a regular bar, the gay guys are going to assume most guys there are straight and and probably would not uh, bother hitting on the guys that aren't giving some kind of sign that they're gay. So it would be the same thing. It would be fine. So th- that's that's my opinion. Now, what about a, a guy who goes to a gay bar that enjoys it there, who's straight? Fine. I'm not saying don't go. I, I wasn't making the point don't go. I wasn't even criticizing Doug. For going. I'm not criticizing Matt for having the desire to go next time Doug goes. I, I'm just saying to me it's not something I find appealing and I, and I just don't really understand what guys, even guys who drink, find appealing about it. So, but I actually asked this in the forum and of course people bashed me there. But the, a number of them told little stories about going to gay bars and basically that uh, just everyone's having fun, that uh, that there's just a lot of crazy things going on that as long as you aren't bothered by the sight of like dudes kissing and, and messing around with each other there, as long as you can get past that, then uh, it, it can be fun there and that you're going to get bothered a lot less than you think you would. That might be true, especially if you're older. Uh, but still, like, why invite that at all? And you may wonder, have I ever been in a gay bar? Answer, No. Have I been, like, invited to go into one? Yes. There's, there's been, like, I, this goes all the way back, in fact, to uh, when I was very young. A, a girl I was with, we were walking by a gay bar, among other things. We just passed by a gay bar. She's like, oh, we should go in there. That'd be funny. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to go in there. <laughs> and that was probably a wise decision on my part. Because at that age, uh, I, I'm sure that I would have been approached and bothered. And that's... Uh, if you go back, and I've occasionally posted some older pictures of myself from like the late 80s and early to mid-90s. And if you, if you look at the pictures of me then, I didn't look gay, but I uh, let's just say I, I believe that a lot of the men in these bars would have been interested in those days. 
<laughs> in fact, I know that because I, I had, without going into gay bars, I, I, I had some experiences where I was in places with a number of gay people, and I, I was uh, harassed a lot, let's just say. And it was kind of like at those moments when I learned, okay, like, wow, women have to go through a lot of crap. I feel bad for them. I, like, I'm never going to be that guy. <laughs> and I haven't been. Like, I, I've never been that, like, aggressive guy who makes unwanted or advantages to, to women. Like, I've always been very careful that any women that I show sexual or romantic interest in seems to have an interest in me, too. And if I'm not getting that vibe, I just would never do it. And I, part of the reason is I think about, like, if I were a woman, how would I feel if, like, guys were doing this to me? And I'd say this, I'd feel crappy and I'd feel uncomfortable. So I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy doing that. And I've always shown a lot of respect to women in that way. And, and you won't find a single woman anywhere who will tell you that I've ever sexually harassed them or propositioned them. Even, you know, when, even when I was single, you won't find a single woman that will ever tell you that... I made unwanted advances at them because I just, that's never been me and I've always been careful to be respectful and not do that. But I know a lot of guys are not careful like that. Straight and gay. There's a lot of just aggressive, horny guys out there that just come at them very strong. And it sucks. And if you're the object of a gay guy's affection, then it's annoying. And if you're a woman who's the object of a straight guy's affection, it's the same thing pretty much. It's uh if you don't want it, and they're kind of uh, trying to press pretty hard to make it happen, it, it sucks. So I, I got to experience this somewhat when I was much younger. doesn't happen anymore, but when I was much younger, and I was in certain places where there were a lot of uh, gay men, then uh, this happened. So it's not even like, I'm not even engaging these delusions that, uh, oh, I bet gay men would have been attracted to me. They, they were. Okay, and they, and I didn't like it. Uh, now, if I could, if I've I've had it where I've posted a picture of myself from a long time ago, and some gay guy will say, "Oh wow, you were hot back then. I would have gotten with you." There, I'm actually kind of flattered. I'm like, "Oh, that's nice," because I'm not there anymore. I'm not. Th- I'm not. I don't look like that anymore. So uh, I, I don't care about hearing that some gay guy would have been attracted to me 25 years ago. In fact, it's flattering that they think I was good looking. But uh, but back then, it was annoying. To, to have happened. Now, this didn't happen to me every day, but if I went somewhere that a lot of gay men were, then this did happen. So, uh, I just have no desire to go there, to gay bars. But boy, on the forum, were they all over me about that. And I I think they were believing that I was saying negative things about gay people that that I wasn't. And I never, you'll look at the whole thread, I wasn't saying anything bad about gay people. And uh, and I sometimes say, well, I bet you don't have any gay friends. It's not true. I, I do have some gay male friends. I do have, uh, in fact, a friend who is a transsexual. Who, when I knew him originally, he, he wasn't. Now, now it's uh, he lives as a woman, and that's uh, you know. I, I I interact with these people the same way I interact with with straight males in my life. I don't treat them any differently. I don't even comment on uh, on what their sexuality is or current gender identity is. As long as they treat me respectfully, I treat them respectfully, and I don't bring this stuff up. It's like. Uh, Unless there's a reason to talk about it, so it's not, I'm not afraid of interacting with gay people, and uh, uh, I've talked before on this show at PLOL, who's a member of the forum. I actually went to go meet him at 11:30 at night alone. I, I left my girlfriend to go meet a young gay guy at Caesars. I did, and uh, and we went to dinner, and he, he he bought me dinner, which was nice, and uh, 
So, you know, it, it, it's nothing against gay guys, and I know there's some gay listeners to this show, and that's fine. And I, I, I feel if, if you are gay, and that's the way you are, then uh, you shouldn't try to change that, and you should live whatever life that uh, you want to live. And, uh, and if you're attracted to other men, then be with another man. That's what I would do. If I was attracted to men, then I'd be with a man. I wouldn't force myself to be with a woman if I liked men. I didn't like women. But that's not the way it fell for me. I like women. I don't like men in a, in a sexual or romantic way. So that's uh, so I'm straight. But if I were if I were gay, I would be gay. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be one of these guys like living a, a false life. But at the same time, I I just can't see why I would go into a bar where the whole point is to be with other gay people. And to where it's supposed to be acceptable for everybody to flirt with each other and hit on each other and everything like that. I think they wouldn't want me there and I wouldn't want to be there. But at the same time, like in, in just normal environments, I'm, I don't care if there's gay people around. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. So that's, that's my opinion on this. And I, I think I, I still don't see anything wrong with what I said. And that's my personal preference not to go to gay bars I just don't see what there would be for me at a gay bar, even if I did drink. Uh, Trader Ruski, have you ever been to a gay bar? You know, I was thinking about it when you're talking, and I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I just, I, I didn't, uh, and I've, I've walked by him. I've looked in. I just, uh, I just haven't had uh, much desire to do it. I think a lot of people on the forum will respond negatively because they want they want to show off how with it they are that they're not these old stodgy people who don't understand uh, that they want they want to show they've evolved. That they they they're so tolerant of everybody and they, the gay people don't intimidate them or bother them. They can go to a gay bar and have fun and while they're straight and and, and feel secure blah 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 and then, and look at this uh this old out of touch guy drop even though I'm younger than some of them uh and, and they can feel better. But you know it's not that. I just, I don't see the point. Now, if people want to go, like, I, I don't know what Doug Polk was doing there, but there's a lot of reasons he could have been there for reasons other than anything with hooking up with guys. So that's, uh, I just, I, I, the reason this isn't even a topic, if, if Doug just posted, hey, I'm in New Orleans and I'm at a gay bar, it's really fun. I wouldn't even make this a topic because, okay, whatever. He is a, he is a straight guy going to a gay bar, whatever. If he, if he came out as gay or bi, that would be a topic, just because he's a prominent player in poker. But just that he was at a gay bar in New Orleans is having fun, uh, I, I would not make that a topic. It was the fact that he wasn't revealing that, and Matt Glantz revealed it for him. That was the funny thing, especially since Matt Glantz is a listener to this show. Matt Glantz actually posted uh, in that thread, which he usually doesn't. Matt Glantz is not a regular poster on the forum by any means. But I'll tell you what Matt Glantz said. In fact, this is his first post ever. He, he registered on the site four and a half years ago, and this is his first post. He said, LOL, confirmed true. Doug was at a gay bar. Hilarious that you, may guys, you guys made a thread for this. Well, it wasn't you guys. It was me. Doug and I both have close friends that are gay. I have relatives that are gay. It's, it's really not a big deal in 2020, guys. But see, I'm not, see, Mac doesn't understand this either. I'm not saying it's a big deal. I, I just thought it was funny. Right, but I think, I mean, aren't they saying, because I could see how... If Doug was gay and didn't come out, and then he tweets about it, like shouldn't they be on him for doing that? Well, and some people were, so, and, and, and I wasn't one of them, by the way. I, I wasn't one who, who criticized Matt for this, but there were some people who were saying, ah, that's you know, that's why that guy said it was homophobic. Like they, they thought he was like making fun of Doug 
saying, oh, guess, guess who's at a gay bar in New Orleans? I really don't think Matt meant it that way. I think Matt was more thinking of, because I think Matt really is someone, like a straight guy who will go to gay bars and, and uh, not even think twice about it. So he was like, oh, that's funny. My, my gay friend actually said uh, that he thought he saw you. And I was like, no, it must have been a Doug Polk lookalike. And oh, what do you know? It's you. I, I think that's what it was on his mind when he was responding, not like, oh, I'm going to be outing. Right, just the funny story because it's such a non-issue. Yeah, I think that's the way he saw it. And then some people are like, "Whoa, look, you're you're showing that Doug Polk's at a gay bar in New Orleans, and he he's not publicizing this." So I I can see why some people thought that. I don't think Matt meant it that way. Uh, I would like to know if Doug was irritated to see that because notice Doug did not advertise that. Doug didn't say, "Hey, I'm I'm at gay bars in New Orleans, and it's fun." Uh, Doug's just like, "Hey, I'm loving New Orleans." Yeah, I bet you're loving it. (laughs) So I don't know. is it possible that that Doug is actually bi or gay? Yes, it's. I, see, I don't know Doug well enough, so if I had to no, guess, who knows and who cares? And he right. probably just had friends. But that's there that's, that that's my guess. Oh, who knows? He has. Who cares? So that's that's my right. That's, that's my guess, and it, and it's you know it's not my business if if Doug is gay or bi. Now, if he were to, as I said, if he were to come out as gay or bi, uh, then it would be yeah, a little bit to talk about because there aren't that many prominent gay or bi players in poker. But but uh, it wouldn't be a story in that it's anything scandalous or or that interesting. It's just that it's a little unusual still in poker for prominent players to to be gay or bi, at least uh, male gay or, being gay or bi. So, uh, but but we don't we can't assume that from this. And in fact, uh, a lot of guys in the forum were po- and these are guys who are around my age mostly posting that they've been to gay bars and enjoyed it, even though they're one hundred percent straight. And and I, I believe them. I'm not saying these are like closet gay guys. So, whatever. Yeah, they they're different than me. That's fine. I can accept that. But I I didn't mean it badly, and I wasn't trying to look down on anybody. And uh, I think it's also perfectly valid to say I'm a straight guy who would not enjoy this, and I just wouldn't want to go. Not for many homophobic reasons. It's just not something that appeals to me. So I hope everybody can understand that. And uh, that is the end of that story. And uh, I di- I didn't quite expect it to kind of blow up at me like it did here, but it doesn't surprise me because it seems like the people on the forum are always looking for reasons to be critical, especially of me. So that uh, doesn't surprise me that they approach it from that manner. But the, the forum surprises me sometimes, though, because sometimes I'll post something like this that I don't really don't expect to be jumped all over and I am like this, and there's other times where I post something and I just brace for the negative response and it doesn't come. Like I, the, I, I posted the thread about tipping. I know I did a segment on the show about this recently. But I feel like tipping culture is more about feeling good about yourself and not so much about uh, really helping anyone. And I was sure I was going to get all kinds of people bashing me. No. Like, people are going, yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> it, it was weird. I totally expected a combination of trolling and people just bashing me because they're angry reading that. And instead, like, almost everybody agreed. So you never know. Anyway, we're going to move on here to our next topic. Uh, taking a look at the chat. Uh, no, nothing about this. I thought someone commented about this. All right. Uh, I'm going to read the text about Doug Polk before I go on. I can't forget that. This is from the uh, 601. They said, uh, or not 601, this is from uh, the 516. From the 516, a few observations about Doug Polk. He has what I would call an early midlife crisis, making it clear that he was miserable playing poker. Always thought that could be part of a bigger identity crisis he's been dealing with. Hmm. Also, he would clearly be wearing makeup in many videos and deny it when it was obvious. I never noticed that, but okay, I'll look next time. 
it's possible that was Seriously Serious' decision, by the way. Seriously Serious is the one who's been producing the videos, and it, it may be Seriously Serious is noticing some glare. Uh, now, him denying it, I never saw that, but if that's true, that is a little bit weird if he was wearing it and denying it. Like, I'll, I'll admit, I, like, I've been on some things on TV before, and they put makeup on me, and I didn't go, oh, that's gay makeup. Like, okay, I know you, like, men wear makeup on TV, otherwise there's a glare. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so if if he did wear makeup for the videos, there would be nothing wrong with it. If especially if seriously serious is like, no, we're getting a glare. You got to wear some makeup here. But uh, I, I will agree that Doug Polk can't really settle into anything. It seems like he is kind of bouncing from thing to thing. So he was, uh, yeah, he wasn't enjoying playing poker anymore, and he quit that, and he got into crypto. And then, uh, I don't know if he's still doing that. There, of course, was the big crypto crash in 2018. He probably lost some money there. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he made money before it. But uh, it, it did, he does kind of have – he strikes me. I don't know him well. But he strikes me as someone who is constantly searching for something that's going to make him happy. And I don't know. If, like I, I can't stretch like this texture is doing and saying, well, maybe this means he's uh, – it's because he's a closet gay and he's and he's having like a big identity crisis. I'm not going to say that, but uh, I, I will say I have noticed that he's someone who's kind of not ever happy where he is and seems to be jumping around from thing to thing that he's doing with his life. And I've known others like this, and and none of them turned out to be gay, by the way. But uh, I've known others like this, and that's just kind of the way they are. I've just known people who they're in a perfectly good job, a good situation, a good life situation, and then they just, they get restless, they want to go to something else, and they get unhappy with that, they go to something else, and they go jump, 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 jump. I'm kind of the opposite of that. I I kind of just settle into certain things for a long time, and I kind of have to be shaken out of it to where it either just ends without really my deciding it's going to end, or it changes so much that I have to move on. But I kind of... uh, would be guilty of the opposite of sometimes leaving something too late or, or staying with something too long, which I guess is good for you guys if you like this show, because I, if, if I was the, op- the opposite, the show would have been gone a long time ago. I would have gotten sick of the show and moved on. The fact that the show has existed eight years and I'm not thinking of shutting it down is, is part of that. So, yeah, it does seem like Doug is kind of restless in that way. If you remember the main event of 2019... He was so sick of poker, he just decided he didn't want to play anymore. And all these people were hassling him on Twitter. Come on, Doug, you got to play the main event. It's such a great event. It's, it's a, you can't miss that. Come on, $10 million, man. It's the main event. You can't miss it. You're so good. And Doug's like, oh, okay, I don't want to do it, but I guess I can afford it. And it's the main event. Okay, I'll do it. And the second he sat down, he was miserable. The second he sat down, and these were his own words afterwards. I'm not making this up. He was miserable the whole time, and... He didn't play well because he couldn't get his heart into the game. He chunked off his chips very fast, and then he went home and he was depressed. He was depressed that he he was even pressured into playing and blowing $10,000 and playing poorly on something he didn't really want to do in the first place, and he was depressed that he allowed himself to get uh, peer pressured into this. So I thought, wow, that's that's interesting. Who would have thought Doug Polk would be depressed he played the main event? He wasn't depressed he busted. He was depressed that he played. So, yeah, there's something going on in some way with him. But uh, everybody's got their issues. I I don't think Doug Polk's a bad guy. And seriously, serious, 
who I still talk to. He doesn't really uh, post on the forum anymore, but I still talk to him privately sometimes. And he's always had very good things to say about Doug and says Doug's a great guy and he likes him a lot. So um, I, I, you know, Doug's probably a, a decent guy. I don't know that much about him, but uh, I, I, I understand why Negranu hates him. He really comes hard on Negranu. I know they just never liked each other, but he's really come hard on Negranu, and I haven't understood the full reason for that. But aside from that, uh, Paul seems okay to me. But I do see that kind of a restlessness in his personality. The 601 texted me, on Bourbon Street in New Orleans, the further you walk down the street, the closer you get to the gay area. And if you're familiar with the area, you can easily walk into one by mistake. I don't know about where it is on Bourbon Street. I did notice an area on Bourbon Street that did have a lot of gay bars. I didn't walk into one, but I don't go into bars anyway. But uh, that's what he texted me, and that's probably true. But I, I have a feeling he wasn't there by mistake. Like You can walk in there and see it's a gay bar and then just walk right back out. Now, also, Glance did not say anything like, oh, hey, he saw you kissing another dude in a gay bar. It's like he saw him in a gay bar. Now, it's possible maybe Glance knows more and isn't saying it, just doesn't want to humiliate him or out him or something. But I, I don't think so. I think, I think Doug was just there the same way Mac Glance would be there. That's, if I had to guess, I'd say that was it. If I was forced to make a guess here, was was Doug Polk in there because he's a closet gay or bi, or just because he was there with friends or just messing around or having fun, but didn't do anything gay, didn't want to do anything gay, and wasn't gay? Uh, I, I'd say it was the latter. But I, I don't know him well. Moving on to the next topic. I was told by a listener about a show at The D, which is downtown, I think it has like a Detroit theme to it of all things and it's downtown and I was in there like once or twice but I don't know that much about it. It's a newer casino over there downtown. It's called the D Las Vegas. But there's a murder mystery dinner theater there and for those of you that are unfamiliar this is a show where you're served a dinner but it has a theme to it where some people there are actually actors in the show. And what happens is that uh, certain people are, quote, murdered there. And then after this murder takes place, and they, they have the, the effects where there's uh, the, uh, it looks like someone really got killed and you see a little bit of blood on them or whatever the murder weapon is. So, so you see someone get killed and then, they, then there's people who are investigators who come out to, you know, there's a, there's a cop who's investigating it and they get the entire crowd involved with trying to solve who was the killer and more victims keep falling as the dinner theater wears on and they charge some extra it costs more to see this than to eat a regular meal but it's it's something where it's like not a whole lot extra I think this one you could actually go to for 68 bucks, which, if you think about it, for the dinner and the show aspect of it is not very expensive. It is downtown, but... Uh, so that's... Uh, some people enjoy this. I've never actually been to one. But I'm not saying I'd be opposed to going to one. It's, it seems like it could be fun. Well, the first murder victim at the murder mystery dinner theater at the D Las Vegas and not just one night but every night the first murder victim is Dan Druff yes 
the first murder victim is actually Dan Druff at the D Las Vegas. And this was brought to my attention by a listener to Poker Fraud at Radio. And it makes me think, what was the origin of that? <laughs> How did they come up with that? Now let's go back to my choice of Dan Druff as a nickname. I actually first chose Dan Druff as one of the names I used online back in the 80s. But I was not the first person to invent Dan Druff as like a fake name, a fake funny name. It's been out there. Others have come up with it too. Others have used it. Apparently, according to Crow Diddley on the forum, it was even a garbage pail kid. I didn't know that. So there have been other Dan Druffs. That's Dan Space Druff. But if you go, if you Google Dan Space Druff, you'll see there's not that many references to it. It's not something that's commonly used. It's not like Mike Hunt or Alcoholic or Just In Case. Those are ones that are super common. Dan Druff you don't see very often. In fact, most times people ask me, how do you come up with Dan Druff? That's funny. Like Most people haven't even heard of it before until they hear that I've used it. The way I started using it for myself in poker was just, it was the second screen name I ever chose for an online poker site. The first one was Kilowatt, which is what I'm currently using also on uh, 2 Plus 2, which, by the way, is not to be confused with Calwatt. Kilowatt is K-I-L-O-W-A-T-T. Calwatt is K-H-A-L-W-A-T. means something completely different. But I was first Kilowatt, and then when there was a problem with that account, the next I brought back the Dan Druff name which I had used on BBSs in the 80s. And in fact, Kilowatt I had also used on BBSs in the 80s. They used several names, but uh, those were two of them. And the way I became known as Dan Druff was because that happened to be the name I was using when I first had some success in online poker. That was on uh, True Poker when I first became a winning online poker player. And I was Dan Druff there. And then that was the second site I was Dan Druff on. The first site I was Dan Druff on was, uh, was Planet Poker, then on True Poker. Then Paradise, where I continued to be a... Uh, uh, first, I was a break-even player, and then became a winning player. But the first site I really broke out as a big winning player was on PokerStars in early 03. And everyone was saying, oh, who's this Dan Druff guy who's always killing the 30-60 limit hold'em games? And everyone wondered who that was, and I was very private about it, because I hadn't played any tournaments. My plan was just to be anonymous, that no one would ever know who Dandruff was, until I played a tournament and got to the final table. I'm like, okay, I guess it's time to reveal that I'm Dandruff. And that was the first time anyone knew that I was actually Dandruff. Uh, I had played live also, but I didn't ever associate the two. I never told people I was Dandruff, and no one asked. So that was when my real identity was associated with Dandruff. But really, the only reason I I'm known as Dandruff in poker was because that was the name that I was using when I started doing well. And had it been a different name, you know, it could have been Kilowatt, it could have been anything else. Uh, what I was doing is I was just kind of recycling old names I used on BBSs in the 80s just as kind of an homage to those days, kind of like a, an inside joke or reference for myself. It wasn't that I lacked originality to come up with new names, I just thought... Yeah, it'd be kind of cool to bring back these names I used as a teenager in the 80s. And that's, that's what I was doing. So Dandruff happened to be the one where I, I broke out, and that's the name I got known as. And because it's kind of a memorable name, uh, people very quickly associated me with Dandruff. And there's people who know me as Dandruff, 
that don't really know my real name, including uh, Chris Moneymaker. <laughs> that's one of the things he said to me when he saw me at a table one time. He says, I know you, and I know you're Dandruff. I'm just really sorry I don't know your real name. And I said, that's fine. <laughs> a lot of people are like that in poker. And that doesn't insult me. I know that a lot of people just know me better as Dandruff, and that's fine. But back to this. So this is in Las Vegas. Now, if there's a city in the world where Dan Druff is most associated with me, it's the city of Las Vegas, for obvious reasons. Uh, Benjamin, you know, he's on the internet, and he, he goes to YouTube, he goes to Wikipedia, and he, he loves the fact that his dad's on Wikipedia. It's, it's a, he gets a kick out of that. And he's asked me before, are you famous? And I tell him, no, I'm, no, I'm not famous. He said, well, why are you Wikipedia? I said, well, I'm not famous. I was just, uh, in, in the 2000s, I was as a kind of known poker player. And that qualified me to be on Wikipedia. And uh, so he says, well, were you ever at all a little famous? I said, the closest I was was in the 2000s, like the second half of the 2000s in Las Vegas, <laughs> where sometimes they'd go places and just people knew me. I'd go to the supermarket and the checker knows who I am. Th- things like that. And that was it was kind of weird. I actually didn't like it. I actually, like, I, I didn't like, I felt like all eyes were on me constantly. And I didn't like it. I, I felt like, in the, keep in mind, this is a very, very, very light level of fame, if you can call it that. But I didn't like the fact that I was known enough in the second half of the 2000s to where, like, I felt like at any time someone could be seeing me and watching me. And I, I've even had this happen at the World Series. Like, the, the slightest thing that goes on, uh, someone goes and reports on it. And uh, I just assume that now. Whenever, whenever I'm like at the World Series, I assume like everyone's going to see everything. <laughs> uh, but in Las Vegas, not even just at the World Series, like in Las Vegas in general, I kind of felt that way in the second half of the 2000s. Uh, but I still wouldn't consider myself famous at any point. Or even that close to famous. But that was the closest I got to it. But anyway, getting back to this, Dan Druff... In Las Vegas, that's that's the closest I think I could come to where Dan Druff would be associated with me in particular. And in fact, on Poker Fraud Alert, the city that uh, has the uh, most accesses to Poker Fraud Alert is Las Vegas. That's where the most uh, visits come from. So I don't know who wrote this, but presumably the person who wrote this murder mystery theater is someone who lives in Las Vegas. It could very well be a person who plays poker or who is a fan of poker and either knows me or knows of me or someone who just saw the name mentioned having to do with poker and thought, oh, that's kind of a funny name. And then when they were coming up with names for victims of their uh, murder mystery theater, they thought, let's make one of them Dan Druff. There's an outside chance that this is some sort of passive-aggressive jab at me, someone who doesn't like me, that makes me the first murder victim because they'd actually like to see me murdered. Not that they're going to kill me, but that they uh, they wrote this in a way like uh, almost a fantasy that, that someone murders me. I don't think it's that likely, but it, that's also possible as well. I'd love to know who wrote this. Now, how do I know this, aside from the fact that someone told me? Well, they directed me to the webpage for this. And you can find, I created a thread in the Flying Stupidity Forum about this. It's, it's obvious from the title, if you go take a look. And then you can click on the link to a place where you can buy discount tickets. Now, this isn't the official website for this show, but it looks like a copy of the official website. 
I didn't bother searching for the official website, but this is a site where you can buy discounted tickets. The normal price for the the murder mystery theater at the D, which is called Marriage Can Be Murder. That's the if you want to Google, it's called Marriage Can Be Murder at the D Hotel in downtown Las Vegas. The regular price is ninety dollars plus taxes and fees. Through this uh, discount site, you can buy it for sixty-eight dollars plus taxes and fees. You can see that link. And by, I get nothing for this. I'm not advertising it. I will not get a penny if you do this. So I'm not. I'm not asking you to or suggesting it. And this is not an advertiser or a sponsor. I'm just mentioning if, if you have a curiosity and want to see it, that's how you do it. And it's called Marriage Can Be Murder. And here is the description, which has to do with me. After the first murder, police Lieutenant Eric Post arrives wearing two short and fitted khaki shorts. Post makes the audience laugh before he even opens his mouth. He interrogates guests while consulting D.D. for some background information. Now, D.D., by the way, is not Dan Druff. D.D. is actually the host of this marriage mystery theater who's kind of like a ditzy blonde type. The guy's name was Dan Druff, asked Post. He was flaky, replies D.D. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that, that doesn't even deserve that laugh. It doesn't deserve that laugh. He was flaky. I hope the jokes get better than that. Otherwise, that's $68 wasted. But uh, it's just, did they know, say he was the undesirable? Or wait, what did they say in the yeah, poker news? Oh, that's that not Todd would tell us, but if they said the yeah, same yeah, thing it, about uh, no, Dan Trust. Yeah, I, I was I was unsavory. Yeah, if, if instead he was flaky, he was unsavory. Then I then I'd know it came from the same source. But yeah, he was flaky. Replies DD, and then it says the entire show is filled with funny one-liners like this. I hope better than this. Uh, as D.D. Post and a few other wacky characters attempt to find the killer. After the main course is served, there's a short break where people can mingle, discuss the murders, and get the names of other guests and potential suspects. But the first murder victim is Dan Druff. Dan Space Druff. If this was not in Las Vegas, I would not think this has to do with me. Since it's in Las Vegas, there is a chance it has to do with me. I'm not saying it is, but I'm not saying it isn't. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. If I found out later this had to do with me, I wouldn't go, oh my god, I would have never guessed that. Like I, And if I found out it had nothing to do with me, I wouldn't be shocked either. It's kind of, it'd go either way. It really could go either way. I'm kind of almost like 50-50 on whether I influence this in any way. Because I could have influenced this just in someone seeing there's a poker player named Dan Druff and they remembered it. That's still influence. Like, if I was never born, would this character who was murdered be called Dan Druff? And I think it's about 50-50 chance that it would or wouldn't. So the name has existed out there in other ways, but it's not a really, really common one. And you can see that by Googling it. So, I don't know. But if you want to see Dandruff murdered, you can you can go see that. Am I going to see the show? Probably not. But if I am going to go to a murder mystery theater, I probably would go to this one just because it's Dandruff murdered. And then I would try to find out. Then I would actually probably try to find out like who wrote this and is, is, could this possibly have been influenced by me? Though they may be afraid to admit it because then they may be afraid that I could sue them or claim they owe me something. But I wouldn't. I just want to know. Here's a little promo for Marriage Can Be Murder at the D. There will be people murdered here this evening and the people that will be murdering and murdered are seated amongst It's your job to find out who they are. One of the best shows I've seen. I thought the show was great. It was very good. Here is your lap. We couldn't get the blood off. Sorry. It was rough up in 
fantastic. I'll be back. The three of you guys are going to dance for me, and whichever one dances the worst, I'm going to shoot you. I thought it was awesome. Okay. It was a really it's good show. show. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it was magnificent. Had a wonderful, wonderful time. Fantastic. Come on down. Yeah, so I, I don't even know about this trailer. Like, the trailer actually makes me not want to see it. Because <laughs> it's... A, it seems kind of cheesy from the trailer, and, and these people who are saying how great it is, some of them seem like actors. Especially that one guy towards the end going, it was a great show, it was a really great show. It, it almost sounded scripted, and who knows, it could have been. Also, in Vegas, there's a lot of people who really have very low standards for entertainment. So you can have like an awful show and find people to give it rave reviews, especially if you pay them. So who knows? I don't know. Maybe I would see it just because it's Dan Druff getting murdered. Very weird. Very weird to run into things like this. Trader Ruski, if you had to guess, would you think this had anything to do with me, or do you think it's a complete coincidence? I don't know. Sounds like a coincidence, Druff. Have you found that character in any other murder mysteries? Is that what Benjamin was looking for? No, 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 no. Ben, ben happened to... Uh, find I think he googled my real name and found the Wikipedia, and uh, uh, so it wasn't about murder mystery. It has nothing to do with Benjamin. This thing, this was found by a listener to the show. I don't know how he found it. You should you should add that to your Wikipedia just to say <laughs> it is about you. <laughs> I just say yeah, uh, Wattellis had a, a character in a, in a Vegas show uh, that was based upon him, who was a murder victim. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could. Hey, put it in there. Why not? I guess I could. It's uh, something to add to my resume, even if it's not valid, because I don't know for a fact that it's not. I still think it's about you could, Then you could do some special appearance, <laughs> you know, the real yeah. dandruff. Yeah, maybe I could be murdered. Maybe I could volunteer that they murder the actual dandruff. Then the, they go, not only is this dandruff dead, and not only was he real flake. Look, look him up, guys. This is him. Go go Google him. That, imagine if they did that. Like, imagine if I was murdered there. And then they tell the audience to get out your phone and Google Dan Druff Poker, and, and you'll see it's actually him. And people go, what the hell? How is this possible? That kind of freak people out. It's not just a total fictional character. It's actually the, you know, the, the Dan Druff and Poker in Wikipedia is actually getting murdered right in front of them at the dinner theater. They're gonna go, but you know what they're going to think, though? Is that they'll, they'll probably think I'm Busto if I do that. they go, oh, that's what he's doing now. He couldn't make it at the poker table. So now he's getting murdered in the downtown dinner theater I would do it I'd, I'd volunteer on a, on a one time basis to, to be the one killed there <laughs> can we have a poker fraud alert party poker tournament and watch Druff get killed at the theater Yeah. <laughs> maybe I should contact them maybe I should find out who is in charge of this show And uh, it's not like I, I have to not know this I could actually contact them and I, I could even volunteer. I could say, though maybe the the one playing Dan Druff won't like that. Maybe he'll be out of a job for one day. But I'll say, like, if, I, if the guy can't make it, I'll stand in. And then you guys can tell people to Google the Dan Druff in poker and see it's the same guy. That is strange. Could be a coincidence. But just, just that it's in Vegas really makes me wonder. That's what makes me really wonder about it. Anything that happens in Vegas that seems to be, like, have some kind of association with me, I just have to think, or possible association, I have to think, you know, there's a decent chance 
it does have to do with me because Vegas isn't that big of a place, and I was right. But draft if if you were putting together the show, and okay, I got to come up with names of these characters. Now it's in Vegas. Let me kind of look through some gambling websites and poker. Maybe find some characters that there could be shadiness, not shadiness, but you know, and then or nicknames they like. That's possible. Well, but I'm saying it could be someone who plays poker and that just noticed the name and remembered it and thought, okay, I got to come up with some funny names that we can make jokes about. And let me think of, oh, I remember this Dan Druff guy in poker. Okay, that's that's a good one. Something like that. Or it could even be someone who who knows me a little bit better. Someone who's played poker with me. Someone who's who's seen me play poker before. And, and remembers it, and it's like, what? What's some funny names? Like, I, I, it could be something like that. And as I said, there's an off chance it could be, even be someone who doesn't like me. That this is some kind of like a passive aggressive joke that uh, the first person to get murdered is someone he dislikes, uh, Dan Druff. And of course, it's not like it's Todd Wittellis getting murdered. Dan Druff could be anyone. It doesn't have to be me. So, uh, but I, I think if it is something that has to do with me, it's probably more like they just remembered seeing the name when playing poker or watching poker, and thought it was funny. And then when they had to come up with names for this, they chose it. That that would be my guess. And they know they can do it without any kind of copyright infringement because it's not uh, it's not property of mine. It's not my property. So that's that would be my guess if it happened. But maybe I can find out. Maybe I can contact them. Very weird. And uh, I got to make sure when I contact them, though, they understand I'm not doing this. From I'd have to write there like I'm not concerned about this. I'm not looking for anything. I'm just curious. Uh, because uh, I noticed it has the same name as me, but I'm, I'm not looking for anything here. I just would like to know. So they're not afraid to answer. They're not afraid to tell me and then go, oh, no, he's going to sue us. We will see. If I find out anything more, I will let you guys know. Well, I want to tell you about a hand in poker where someone was sure they had the nuts not the absolute nuts, but they were sure that they had a winning hand. And they were happy to get action. And not only did they lose the hand, but they came in third place in a hand that I'm sure they never imagined that they would even finish second. This was a hold'em hand where somebody had pocket nines and there were two nines on the board. And when that happens, you've got to feel very, very good about your chances. Now, quads have been beaten before. In fact, that's often the requirement to win a jackpot where quads or better is beaten. But this hand had an additional element to it that made it especially unusual. So there were quad nines. I'll tell you what the board was as it went down. Uh, The quad nines ended up coming in third. And that's what was crazy here. But it gets even crazier. So, on the flop, the board was 10 of diamonds, jack of diamonds, 9 of clubs. Someone had 9s. Now, it's not unusual for 9s to be behind there, because you can be behind jacks, you can be behind 10s, you can be behind queen king, you can be behind 7-8, you can be behind queen 8. But when that second 9 hit the board on the turn, the 9s knew that they had the nuts for the moment, or did they? Because it was the nine of diamonds. Uh Uh-oh. Seven, eight of diamonds can beat you, as can queen, king of diamonds, or could queen, eight of diamonds. So they looking pretty, you got to be pretty confident still with quad nines there. But you don't have the nuts at that point. 
And then a 10 hit the river. So the board is 10, Jack, 9, 9, 10. Well, now you're pretty happy to see that. Because now Jack 10 is going to be feeling pretty good, but is losing to you. Or a single 10, just ace 10, any 10. They have 10s full of 9s, and they got to be pre- feeling pretty good. And maybe there's even a flush out there. Maybe someone has the ace high flush that they think might still be good. Though, of course, with 10, 10, 9, 9, they got to be worried, but maybe you'll get action from them anyway. So you still got to be feeling pretty good about your 9s. Though, you won't be absolutely shocked if the 9s aren't good. Maybe someone has pocket 10s. Uh, of course, you're beating pocket jacks as well. You're, hope, you're hoping someone's got pocket jacks for jacks full. But you could, if you're really unlucky, be against pocket 10s or against one of these straight flushes. But how about if you're against both the pocket 10s and a straight flush? Yes. This player had pocket nines. Another player had pocket tens, flopping the set and making better quads on the river. And the winner of the hand had queen king of diamonds for the absolute nuts, the straight flush, the best straight flush that was possible. And they beat not one, but two quads. And what was so unusual is that all three players used their two hole cards. What would be much less unusual would be like, let's say an eight of diamonds hit the river and the nines lost to one guy who had the single queen of diamonds and one guy who had the single seven of diamonds. The nines would still be in third, the quad nines, but that wouldn't be super unusual. It'd be unusual, but it's a lot easier to have a one card straight flush or two people with a one card straight flush than a two card straight flush. But here you have two, two card hands that are better than the two card pocket nines. So pocket nines uses both whole cards to make quad nines. Pocket tens uses both whole cards to use, make quad tens. And queen king of diamonds uses both whole cards to make a straight flush. I have never seen a poker hand like that in my life, whether I was at the table or not. Mike Matisau commented that he's never seen this in his life. And I don't know who won. I don't know who lost. It does not look like it was a very high limit game. I see there's only... $1 and $5 chips on the table. It looks like the total all-in... It looks like the Queen King of Diamonds, unfortunately, didn't have very much in there. They look like they were uh, kind of short-stacked. Uh, but it doesn't look like anyone lost more than a few hundred bucks on this. But still, that's a crazy hand. Can you imagine the nines coming in third there? With it. He's lucky there was a third third player in, or he would have lost a ton of money. Well, I don't. I don't think. Well, I guess the one point he has to get it. But no, they still... got to get it in. I mean, that's, and that's the question. Can you fold there? I don't see. I don't know the action. I don't know where this happened. And I, I see a picture. You said it was limit, right? No, no, no. It was no limit. It just. That, oh, it was no limit. I, I, I just okay. see. It, it looks like from the picture, from what I can see in this picture, it looks like the winner of the hand was kind of short stacked. But they're kind of all the way in the side, so I can't see for sure. But the money I see out there looks like it's not much. It looks like it's about thirty-five bucks. Uh, the one with the tens looks like they have a lot more, and the nines I can't see what they have, but. And there was, it wasn't a jackpot game, right? That's the other question. I don't know. I, I would love to know this, but I don't know the information about this place or this hand or who the players were. Just this picture is going around. It appears to be authentic. And that's that's uh, the only way this could have been worse is if someone had 7-8 of diamonds. So imagine that. 
you have four four hands like that. But that, that just I couldn't see that happening. Still, this is the most unusual hand I've ever seen. As far as uh, I've never seen two card quads come in third to two other two card hands. I don't think I'll ever see that again. Think about how hard that is to occur. Because for that to happen, there have to be two pairs on the board. Well, there's two ways it can happen. Two pairs on the board where you're losing to a quad and a straight flush. So either there's two pairs on the board and, and, and also a straight flush possible, or uh, two straight two two card straight flushes beating you. So like if if the second ten didn't fall, but the other guy had seven eight of diamonds instead of instead of tens, then this also could have been uh, nines coming in third with two cards. I I haven't seen this. I've never seen quads lose and come in third to two hands using both all cards and hold them. Never. Omaha, yeah, you can believe this. Omaha. Everybody has twice as many cards, so the odds of this happening is much higher. But in Hold'em, to see this is, is really, really unusual. And the question is, at what point do you fold? If, if, now, if, you're, if nobody's deep enough, then you can't. But if you are deep, at what point do you fold if you have the nines? At what point do you fold if you have the tens? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really tough one, because you have to be sure that your opponent isn't getting overly exuberant and somehow not seeing the straight flush. And that can happen sometimes, where someone will be so excited they have quads, they're not even looking at the straight flush. So you've got to be sure the person isn't getting over-exuberant that they have the straight flush, and that someone isn't reading it wrong, and if they have, like, Jack's full, isn't wrongly putting in the action. Like, someone with Jack's full may put in a lot of the action, thinking, okay, well, I bet this person's doing this with a single 10. Thinking that 10's full of 9's is good, so yeah, I'm going to put in all, uh, everything with Jack's, and Jack's would not be beating 9's here. So... It would be very hard to lay this down unless everybody's really deep. And unless you can really trust that those who are putting in the action, number one, that they are very aware of the board at all times and wouldn't be getting over-exuberant and missing the straight flush possibility. And, and second, that they wouldn't just be going off trying to run you off the hand. But it's unlikely anyone here will ever be in this spot. <laughs> but, uh, wow, that was... Some unusual hand. The only really unusual hand I've been part of was the flush over flush over flush on the flop, which was at a very bad time for me. I've told the story before. Uh, late in a $5,000 buy-in tournament near the bubble. That was awful. I lost to both uh, Gavin Smith and Shane Schlager. With my, we all flopped a flush. I had the worst one. I've never seen that again. Flush over flush over flush on the flop. And hold them. But this is even more unusual. That is a very weird hand. And I, I don't think this was made up. It looks pretty authentic to me. Yes, it could have been made up, but this is in a casino environment. And I, I think it's real. My gut feeling is it's real. And I'm one who is very skeptical of things on the internet that are put out there. So imagine being the nines guy. Imagine being the tens guy. <laughs> the tens guy is at least thinking, okay, well, I've beaten nines. I've beaten any full house. I think the bigger kick in the ass, though, is if you're the nines. You just, to finish third there is just such a, it's such a moralizing to have quad nines and finish third. Okay, I have an update here, thanks to Bobby Orr. This is actually at uh, Casino del Sol in Tucson, Arizona. And it was at a 1-2 no limit game. R.J. Bergman, who's 37 years old, was the guy with the nines, and there was a bad beat jackpot for $18,000. So he ended up slow playing the quads, hoping that he would hit the jackpot. 
because he doesn't want to run people off who could beat his nines because it's at a one-two game, it's much better to, to win the jackpot than to anything you'd win off the players there. So it was a happy ending for the guy with the nines because he was the loser of the hand. The, the one who really got screwed was the tens because the tens was not the loser of the well, hand. Wait, are you sure? The tens lost too, though. Maybe. Hold on. Let's see. Let's see the way I'm are. not sure with that. Yeah, I'm not but sure But I know either. with one of them, like if one of them only used one card and it can screw the whole jackpot. Oh, you know what? I think. It, it, I for, no, I think I think you're right. I think it was the tens. It was. The I nine forgot nine. if it's second or third. No, I'm it, pretty it, sure tens gets. No, the tens gets it. You're right. Okay, so it was a bad beat for him. Yeah, you're right. It says he has plans to commemorate the hand by getting the picture of the cards printed on canvas. <laughs> he's he's going to put this up. I guess he got it, the table share of it, but he's going to. Yeah, table share, but still. Yeah, he's going to. So he's going to put this up on his wall that he's the third place finisher. I mean, I guess, but. I think the tens should be the one framing this, if anybody. So this occurred in Arizona. Interesting. Well, at least we know a little bit more now. Thank you to Bobby Orr for telling me that about the more information. I, I only saw it on Twitter, just a picture of the hand, and I didn't have any background story to it. Always good to have listeners that come forward with this information. Here's something else that happened that was not definitely not as good. That is theft of data at the MGM. And this isn't getting very much attention, but it should be. In fact, I guess the show is guilty of that too, because we are doing this in... Uh, we're, we're doing this as one of our later topics. But here is what happened, and this was brought to us by uh, one of the members of Poker Fraud Alert, in fact, who brought this to my attention. And this has been a big problem in general with corporations getting data stolen. And this is where you just want to tear your hair out because you can be as vigilant as you want with protecting your personal information and then things like this happen and your personal information gets stolen anyway. And it gets really, really frustrating to have such a thing occur. So at the MGM, they had... Uh, 10.6 million records of data stolen. And not just stolen, but posted on a hacking forum. This was reported by ZDNet.com. This was reported on February 19th, 2020. It says, MGM Resorts said the security incident took place last summer. So it actually was not even reported for a while, and they notified the impacted guests last year. So I guess if you didn't get notification in late 2019, you're okay. But the personal details of more than 10.6 million users who stayed at MGM Resorts Hotels have been published on a hacking forum this week. Besides details for regular tourists and travelers included in the leaked file are also personal and contact details for celebrities, tech CEOs, reporters, government officials, and employees at some of the world's largest tech companies. ZDNet verified the authenticity of the data today, together with a security researcher. researcher uh, a spokesman for MGM Resorts confirmed the incident via email. By the way, ZDNet is a pretty reputable site. According to our analysis, the MGM data dump that was shared today contains personal details for 10,683,188 former hotel guests. Ugh. Included in the leaked files are personal details such as full names, home addresses, phone numbers, emails, and dates of birth. 
ZDNet reached out to past guests and confirmed they stayed at the hotel, along with their timeline and accuracy of the data included in the leaked files. MGM Resorts says they notified customers last year. Once we verified the data, we reached out to MGM Resorts. Within an hour, we were in a conference call with the hotel chain security team. Within hours, they were able to verify the data and track it to a past security incident. An MGM spokesperson told ZDNet the data was shared online this week. Uh, that the data that was shared online this week stems from a security incident that took place last year. Last summer, we discovered unauthorized access to a cloud server that contained a limited amount of information. <laughs> limited, it's 10 million people's info uh, of certain previous guests of MGM Resorts. I like that. Idea. A limited amount of information of certain previous guests. That, that kind of sounds like they got like a little bit of information on like 30 guests, not like they got all this stuff on 10.6 million guests. We are confident that no financial payment card or password data was involved in this matter. Okay, well, great, but let me tell you the problem when this information is harvested, okay? Uh, Stuff can still be done with it because a lot of times what is used to identify you when uh, you contact a, uh, a company and they ask for some identifying information, a lot of times what they ask for is like your address and date of birth. And... If you have that on someone, you can impersonate them. In fact, if you call up Caesars and uh, let's say you give someone's card number. Let's say I was dumb enough to post my total rewards card number, which, by the way, you shouldn't do. But let's say I did. So you have my total rewards card number. If you called 1-800-CAESARS and pretended to be me and gave my card number, they would say, okay, Mr. Wattellis, can you tell us your date of birth and your home address? And if you could give them my home address and my date of birth, guess what? You could impersonate me. All you need is my home address, my date of birth, and my total rewards card number. And other companies, you need even less. So the more information you have, the easier it is to impersonate people. You may say, well, who cares? Uh, you know, I don't care if someone calls up and impersonates me to Caesars. Well, it's not just Caesars. There's companies which are holding information about you that if you were to call them and ask about some of the information they have and then authenticate yourself with the information that's been hacked when you're really pretending to be someone else, then you can start finding out other info. It's what I've called the chain of information. And it's a very important detail when you're looking up information on people, when you're looking to find out stuff about people. Uh, On TV, when you watch hackers, you just see them pressing a few buttons and all of a sudden they have an entire portrait of that person's life. That's not how it actually works. That's never how it works. You have to put together a picture of a particular person by getting data from different sources. But the important piece here is sometimes the data you get from source A can then be used to get data from source B. So if to identify yourself as that person from source B, which has a lot more info, you need their address and birth date. Well, once you get that, then you can get into source B and get a lot more info from there once you authenticate yourself with that information you got from source A. And you keep doing that, you get more and more and more, and then you can become more and more convincing to imitate that person. In fact, poker account hacker Steve DePimp, who was known for just breaking into tons of people's poker accounts by uh, a combination of getting access to their AOL emails. He had some kind of contact in AOL who was doing this for him. Uh, And also then uh, tricking people into making trades for money 
one thing he would do is once he got into their email, he'd start reading their personal email to harvest details to pretend to be that person. So, for example, uh, let's say I went to dinner with Trey Daruski, uh tomorrow. Okay, Let's say I'm going to go to dinner with him tomorrow. And I email him today saying, hey, Trey Daruski, uh let's go to Outback Steakhouse tomorrow, which I, which I wouldn't go to, but let's pretend I have no taste and I'm going to Outback Steakhouse. And Trader Ruski also has no taste and goes to Outback Steakhouse with me. And I email him that we're going to go tomorrow. And then we go, and we eat there. Then Steve the Pimp gets access to my email. And he reads that email that I sent to Trader Ruski about let's go to Outback Steakhouse. Uh, and he can see the date I'm talking about, that it's going to be uh, February 24th, 2020. So let's say it's March 1st, 2020 now. And then he contacts Trader Ruski and says, hey, you know, can you loan me some money on PayPal or can you trade money on this poker site with me? And the trader goes, hold on a second. I know this may not be Todd. How do I know it's really you? I say, well, we went to dinner at the Outback last week. Okay, obviously it's you. Okay, fine. Here's your money. And then trader just got scammed. And he'd never see it coming. He'd say, well, how, how would someone know that we went to Outback Steakhouse? That's how. So the more information that you get on people, the more legitimate you can look when you imitate them or access other sources where you need information to get into those sources. And this has been the way people have uh, gotten information on others for decades now. Some of it is through what's known as social engineering and some of it is just through using information you have already obtained to get more info. And the more info you get, the more powerful you become and the more capable you become at being able to impersonate that person and get more info on them. And eventually, if you're really nasty and really good at it, you can get everything on them and really be a tremendous pain in the ass. Now, in the case of a hacking of 10.6 million records, the fa- it's unlikely that the hacker is going to target you. The hacker does not have the time to do this for 10.6 million people, nor the motivation to do it. The problem is that these things get sold, or they just get posted. In this case, it looks like someone just posted it for fun. And the problem is that if these things become accessible, then those who are looking to screw with you can find this stuff posted, and then they will have the information, and that person will have the time and inclination to do it. And the problem here is that it's very hard to prevent this because it's inevitable that companies are going to have personal information on you. It's inevitable that these things will be found. Sometimes you can prevent it by just giving phony information. If you know the company never needs to mail you anything, you can give a phony address. If you know the company doesn't need your date of birth for anything and can't verify it and won't need to verify it, you can give them a phony date of birth. In fact, I have certain phony dates of birth that I remember that are similar to mine, but not the same. And I will give them in places where I know that I, I really don't need to give it. Ones where they should have no need for it. But sometimes the form will require it, so I'll just put down the morphed date of birth and just remember if I'm ever asked for it. But in a spot where I know I don't have to present ID and it'll, it'll contradict it and then I'll have trouble. Now, you can't do that at a casino. Like at MGM, they, they see your ID and they get your date of birth. So there's no way around that. Email, yeah, you can, you can use a different email. You can have certain throwaway emails like an extra Gmail account. 
the truth is, your email address, it's not terrible if people know it. The worst thing about people knowing your email, there are two things. Number one, you can get spammed. And, and number two, sometimes that can be used to log into certain sites, so it starts to become easier to hack your account if they know your email that you're using. Because a lot of times it's like email and password to log into something. If they don't know what email you're even using, then that makes it very tough for them. And home address, well, that you just shouldn't want out there for your own protection. You never know who's going to want it. You don't want to make it easy. And phone numbers, yeah, you don't want people harassing you over the phone that decide they want to harass you for whatever reason. You don't want to make that easy either. But it kind of sucks that a lot of this is beyond your control. And it looks like in this case, it was just dumped to a hacker forum. It wasn't even hacked and grabbed for some purpose. It wasn't done to sell or anything. It was just done for fun and then got posted somewhere. And the problem is that a lot of these companies don't spend enough on security or they're hiring competent people or, believe it or not, people leave default passwords up that make it incredibly easy to get in. That's another myth, is that all hackers are these geniuses that just can break incredibly difficult security uh, measures, and that's not true. A lot of times, hackers just, the first thing they do is they try default passwords. They see a certain type of server, they know the default admin password is this, and default admin login is this, they try it, and, and sometimes they get in. It's sometimes as simple as that. Sometimes they social engineer employees, like they'll look up on LinkedIn or something, who works at a certain place at a certain position, and they'll send an email and pretend to be that person, and or, or the call up pretend to be that person and trick someone into giving password information to them, and then they steal it that way. A lot of times it's it's, it's very low tech what's done. A lot of times it's not sophisticated or or all that clever. If you try enough of these things, you'll be successful in a certain percentage of them. Uh, hackers in general are very misunderstood by most people. A lot of times hackers are given a lot more credit than they deserve, and there's a lot more fear of them than really is deserved in most cases. There are some very, very talented hackers out there who can get into a lot more than you'd think and who are very creative at, at finding vulnerabilities. But there's a lot of people who are not all that talented that just try some very simple and obvious things that they've heard about and they get in. And it, it becomes a big problem. And more and more hackings like this are occurring. And that's why you can set a password that's difficult to guess and you can do everything you think you can to keep things secure and then the company itself is not secure and this information gets stolen. There's not much you can do, but I I will say, in this MGM case, it wasn't going to help. But I will say, when you're giving personal information out to a company, think about, do they need this? Do I have to give them this? Will, Will they ever have a use for this? Will they ever have a way to verify this? And if the answer is no, then give something fake. Don't go, oh, I don't care. They they can know this. It's not a problem. No. If, if it asks for your date of birth, don't don't give the real one. Give a Write it down or memorize a, a, a date similar to yours that isn't your birth date and start putting that down. Um, things like that. Home address is the same thing. You may want to just pick a generic address address that sounds real but isn't, an address for a very large business where 
it's just going to get rejected, something like that, and start using that address as your address if you don't want the place to have your address. Or get a private mailbox where you get your mail instead of your home address. But don't just freely, the more you freely hand out info, and never give out your social unless it's absolutely necessary. That's most important. And when it's necessary is when there's going to be some kind of financial transaction which requires either reporting to the government or checking your credit. And that's it. And if you cannot say for sure that this is going to require reporting to the government or checking your credit, don't give it. So if you hit like a uh, a hand pay at a casino, you have to give your social because it has to be reported to the government. If you uh, are, are applying for a cell phone at certain companies and they want to check your credit, yeah, you have to give your social. If you're applying to rent a place and they have to check your credit, yeah, they have to give your social. But let's say you're at the doctor's office and they want your social. Don't give it. A lot of people give their social to the doctor's office. Total mistake. You don't give your social to the doctor's office. You have to give your social to your health care provider because they have to tell the government you have health care so you don't get fined. Because having health care is mandatory now. But do not give your social to doctor's offices because they only use that to collect from you and screw your credit if you have a dispute with them. So it, it serves no useful purpose for you. A long, long time ago, your social had to be used for your insurance. That was the only way you could bill your insurance or have the office bill your insurance is give your social. That, that's more than 20 years old now, meaning more than 20 years obsolete. So you, don't, you never have to give your social to a doctor's office. You can leave it blank. And if they ever ask, then say, uh, I'm an expert on identity theft and I know not to give my social to anything except for where it's legally required. And offices typically will respect that. I've, I've never had one doctor's office demand my social when I've said that. And I've only had like one ever even ask me to, to put – usually when I leave it blank, they understand. I've had like one time they've been asked – I've been asked, uh, hey, why do you leave this blank? I tell them that and they, they drop it. And just writing it down on pieces of paper and having it in their office, they shouldn't be doing. That too, so. yes, yes. Because you never know who will get access to it or if they don't dispose of it properly. That's a good point too. Yeah, so that's a, that's a big no-no. Don't Never just assume, oh, this will be fine. Oh, I can trust them. Think of it more in the way of do they need this and why? And either if they don't need it, either put a fake one down. Like If you don't want the confrontation, by the way, with the doctor's office, put a fake social down. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with putting – one time, a long time ago, I went to go get a supermarket club card, and at the time they were requiring your social. I have no no idea why. And I, I kept telling them – like I'm arguing with a cashier who's signing me up for the club card. And, I, and, and the problem is you don't get a club card, then you don't get the cheaper price on these things. I'm like, you understand there's no reason to ask for my social. It could be used for identity theft. She's like, um, no, you got to put it down. I go, no, no, but you don't need my social. There's no reason to have my social – uh, you shouldn't be asking for this. This is this should not be required, um, sir. To get a card, you need to give your social security number among the other information. Okay, you're right. Okay, fine, I'll do it. I just put a totally fake one down. <laughs> Who cares? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, using someone else's social security number to impersonate them is illegal. But just putting down a bogus social for yourself that you make off the top of your head because you don't want to give it to someone who's demanding it. Uh, as long as you're not doing this with any kind of criminal intent, uh, nothing will happen to you. So that's uh, you can do that too. But I, I would just leave it blank. I, I, I always leave it blank at doctor's office. Never give it to them. Never give it to any business that doesn't need it. If I know they're checking my credit, yeah, i got to give it to them. If I know they're 
giving me money and reporting it to the IRS, you have to give it to them. If I know I'm working for them and they have to report to the IRS, you have to give it to them. But otherwise, no. Otherwise, a big fat no, and I strongly encourage you to take the same policy. And they're not going to say, oh, what an asshole and hate you. A lot of people feel this way because nowadays a lot of identity theft, as I'm sure you know. And the last thing you want to do is be in a database that can be hacked one day, and that information's right there. And why why ever give... the, the You never give information that, that is not needed to be given out. That's a, And I learned this many, many years ago. I learned this decades ago being part of the, the 80s hacker community. I learned this. And I learned that once information's out... You can't take it back once you don't want it out anymore. You can't say, no, 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 I don't, I don't want this information out. I don't want it to be gotten, so, so take this back. No, once it's out, it's out. So you've got to protect it before you're concerned about someone finding it. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I have an update on Mark Klang, a second update. We gave an update last week. Now I have a second update about him. I invited him to come on the show. And sadly, he did not come on the show. He says that he can't because there's certain things happening. But I, th- I think I know what he's talking about because uh, I'm going to read something to you from his Twitter that will probably clarify why he doesn't want to come on the show yet. We're still friendly. like We're not friends, but we're, we're on good terms. When he posted last week about how he had $5 million in one time, $5 million, that is, and also was making a lot of money in crypto, and he had crypto miners working for him and all that, and that now he's flat broke and living with his parents and has a family to support, blah, blah, blah. We talked about that last week. But what I didn't notice in the discussion, and this discussion occurred last week, too. It occurred on February 16th, the whole thing. Uh, the killer, Pat Cruz, I actually know him. He used to be part of Neverwind Poker. He's not part of Poker Fraud Alert for whatever reason, but we, we get along okay. He noticed this tweet from Mark Klang about the $5 million that he lost and doesn't have anymore. So he asked, what website? How do you go broke? So Mark Klang said back, and again, I missed this last week, but Mark Klang said back, no website. I had embezzled it all from an employer, completely unknown and only found out because of the whole Yayo gate, which I'll tell you in a second thing. But I've spun it up and dumped it two times the spin up, more times than Archie Karras. Okay, so let me explain what he means by all this. Some of you may not know what all that is referring to. The Yayo Gate thing was, he was talking about the whole thing that occurred, we discussed it last week and also back in 2017 when he came on the show, that he was gambling at a private blackjack game, a private illegal blackjack game in Florida run by John Raisner and some others, where even though he was totally drugged out of his mind, somehow he was running super hot and betting bigger and bigger and ran up 500k at the game and they didn't want to pay him. He calls it Yayo Gate because he was he was blasting that that music in the background, and uh, he said because because his uh, prominence greatly increased because of all the stories about the 500k he ran up and Raisner wouldn't pay him. Raisner being a, a former World Series of Poker main event runner up, so a lot of people paid attention to it. That uh, his employer must have looked more into him, like, how the hell does Mark have this type of money to bet, and figured out that Mark Klang was an embezzler. And keep in mind, he's Im- he's admitting this out of the blue. No one, It's not like people figure out, hey, Mark Klang was an embezzler. He's like, yeah, I, I embezzled it. <laughs> Which is a weird thing to write. 
unless he's already admitted to it to the employer, but it's a weird thing to write on Twitter when nobody knows about this. But he, I had embezzled it all from an employer, and it was only found out because of the whole Yayo Gate thing, but I've spun it up and dumped it two times the spin-up more times than probably Archie Harris. So Archie Harris was this uh, crazy gambler who ran up small amounts of money to many, many millions of dollars only to chunk it off again, then run it back up, then chunk it off again, and he was one of the most famous... Uh, crazy gamblers of all time and of course died broke and, and when people would see him playing very low limit games at the end of his life they said how can you play for such low stakes after you've played for for many millions of dollars and he says hey it's action right there was a guy who always had to be have some kind of action whether big or small and he was never satisfied he just would always bet bigger and bigger and bigger and he had some pretty amazing streaks so he said that he he's probably run it up and down more times than Arctic Harris has, maybe not to the extreme as far as that many millions of dollars, but that uh, it wasn't like he embezzled from an employer and lost it all, that he actually ran it up, lost it back, ran it up, lost it back. He's saying double what he embezzled to where he could have easily put it back, but then would lose it back and wouldn't be able to. Then he also said that what's even sicker is in January 2019, I started a car lot, make 200 K profit on paper, 150K of it in cash, finally bankruptcy this month, hoping to avoid jail if I can spin up 40K quickly, probably would make a good podcast, LOL. That's when I invited him to come on here, and he said he can't come on. I don't. He posted then a, uh, a thing about uh, cars that were being sold, and I, I don't completely understand it all, but it, it does sound like somehow he started some kind of car lot where he was selling cars and making a decent profit. I don't know exactly what happened to that. It's not... not totally clear what he means by all that but it seems like he's saying here that um he needs to make uh 40k quickly at this point he has no real income at this point but he's got to he's got to make 440k quickly probably to pay back this employer or he's going to go to jail and even, even if he does get the 40k he could probably avoid he, he may go to jail but it seems to me like he's already been discovered about this embezzlement and whether there's going to be consequences, like criminal consequences, he doesn't know yet. But if he can come up with the money to pay them back, it's going to increase his chances, he thinks, of not having criminal consequences. But wow, he apparently the money he ran up, and actually makes me feel less sorry for him, by the way, from what happened in 2017. But the money that he ran up at this private blackjack game with John Raisner, where Raisner tried, and the others tried to cheat him, it looks like that was embezzled money in the first place. So, so Klein is there playing with embezzled money, runs it up to 500k, and then the poker players don't want to don't want to pay him, and they also don't know he was playing with embezzled money. What a freaking mess! Everybody, everyone's stealing from the other here. He's playing with stolen money, runs it up, and then the people he he's wanted from don't want to pay him. Wow, that is degeneracy for you on many ends. So Mark Klein's is always he's always an open book. This is a really really sick gambler who admits he has the problem and just can't get it under control. And in fact, just makes it very public. Can you imagine the guys coming out and saying, hey, I embezzled? Usually this has to come out first, and then the person will have to decide whether to own up to it. But this is someone, even if you've been caught, like to just come out and go, yeah, I was an embezzler. Nobody knew about this. He just puts it out there. Here's something else that I have. Then we're going to take a break. I, I've, Trader Risk, are you going to go to sleep after the break? Or before the break? Yeah, I'm I'm done. You're done. Are you going to be here for this last topic with Ray Davis, or are you going to go right now? I w- shit, I wish I could. I got I got a meeting. I, should, I shouldn't have said anything. I should have just kept going. But, 
I, I should have just kept going until you, you actually just disappeared. It's my fault for saying, are you leaving? Now you're leaving. That's all good. <laughs> but I'll be listening. Okay. Well, thank you, Trader Risky, for joining us. All right. Thanks, Jeff. See you later. Okay. Thanks, Bob. Oops. I, I cut him off, and also there was a, kind of a weird sound at the end. I, I hope it wasn't him passing gas. Or like, Argh. Okay. I'm going to give you a Ray Davis update again. Just like we're giving a second update on Mark Klang. Here is a second update on Ray Davis and his case, including information that was provided to me by two different attorneys, uh, Eric Benzamokin and one other who listens to the show. So first of all, some updates. Uh, Well, a small update. On uh, February 19th, it says, Ms. Ramsey advised Mr. Mueller. Mr. Mueller is his attorney. I'm not sure who Ms. Ramsey is. Uh, that Mr. Mueller's in Henderson. Ms. Collins, who's the DA, is in a grand jury and requested a continuance until the 24th, which is Monday, which is going to be this morning, actually. Uh, court so ordered custody 22420 defendant's motion and notice of motion for reinstatement of own recognizance release. So it looks like this was the hearing which was supposed to take place on February 19th was delayed because both his attorney and the DA could not make it. So they continued it for five days to February 24th, and Ray is still trying to get released on his own recognizance and have the $500,000 bail lifted, which I'm guessing will not happen. Now, back on February 5th, I mentioned that his attorney, Craig Mueller, not Greg Mueller again, but Craig Mueller, filed a Wittis motion. And I said, what is a Wittis motion? W-I-D-D-I-S. What is a Wittis motion? I tried to even Google it. I couldn't come up with it. Uh, Eric Benzamokin nicely texted me that a Wittis motion is a request by the defense counsel to be compensated by the state based on financial inability for the defendant to pay his defense fees. So it looks like to me that Ray is either broke or saying he's broke, and his attorney, Craig Mueller, has filed a Wittis motion to get paid by the state, which makes sense. A, A defendant hires an attorney, can no longer pay him, the attorney is still on the case, has to finish the case, and the witness motion is basically saying, uh, this guy can't pay me anymore, but I want the state to pay me. So he, Mr. Mueller filed a witness motion on February 5th. Doesn't directly impact Ray, but interesting by itself. Also on February 5th, it did say, quote, uh, she, referring to the district attorney, Ms. Collins, gave counsel a new return from Facebook on a disk. What does that mean, a new return from Facebook on a disk? It seems related to the attempt to track down an out-of-state witness they're trying to get named uh, Kendall Finley. It seems to be the defense is attempting to reach uh, Kendall Finley, and something having to do with Facebook has been obtained. But I, I don't quite – what I don't understand what they mean by a, a new return from Facebook on a disk. So I guess there will be an update this week because the the hearing that was supposed to take place on the 19th is going to take place in about probably seven hours or so on the 24th. Right now it's uh, almost 1.30 a.m. on the 24th. Now here's another interesting piece of information that could lead to Ray Davis getting exonerated. Ray Davis may walk on this one, but also maybe not. On February 3rd, and I I read this last week and didn't understand it, but now I do, thanks to another attorney who listens to the show. On February 3rd, it said, colloquy, meaning conversation, regarding scheduling of defendant's motion to dismiss in Zunza case and trial readiness. 
I go, what is an Enzunza case? I-N-Z-U-N-Z-A. What is an Enzunza case? Well, it turns out it's a recent thing. And they're trying to get Ray, uh, this whole thing dropped, based on a case that occurred in December 2019, very recent. So this is what an attorney who listens to the show, not Eric Benzamokum, a different one, wrote to me. The Inzunza case you mentioned should actually be Raymond's get-out-of-jail-free card. In December 2019, the Nevada Supreme Court affirmed dismissal of a criminal case, also against an alleged child molester, Rigoberto Inzunza, based on violations of Inzunza's Sixth Amendment right to a speedy trial. Just like Davis, Inzunza was indicted and had a warrant out for his arrest for over two years, but was never arrested due to the Las Vegas Metro Police Department's gross negligence. Sounds familiar, right? There may be factors that distinguish this case from Davis's. For instance, the state may have offered something to rebut the presumption uh, that the delay prejudiced, prejudiced Davis, whereas they did not for Inzunza, but it's pretty on point. And you can see in the thread on the Flying Stupidity Forum about Ray Davis, I actually posted a PDF of the Inzunza case. You can read it if you want. It's not that long, but you can click on it and you can read the PDF of the case. So this is not a well-known case. This is something that occurred in Nevada just uh, two months ago. And very similar. I don't know what the problem is with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police where they're just forgetting to arrest people accused of sex crimes. Isn't that crazy? Two different people recently were accused of sex crimes against minors and sat for years without being arrested due to incompetence? That's exactly what happened to Ray, where they were looking to arrest Ray dating back three years, and it sat and sat and sat, and it's only because he was stopped in a traffic stop in April 2018 and they happen to look something up like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we need to arrest you. <laughs> Yet Ray was completely reachable. He was not hiding. He was very public where he was. He said he wasn't aware that they were looking to arrest him. I believe him. I think they were just incompetent. And they. it, it does seem there was some mistake that occurred where they just never came to arrest him. It was in the system, but nobody ever came to go find him and arrest him, even though he was very, very easy to locate. This was someone who was not hiding at all and very public of where he was. In fact, he was even public about poker events he was playing. He was even public when he'd be at his Real Grinders Lounge. So Ray was not hiding, that's for sure. So the question is, will he get off the same way that this Inzunza guy got off? Very similar case where he was also accused of uh, sex with minors. Also happened very recently. Also... The accusation was over something years ago that was reported years ago, and they just forgot to arrest him. And he was released because this was considered a violation of his Sixth Amendment rights to the right of a speedy trial. But this is not automatic because if the state responds saying, well, yeah, we took some extra time to arrest him, but that doesn't affect this case at all. Because the defendant didn't know that he was going to be under arrest. He didn't know that we were looking to arrest him. So just because we arrested him later, it's it's within the statute of limitations for it. And just because we forgot to arrest him doesn't mean this violated his rights, especially when he didn't even know that he was under suspicion. So this really didn't affect anything other than giving him a few extra years of freedom. Now, if I had to decide, I would say yes, that I, I can't see how this violates his right to a speedy trial. Your right to a speedy trial is should be more of when you are arrested and just sit rotting in jail waiting for a trial to take place. That's the violation of a right to a speedy trial. If they don't arrest you in the first place because they forget, I, I, I can also see it argued if, if uh, you, it just hangs over your head forever 
and, and they just don't get on with the trial. That could happen as well, where attorney's fees can rack up or it's, it's psychologically damaging. They, it's not fair to someone to arrest them and then leave them twisting in the wind where they just choose not to have a trial for years. So that's, that would also be a reasonable violation of the, of the, of the Sixth Amendment rights, in my opinion. But, but this, where Ray admits that he had no idea this was coming, is this really any different than had the girls just made the complaint about him in 2018? About something that happened in 2014. How is it any different? Because Ray never knew that they were looking to arrest him. So he wasn't waiting or, or hiring attorneys or anything like that. He, he really thought everything was fine. Whether he's guilty or not, he, he was not suspecting an arrest was coming. He admitted that, and I believe it. But this Anunza guy beat it, so maybe he will too. It was also in Nevada. And the Nevada Supreme Court ruled in favor of Anunza, and given that it was so recent and so similar, maybe his attorney, Craig Mueller, will be good at getting the same thing done. Maybe he won't be. Maybe it's different circumstances I don't know about. Maybe Mueller won't do as good of a job with it as uh, the attorney of this Anunza guy. Who knows? It is a good strategy, according to this attorney who messaged me, that they're even trying this. And I had no idea such a thing existed. I knew about the Sixth Amendment. I didn't know this could be considered a violation for the reason that I just stated. So we will see, I'm sure, by next show, which is right now expected to be on the 29th, on Saturday the 29th of February. I have a feeling I will have the information of what happened on the 24th, and we'll be able to tell you what's happening with that. Maybe we'll even know where this... uh attempt to dismiss based upon this Nzunza case, whether, where, whether that is uh, something that goes somewhere for Ray. That would be super lucky if he gets off that way. That's That would be running really well. No matter how bad Ray runs in poker going forward, he should. Uh, that would be running super well. That, that's when you say, I, I've, just, I've used up my one time and not on poker, <laughs> if, the, if that's what gets him off. Because whether he's guilty or innocent, getting off that way is really lucky because this was through incompetence. And it really seems like that's the reason they didn't arrest him was through incompetence. There's no, there's no other logical explanation of why this went on for years and they didn't arrest him. I cannot think of one. And, and when the media, when Channel 8 in Vegas tried to question them what happened, they gave kind of a, kind of a convoluted answer that seemed to indicate without directly saying it that it was incompetence. <laughs> they didn't give like a, a good legal explanation. They, they kind of talked about it was transferring between department, departments and that something may have happened and it looks like they just screwed up. All right, so that's the update on Ray Davis. We will continue covering this matter as it goes forward. So what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to take a break. I should have done the Galfon thing in the middle of the show because that gave my voice a big break because I I didn't talk as much as I was playing those clips. Now I'm just constantly talking, so that's not good for my voice. It's not good for my throat. I'm going to take a break here, and I will be back shortly. Going to play the ad for Eric Benzamokin, who contributed somewhat to tonight's free roll. I thank him for that and for all the generosity that he gives to this site, including the generosity of his expertise. Telling me about that Wittis motion, I didn't know. And it's funny, like the two, these two attorneys, they, they didn't know that they were each communicating with me. One told me one thing, one told me the other. So Eric tells me about the Wittis motion and not the thing about the Inzenza case, and the other guy tells me about the Inzenza case, but not the Wittis motion. Perfect. I got uh, two valuable pieces of information. Uh, what other sites are doing this? Like, I, I guarantee if this was covered on 2 plus 2, we would not get such uh, such thorough coverage. Unless it was like a really, really big thread with like tons of people participating. Otherwise, But th- this has been very thorough. I, I've even learned a lot here. And it's interesting. 
It's even more interesting because I know Ray, and I'm interested to see how this plays out. All right. We will be back shortly. We have five more topics, not even close to finished. So if you like long shows, be happy. We've got plenty of time left. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your disputes. You're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back, and I have refreshed my throat, did some rinse, got myself ready for the final five topics of tonight. Then we will be done for six days. It is amazing how much has happened in six days that we have so many different topics to talk about. Now, one topic that's not new, but I have not talked about yet, is the topic about the movie that they're going to make about Phil Ivey. Yes, the edge sorting situation that Phil Ivey has been going through and his legal battles is actually going to be the subject of a theatrical movie. And it's going to star, I don't know who's going to play Phil Ivey, the movie is going to be called The Baccarat Machine. It's going to star Aquafima as his accomplice, Chung Yin Kelly Sun, and she's considered the most successful female gambler in modern history, according to this article. I don't know if that's true. And it says the film follows her unlikely partnership with legendary poker player Phil Ivey. I don't think that partnership's that unlikely. I mean, it was an advantage play, and she used his bankroll and uh, his notoriety as, as a gambler and her abilities. 
So it wasn't that unlikely of a partnership. But the working title is The Baccarat Machine. And it's going to be played by uh, Aquafina. It's, it's spelled uh, A-W-K-W-A-F-I-N-A. So it's not spelled the same way as the water Aquafina. I think it's supposed to, it's supposed to be like Aquafina. Like she's awkward. It's like almost like awkward Aquafina. Aquafina. And I don't know. For what I've seen of her, she seems kind of obnoxious. She's uh, kind of like a young, brash, female Asian comedian. And I, I didn't find her to be very appealing. And it's, it's kind of strange to think about her in a serious role. Because there's nothing funny about this story. It's an interesting story. I'm not sure if it'll play well to mass audiences. But uh, it's not going to be a comedy role. And I guess they're making it anyway. Again, I'm not sure who is going to be the one playing Ivy. It says the movie is inspired by an article that was written by Michael Kaplan in Cigar Aficionado. And the article was really more about this uh, Chiang Yin son rather than Ivy. In the article in Cigar Aficionado, it, it describes Sun as a young Chinese woman who turns into a painstakingly developed talent and obsession for payback into beating the system at their own game. With major casinos conspiring to bar her from their property, Sun partners with the international king of poker, Phil Ivey, to take down the system through subterfuge, ingenuity, and pure daring, resulting in one of the most ingenious legal gambling runs ever documented. Supposedly, it will be produced and financed by SK Global. And it will also be produced by Sharp Independent Pictures. The script, which is currently in development, is going to be written by Andy Bellin. I don't know who he is. It's not clear who will be directing it or who the uh, producers will be or who will be playing Phil Ivey. Regarding Aquafina, it says Aquafina is uniquely equipped to bring Kelly to life on screen and will infuse the role with genuine humor and humanity. So maybe there will be humor, but I, I don't know. She just doesn't seem right for the role, but I guess we'll have to see. She's currently in a Comedy Central series called Aquafina is Nora from Queens, which I've seen some trailers for. It looks stupid. And uh, I don't know. She was also in, or I guess SK Global. They were the ones behind the film Crazy Rich Asians. So I guess they're also going to be making this about an Asian woman. So we will see. Maybe they can do a good story out of this. This is the type of thing I would think is more interesting for people who are fascinated with gambling than the general public. But you never know. Sometimes they can take things and make an interesting movie out of what would seem like a mundane topic. Think about Marriage Story that's on Netflix that gets a lot of good reviews. A lot of people really love Marriage Story. And yet, if you think about it, it's just a movie about a couple getting a divorce. And on its surface, it would seem like that's going to be boring. But a lot of people loved it. So you never know. Sometimes you can take topics that don't seem movie-worthy, and yet they are. A lot, of, a lot of it has to do with how talented the writer is, how talented the director is, and how talented the actors are in bringing the characters to life. I definitely will want to see this. I've covered this story so much that this is something that interests me. It's not clear when this will be released, but when it does, I am interested to see it. And I will give you more updates as this 
gets more underway. These are the very early stages of it. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. I'm surprised. I just looked at our ratings. They're actually almost as high as they were at any point in the night. Maybe people fell asleep and they just never turned it off. Actually, I know that happens sometimes because when the show is over, I notice there's still some people turned in, tuned in. Like, I'll turn the show off, but they're still connected to the server. And I go, okay, these are people who are sleeping. We talked a little bit earlier about Mark Klang and his embezzlement to gamble. There's someone else accused of doing so, and that is a Massachusetts state representative who is accused and actually was arrested for stealing campaign funds to gamble with. That's kind of disturbing, but not surprising from a politician. This is not a very prominent politician. This is uh, a 59-year-old state rep uh, in Massachusetts named uh, David Nangle. He was arrested in Boston and charged in federal court for illegally using campaign funds for gambling both online and at brick-and-mortar casinos. It reveals in court documents that he knew that this was strictly prohibited to take campaign funds to do, but still did so anyway. He not only used the money for gambling, he also used the campaign funds for dues to a local golf club, travel expenses for casino trips, flowers, restaurants, and thousands of dollars in gift card purchases. He is a 59-year-old Democrat, and he was indicted on 10 counts of wire fraud, 4 counts of bank fraud, 9 counts of making false statements to a bank, and 5 counts of filing false tax returns. You might wonder how some of these charges fit into stealing campaign funds to gamble. Uh, but, uh, what happened was during the period of 2014 to 18, he filed false tax returns with fake business deductions for quote consulting work. And, uh, that he also was getting loans from banks based on, uh, false incomes that he claimed he had and also was understating his outstanding debts to get bigger loans, which then he would use, again, to fund uh, gambling habits and also to pay back individuals who had loaned him money, basically borrowing from Peter, the bank, to pay Paul. And uh, it says, despite his salary and perks, which is about $100,000, Nangle was heavily in debt, had poor credit, and had regular cash flow problems as a result of extensive gambling at various casinos in Connecticut, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, among others, placing thousands of dollars in bets on Internet gambling sites. Well, uh, this is not surprising. I mean, people get addicted to gambling. And what's amazing to me is that, and I'll tell you this, if you ever get yourself into this position, just remember this. You're very unlikely to get out of the hole from negative EV gambling from more negative EV gambling. And even if there's a tiny chance that you're going to get out of it, you're probably not. And even if you do, you're probably going to keep gambling because you think you got out of it and it, it'll all be fine. So the solution, if you are if you have a negative EV gambling problem, which is basically any gambling where you're not very, very sure that you have an advantage over the house, which... Most people do not. Even if you do have an advantage over the house, you have to make sure you do and make sure that you have the bankroll to withstand variants that may beat you anyway. That you just stop gambling. You just accept the loss and move on. As hard as it is. It'll just get worse. 
and this guy couldn't do that. I, I'm very sure this guy was not playing negative, uh, positive expectation games or advantage playing. He was just going to casinos and shooting off, and probably did so in online casinos too. I don't know if any of this was in poker. I don't know if any of this was in sports, but basically the guy was just shooting off money he didn't have and then just chasing, chasing, chasing and getting further and further in debt, borrowing from people, lying to banks to get loans from them, and it, it all crashed down. After about five years, it completely crashed down, and now he is facing uh, possibly many years in prison, especially because he's being charged with so many different things. The false tax returns for five years with the false statements to banks to get loans on false pretenses and on stealing the campaign funds. There's a lot of things they can go after here. So who knows how long he could end up in jail or in prison. And he's 59 already. So that's one of these things where who knows if he'll even get out with that many years left to live. Now, he didn't do anything violent. And the amount of money stolen, uh, I don't know how much it was total. But that may work in his favor to where it doesn't appear to be millions. So he may get a sentence, especially if he pleads guilty, where they drop some of the other things and they just, you know, he pleads guilty to everything and drops a few other things. And maybe they give him three years or five years, whatever it is, this is where it ended. And this is where it had to end. He was never going to get out of this. And I I know a lot of people listen to the show Gamble and enjoy gambling, but just remember, you're never going to get yourself out of the hole with negative expectation expectation gambling. You're you're just going to keep losing. You may win in the short term, you're going to lose again. So you got to get it under control. You've got to gamble at a level that you know that in the worst case, it's not going to really harm you. And be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Can, can I afford to lose this? And then stop when you get there until you get back on your feet to where you can afford to lose it again. And honestly, that's not a good way to live anyway. Even if you don't really get yourself in a terrible hole, if every time you get extra money, you use it to gamble and lose, you're not going to get anywhere. It's, it's better to use the money in ways where you might gain. Where you, you have a fighting chance of gaining. I mean, even even invested in Bitcoin. I mean, it's, at least Bitcoin is kind of random whether it's going to go up or down. You can luck into making good money in Bitcoin. You can also bad luck into getting your ass beat in Bitcoin. But at, at least that's a lot better than negative expectation gambling. You can have d- dumb luck in Bitcoin that really does uh, make you money. It's kind of a crapshoot at this point. But either do that or learn how to play poker better and make sure you get in good spots and be disciplined and make money that way. Um, learn how to advantage play. Don't just shoot off in negative expectation spots where it's going to cost you a lot of money. Or otherwise, uh, it'll be a bad ending. Even if it's not as bad as this uh, David Nangle who's going to prison most likely, uh, people will lose their homes, they lose their kids' college funds, they lose their marriage, they lose any wealth they acquired. It's something that happens to people and has been happening for a very long time before any of us were born. And you're not going to be the one to break the cycle. Remember that. Remember David Nangle if you're possibly in that spot yourself. And save yourself before it gets there. You can always save yourself before it gets there. You have to keep your mind too. You can you can just stop at one point. It may be hard, but you can just stop and say no more. If you have the discipline, scale it back to much lower limits to where it's not going to harm you that much. You can still get the, the kick out of gambling and just do it at lower limits. Okay. This is a sad story because this is something people don't see coming. People can feel good that they're playing on a licensed and regulated site only to find out that their money is gone and that the money they thought they won, they actually lost. There's a site in the UK called MoPlay. It's actually still up. You can't bet on it anymore. But if you Google 
Moplay, that's M-O-P-L-A-Y. You'll see there's go.moplay.com, and you can click on it, and it'll take you to the site Moplay. I can't guarantee how much longer it's going to be there, but it's there right now. If you click on that, it will say, Please note that Moplay cannot take any further bets or accept any gambling activity. If customers have any queries, please contact our solutions team, and they give an email. Well, don't bother contacting their solutions team because their solutions team, unfortunately, has no solutions, and in reality, your money is gone. And this was a licensed and regulated site that took sports bets and also had a casino. I don't know if they had poker. It doesn't look like it. But this was a licensed and regulated gambling site in the UK. It wasn't in one of these little jurisdictions that hands out a license to anyone who pays enough. This is the UK. And yet, if you had money on there, it's gone. You're not getting it. You can't get it from the government. You can't get it from them. It's just gone. And that's that. And it may make you ask, okay, then what's the point of playing on a licensed and regulated site if this can happen? And the answer to that is... Well, if it's not well-regulated, there isn't. And in the UK, apparently, it's not very well-regulated. Now, what happened was Moplay had their license revoked to where they were not allowed to continue taking bets, and that's why they stopped. Otherwise, they would keep doing it. But they were, they were still soliciting deposits. They were still taking bets. They were still trying to get themselves out of the hole by encouraging Peter to deposit to pay Paul. And then the UK took away their license, knowing that this whole thing... Uh, had become basically a Ponzi scheme. Maybe not intentionally one, but it had become one, where they're just uh, taking new deposits to pay out those that they owe money to. And that's not the way these sites can continue running. So once they lost their license, then they could no longer continue, and they, they had to stop. At first, people thought maybe they just lost their license and they could withdraw, but then they got the bad news that they cannot withdraw either. Uh, someone put on Twitter, Paul Fairhead, I don't know who he is, but he put on Twitter... Uh, Update, MoPlay have updated the message on their website, which states they are no longer processing withdrawals due to financial difficulties. Barring a miracle, it would appear that any funds held there are lost. This message says, please note, MoPlay's license has been suspended. We cannot take any of the bets, any further bets or accept any other gambling activity. Due to financial difficulties, we are unable to process withdrawals. We draw your attention to Clause 9 of our terms and conditions, which refers to the status of funds in the case of insolvency. And then they give the terms and conditions... Uh, it says it can be accessed in the My Account section of the website. Now, this message isn't there anymore. It was there on February 22nd, but then when I looked uh, a short time after that, yesterday, it was gone. And it was just replaced with, we're not taking bets anymore. Now, maybe that's a small silver lining. I don't think so. I don't think I, don't, I can't see on the 22nd how they go, we can't pay anyone to on the next day. Uh, yeah, we can't take any more bets. Uh, contact support. If you want to know what to do from here, I think they just don't want to put it public anymore. I think they, I think they want to reduce the outrage, so they're just saying, "Hey, contact support, and we'll let you know." And then support probably going to tell you, "Oh yeah, sorry, um, we're, at, we're all out of funds here, so uh, tally ho, pip pip, let's get on with it." You get a bloody big zero in your account, so it looks like they're just insolvent, and that's it. Which means they stole player funds. You have to understand what insolvent means in this case. It's not, it's not like a, a regular business going insolvent. It's not like a restaurant's insolvent and it has to close down. This is like a restaurant that takes your order and you prepay, and then instead of giving you your food, they say, uh, oh, sorry, 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 old chap. Um, unfortunately, we, we're insolvent and we cannot serve you your food nor refund your money. Tally ho, pip, pip, and uh, get on with it. Th that 
It's basically what happened. <laughs> Insolvent means we stole your money. Because there should be separated funds. I don't know what the UK rules on this are, but there should be separate funds. There should be the account of player funds, which should absolutely positively never be touched other than to pay out players. And then there should be the account of operating funds. And once the account of operating funds goes to zero, then they should either shut down and pay everyone out from the player funds, or they should uh, temporarily suspend it and say, your money's safe, but we're trying to secure other funding, and we still have your money, and we'll process withdrawals shortly if we can get additional operational funding. That's the way it should take place, but it doesn't. Here they stole player funds before finally giving up. And they were soliciting deposits. I actually see screenshots on Twitter of MoPlay still in the final week before they lost their license asking people to deposit. So just like all these other sites that go insolvent, that steal player money, they're asking for deposits up until the final day and they give you no clue of the fact that they are broke. And that's just straight up stealing. In fact, taking the player funds in the first place is straight up stealing. And I will never accept the explanation from any of these sites that, well, we have to take the player funds, otherwise we can't continue operating. The only way we can ever pay people is if we take the player funds so we can keep operating. No, you stop operating. You stop operating and then disperse the funds or suspend it for a short time to see if you can get more investment into your company. You cannot take the player funds. They don't belong to you. You can make all the excuses you want. You cannot steal other people's money to continue the operation of your business. Just because you're holding the player funds doesn't mean the funds are yours. If you come over to me and say, hey, Todd, can you hold this money for me? I say, okay. Say, hey, I'm going to come back and get it shortly. Okay. That doesn't mean I can go out and spend it. That means I've agreed to hold it and keep it safe for you. I can't say, oh, oh, oh I, there's this great game that started, and I, and I know I'm broke, but I really wanted to play that game, so I, I used your money. You can you imagine how pissed that person would be, and rightfully so? That's what they're doing. They're, they're stealing player money to continue operating. But the we've seen this play out time and time again with poker sites and other gambling sites, which go broke and disappear. The story here is that this is a licensed and regulated site in the UK. Now, I won't pretend to be an expert on UK regulations or the consequences when this happens, but in general, if there's going to be a licensed and regulated site, if there's going to be that system in your country, then the regulations are meaningless unless they have teeth. There has to be serious consequences for violating them. There has to be civil consequences for some things and criminal consequences for other things, or in some cases both. And in the case of stealing player funds, there should be people who are put in prison. And if there are not, then you do not have a proper regulatory system in place. There need to be very, very severe consequences, both civilly and criminally, for stealing money on deposit. Furthermore, there should be a requirement that all player funds are stored in a separate account, and there should be some sort of monitoring by the regulators to make sure that is occurring. That would be good regulation. But just to issue a license and have requirements, but then really not much teeth if, if they run afoul of these requirements other than taking their license, that's pretty useless. Yeah, they lose their license, big deal. That just means they can't continue pe- stealing from people, but it means they can steal it from people until they get caught and nothing happens. So I don't know if MoPlay is going to have any consequences. The operators, that is. I know that it's probably never coming back MoPlay. 
But I'm afraid the operators just get away with this. And I don't think that uh, anyone's going to prison for this. The UK Gambling Commission is what suspended their license. And the license that was suspended was their the parent company, Addison Global, which I hadn't heard of before. Uh, by the way, the suspension of the license does not mean they can't pay people. That just means they can't take bets or deposits anymore. They can always pay people out even when unlicensed. That's something I want everyone to understand. Uh, Matchbook, which is a long-running site that runs in the UK. In fact, at one point they took American bets back in the 2000s. I used to use them. They also got suspended, but th- their situation may not have to do with being insolvent. There seems to be more of a procedural thing. I think they will come back. Uh, the suspension of the license, the statement from the UK GC was, we've decided to commence a review because we suspect that Addison Global Limited has breached a condition of the license, section 1201B, and is unsuitable unsu- to carry on the license activities, section 121D of the Act. We consider it appropriate to suspend the license with immediate effect pending the conclusion of the review. So now it's illegal for them to offer money, real money gaming, but it's too late. Right now what's going on is that the gaming commissioner is working with Addison Global on restructuring proposals that they're they're trying to say they want to continue uh, the business and further development, and it includes honoring all outstanding liabilities. But uh, apparently they've been working on this for a while. It hasn't materialized, and finally the gaming commission said that uh, they just have to take away the license. So the fact that they were trying to restructure and then they just couldn't make it happen shows that they were probably just scrambling for money and couldn't get it, and that was that. The Gibraltar government, which uh, I guess that's where this was based, even though this is uh, UK Gambling Commission, you know, Gibraltar is part of that. Is it, uh, their statement said, uh, It is most disappointing that the promised financial support from the shareholders failed to materialize as the firm has not received the financial support it was projected to receive when it first licensed. Whilst the directors will have to address the solvency issues, the decision has been made to suspend the relevant licenses to protect consumers from any further detriment. It doesn't sound like anyone's going to jail. And it kind of seems like that they probably didn't have the financial support in the first place that they claimed they were going to get when they were first licensed. Well, that, that's kind of stupid that <laughs> they're talking about their, their projected financial support. How about their actual financial support? Not what they think they're going to get, but what they're really going to get. But it sounds like the regulation in the UK sucks that this could happen. This is poorly regulated if this if the same thing's happening here as what happens to the unregulated sites. I didn't think this was possible. That's really lousy. So hopefully in the US, I mean there there's bigger operations in the US, so I think this is less likely, but hopefully in the US this this does not occur with any kind of the online gaming that's been expanding recently, the online sports betting, the online casino gaming. It's not going to happen to companies like Caesars, MGM, but hopefully we don't see some kind of smaller outfit have this occur. Hopefully there there are these regular regulatory requirements in all U.S. jurisdictions, and they they really should have these in the U.K. Not just in letter, but also that they should enforce them, and that there should be strong criminal penalties for breaking them, and there should also be a lot more monitoring to prevent this from occurring, or when it starts to occur, they should catch it very quickly. And put an end to it. So that's really offensive that this has happened. And I feel bad for those that have been a victim of MoPlay, even though it's not in my country. All right, moving on to the next topic, something completely different. Let's talk about a new game that they are going to have on Poker Stars that has really got me thinking. And in fact, I'm going to test the game. I'm going to explain it to you shortly. 
but it's a game that is probably a logical progression from what's been happening to Omaha, which has been rocketing in popularity recently. So you have to think that given what has happened with Omaha and how people like Omaha more and more, and Omaha keeps getting different variants, that this was likely to occur at some point. The game of Omaha is a newer game and was invented by a man named Robert Turner, who's still very much in the poker community. As I mentioned earlier in the show, most of you already know this, but Omaha has four cards where you have to use two cards out of the four cards you're dealt and then three on the board out of the five cards. It's similar to Hold'em, except you have to use two cards in your hand and you're dealt four cards instead of two. Omaha has a high and a high-low variant. The high-low variant is called uh, Eight or Better. But they came out with a new version of this, of a five-card Omaha that operates the same way, called Big O, and that operates as a high-low game. Sometimes it's limit, sometimes it's pot limit. The Big O is the same as Omaha, except you get five cards instead of four. Now, what happens from that is that a five-card Omaha, there's a lot more big hands made. The more cards people hold in their hands, the higher chance is that big hands are going to result. So what is a strong hand in Hold'em tends to be not a very strong hand in Omaha. For example, two-pair in Hold'em tends to be pretty good. But in Omaha, it's not that great. In Omaha, often you're going to lose a two-pair. In Omaha, if you try to take two-pair too far, you're going to get crushed. Furthermore, one pair in Omaha really isn't very good. And you can't get too excited by top pair best kicker because often that's beat. Furthermore, in Omaha, it's often harder to bluff because usually people have some peace. And uh, they'll either chase you down and catch you or they're already ahead of you and in Omaha, because it's so much easier to have the nuts than it is in Hold'em, often when people have the second nuts or worse, they will just check call. So you can keep hammering someone with with bets and think you're going to run them off. And in reality, they've just decided already they're just going to check call down with the second nuts. So it's it's different than in, in Hold'em, where it, it, it gets easier to run people off hands. So it's it's a different type of game, different strategy. You have to almost forget everything you know about Hold'em strategy when you go play Omaha. And Big O is that even to a further extreme, because in Big O, what's good in four-card Omaha, Big O, remember, is a high-low game, so it's like Omaha 8 or better. Uh, What's a good hand in that game is not always that good in Big O, because in Big O, that fifth card makes it much more likely that somebody has an even bigger hand. For example, it's pretty well known in Omaha 8 or better, the four cards, that if you have an ace-deuce in your hand, that already makes your hand fairly strong pre-flop. But in Big O, just ace-deuce isn't enough. Just ace-deuce is not that impressive. Uh, You really want ace-deuce and another low card, like uh, a 3-4 or 5, preferably a 3, to be in your hand uh, to make your hand a lot stronger. Because ace-deuce, just by itself, in, in Big O is much less powerful than it is in Omaha 8 or better. That's just one example. But just in general, a lot stronger hands are made, both high and low, 
in uh, in in Big O than there is in uh, Omaha Eight or Better. The reason I'm telling you all this is because now Poker Stars has added another card to where there is going to be, and I think already is, a six card Omaha for the first time ever. Wrong sound effect, but I'll go with it. There's now a six card Omaha that is uh, on Poker Stars, and I've never seen this game before, but that is weird. And I don't know what to think of that. Now, Big O has been very popular. A lot of people really enjoy it. A lot of people enjoy it more than four-card Omaha. One thing people really love about Big O is the game is really not over to the river. Big O is a game that is won on the river, not on the flop or turn. It's not so much like Hold'em, where if you flop something really big that you've just crushed everyone. It's, you can never feel too confident in Big O, unless you've really flopped a huge monster. If it's, you know, ace-ace something and you've got pocket aces in your hand, fine. Probably not going to lose at least not the high. But even there you could split. Someone else could have a better low than you, or you may have no low. So it's it's very hard in Big O to flop something and know you're going to scoop the whole pot. Unlike in Hold'em where you can flop a monster and it's very, very likely you're going to scoop the whole pot. So now they have a six-card Omaha on Poker Stars, and this is part of what Poker Stars is doing to make it where it's more about gambling than skill, to where there's more action, to where there's more bad beats, to where everyone has more of a chance, to so there's to where there's fewer instances where the fish puts its money in bad with no chance to get there. When you've got six cards in your hand and you've got some piece of the flop there's a good chance that you're going to make something weird you're not even expecting with the way the board runs out. The more cards you get dealt, the more things you can make, even things you're not expecting to make. So six-card Omaha is something I haven't seen before, but it added it. And uh, I don't even believe they had Big O there before. I think they went from only four-card Omaha to six-card Omaha. I don't know if they have, uh, if this is going to be eight or better also. I know it's uh, Omaha High. I don't know if they have a six-card Omaha high-low. It may just be a high version right now. The question is, is this a good game to have? Is this a game people should start playing in general? There is no big O event at the World Series of Poker, though I think there should be. But there is a version of an Omaha event, which I do play, called the Mixed Omaha, which has Omaha 8 or better, PLOH, which is the pot-livid version of Omaha 8 or better, and Big O, which is the five-card version of PLOH. And it rotates these three games. And I've played that the last two years. I almost cashed two years ago. I did cash last year. And I will be playing it again in 2020. But will this six-card Omaha catch on and eventually become part of the World Series, or will this be a game that's spread in cash games, as Big O has started to show up in casinos around the country and around the world. How many cards are too many in Omaha before we say enough is enough? The problem is that once there's too many cards, it starts to become just a matter of luck. I'm not saying there's no skill, but it starts to get harder and harder to get rewarded for the correct decisions. 
already Omaha has the problem that no hand completely crushes any other hand pre-flop. Pre-flop, it's not like in Hold'em. It's not like aces against ace-king where you've got a 95% chance to win before anything gets dealt on the board. There's nothing like that in Omaha. Every hand in four-card Omaha I'm talking about has a fighting chance. And in six-card Omaha, boy, does it have a fighting chance, every hand that's dealt. So that's already a problem is that you lose your pre-flop edge a lot. And then as far as post-flop, now it's true that I'm talking about if they were everyone were to go all in. The reason you do pick and choose the hands you play in Omaha and in Big O and in the six-card thing, the reason you pick and choose is because it becomes much tougher to play post-flop if you've got garbage because you don't know where you are in the hand. It's much easier to play these Omaha games if you have the nuts or you're drawing to the nuts. And if you're not, then even though you're ahead, it's hard to tell you're ahead. And it's hard to get any action from people if you're ahead, but you, but both of you are kind of weak. That, that's still why you play more premium hands. But th- that is kind of a flaw of the game, is that already pre-flopped, the decisions uh, don't matter that much from an all-in standpoint. And if there's so many cards in each person's hand that they can keep backing into hands that will bad beat people or, and get there when in ways they weren't even thinking of, that starts to detract from the edge that a better player will have over a worse player. This game hasn't been analyzed very much yet. So I don't even know what the proper strategy is. I have to think that in a high-low version, which again, I don't think is being offered yet, but in a high-low version, you probably need even a better combination of uh, low cards and you're probably looking if I had to guess it'd probably be a the best hand would be probably a mixture of low cards and Broadway cards something like uh, and, and maybe with pocket aces too maybe you'd want something like uh, ace ace uh, queen jack two three maybe that's the best thing to be dealt something where you can make both a high and a low easily where you've, you're kind of protected both ways. If the flop comes all very high, then you've got a very good shot at winning the high, and if the flop all comes very low, you've already hit the low, and it's hard to counterfeit. So it, I, I'm just speaking off the top of my head here. I haven't analyzed this game whatsoever, and I'm not going to unless it starts appearing somewhere other than Poker Stars. But this is part of Poker Stars' attempt to just make it to where anyone can win. They, and what what Chicago Joey said was correct that there's a certain company out there that may have great software and may have a lot of action, but that they are just less interested in letting the better players win in poker and more interested in making it more of a casino game environment where just the person who gets luckiest wins. He was totally talking about poker stars there. He was correct, and he he was correct that Phil Galfond was is not offering that type of site. He's actually trying to offer a pure poker site, uh, and that people should support him for that reason. But of course, the poker set has to be done well, which so far run at once has not. But going back to this, uh, I, I'd have to see some more analysis of this game. But rather than waiting around for someone to analyze it, I'm going to take the matter into my own hands and not analyze it, but actually play it. There is a home game that I have been going to. It's a low-limit home game, so don't get too excited. I'm not, I'm not going to some sort of secret home game where I'm making all kinds of money. At that home game, it's very interesting 
because they have a lot of different uh, variants of poker, including ones they just make up. Like people at this game will just make up things that they want to play. They actually just make up games and then teach everyone else the rules, and you play it, you've got to figure out your proper strategy on how to beat the game. Now, I need to tell you that this is something that I'm going to have to figure out on the fly as I play whether this is something that is any fun and what the best strategy is. And then the other guys at this game will try to figure this out too. But I'm going to suggest this next time I'm at this home game that we play six-card Omaha, and I'm going to suggest it's Omaha high-low because they prefer high-low at this game. They love they love big O at this game the most. So I'm going to suggest that we play a six-card Omaha high-low, and we will see how that is liked by the people next time I go there, which will be in the next few weeks. And I will report back how much I enjoyed this and what I noticed of the strategy that seems to work in the game. So I'll do that and and report back to you guys. But six-card Omaha has come. That is a little bit weird. I don't know how I feel about that. But I will try it. I will try it at this home game. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. See, I got one text here from the 507. Ah, I knew Clang had to have stolen that money somehow. It's like the Dennis Bleeden thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not that surprising that Clang got the money from embezzling. I thought at the time maybe he just got it from running it up. You just had one of these insane lucky run-ups. Or maybe that was one of many insane lucky run-ups that he just couldn't be satisfied with. And in a way it was, but it turns out the money was being seeded by stolen money. It's funny, I never thought about that before either. I never, like in the whole Mark Clank saga, I just never thought maybe this is stolen money. I think I was napping on the job there. That's something I should have thought of but did not. Okay, here's the final topic, and then I'm shutting this thing down. Shutting it down and... uh, doing a little post-processing, and we will put this up in the archives, and I will go to sleep. Harris Resort, Southern California, also known as Harris Rincon, has finally done it. They've finally done it. They have removed the 99% plus return video poker. And that is unfortunate because... That is the only Caesars property in Southern California. It is in northern San Diego County. And for a very long time, you could go there and you could run video poker and earn tier credits at a reasonable video poker game. One that was not positive expectation, but one that at least was over 99% return. Now, at one point, they had a great double super times pay bonus poker game, not even at the high of limits to where you could run tier credits pretty easily without risking all too much money. And it was fun because it was double super times pay, and the average payback was a 99.67 with perfect play. Great machine there. Unfortunately, I was one of the last ones to play it. They removed it uh, shortly after I played it in March of 2015. Very popular machine prior to that. It was always full, but uh, I think that's what kind of drew their attention to it. Actually, I think I got six Royals on that machine, which, believe it or not, were my only six... Royals in my life that weren't wild on video poker. I got them all on that trip. But after my six Royals, maybe they looked at the machine more carefully and they they killed it. Not my fault, of course, but that's the way it happened. 
But officially, they have killed all the video poker at Harris Resort Southern California, which I still refer to as Harris Rincon. They have removed all now of the machine's 99% return or better. The last one they've had that was there for a while was Aces and Faces 8-5 bonus poker, which had a return of 99.26%. It's a form of bonus poker, which has very, very similar strategy to Jacks or Better, because it does pay uh, even money for Jacks or Better and double money for two pair, instead of even money for two pair, as a lot of these bonus machines do. This did pay two times your money for two pair, so it was a very similar strategy to Jacks or Better, which made it pretty straightforward and easy to learn and easy to remember. And uh, it paid a little bit better than regular bonus poker because of uh, what were the good hands to get in that for four of a kind, which would pay extra, which gave you an extra 0.9% return on the machine. Uh, regular bonus poker is 917 return. This was a 99.26 return. So that was the best machine at uh, Harris Rincon, also known as Harris Resort, uh, Southern California. And this is uh, now gone. They got rid of it. And they no longer have any machines at Harris Resort, Southern California that will pay better than 99%. Aces and faces, it's uh, it's pretty similar. You would get uh, extra for four jacks, queens, or kings than four deuces through tens. And then the best is to get four aces. The reason this is different than bonus poker is because bonus poker would give you extra for four deuces, threes, fours, and fives instead of jacks, queens, and kings. Or deuces, threes, and fours, that is. And the reason it's better to get the bonus on uh, jacks, queens, and kings, quads those, and quad those instead of quad uh, deuces, threes, and fours, is that you're always, not always, but usually holding jacks, queens, and kings in attempt to get jacks or better, where deuces, threes, and fours you're often tossing away. So you'll sometimes back into four jacks, four queens, four kings by holding a single jack, queen, or king, where you never hold a single deuce, three, or four. So that's why this machine's better than regular bonus poker. But anyway... You don't need to know all that. What you do need to know is that that machine's gone. And now the best thing they have at Harris Rincon is a machine that is a double-double bonus poker, uh, 9-6, which is 98.98% return, which is really not very exciting. Not only that, you can't even get to the machine unless you have access to the Diamond Lounge because it's in the Diamond Lounge on the bar top. So if you can't get into that lounge then the best you can play there is uh, 9-5 jacks or better super times play, which is 98.72% return with a lot of variance. That's whole thing's kind of lousy. I no longer recommend Harris Resort Southern California as a way to earn tier credits. Just all the games there suck. They've just decided they're done with a 99% plus return games at that place. So slowly it's been degrading, and that's that. The reason this is a topic on this show is because now... If you think about it, in the West, there's some trouble if you want to earn tier credits. Harris Resort, Southern California, no longer any good. Harris Auction, near Phoenix, not any good. Las Vegas, not any good. Reno is going away, and is also not any good. 
that new Northern California resort they have. Not any good. The only thing that's good in the West, in the entire West, is Lake Tahoe. That's it. If you can't get to Lake Tahoe, which is not that easy to get to, you can't fly directly there. You got to fly to Reno and then f- somehow get there from Reno, which is an hour away. Uh, it's not close from LA. It takes uh, it's almost 500 miles to get there, so it's not an, that easy of a place to get to Lake Tahoe. And other than Sacramento, it's not all that close to any area where a lot of people live. But that's really the only place that has any good video poker in the western U.S. at Caesars Properties. The Cromwell, I think, has some, but they it's like $50 per tier credit. I think the Rio has some, too, but again, it's like $50 per tier credit. So you're, you can play the video poker, but you're not going to earn many tier credits. It's not worth it to try to make Diamond or Seven Star doing that. So that's pretty much it. If you want to earn tier credits, you're, you really only have two choices that are any good these days at Caesars Properties, and that's Lake Tahoe or Harris Cherokee in North Carolina. Everything else kind of sucks at this point. You can see the thread called Best Ways to Seven Stars or Diamond in a Day for Caesars Properties in the Casino and Las Vegas forum of Poker Fraud Alert if you want to see a list of all the properties and the fairly recently updated list of games, the best ones you can play in each place. But if you're looking for Diamond... And not seven star. And seven star is really not worth earning these days. But if you're looking for diamond, really the best way to get it now is status matches. Because if you can find a way to Wyndham Diamond, then you can match Wyndham Diamond to Caesar's Diamond. And keep in mind, Hilton Gold, if you if you're a Hilton Gold member, then you can match immediately to Wyndham Diamond, and then you can match to Caesar's Diamond within seven days. I know someone who did that and it worked. So and I think there's some other premium hotel cards that can also match to Wyndham Diamond. And and you can go to Wyndham's website and find this. I haven't looked recently, but there's it's not just Hilton. There's a, there's a number of premium hotel cards that will instantly match to Wyndham Diamond. And once you have Wyndham Diamond, you can get Caesar Diamond. It w- takes about a week, but it, you can get it. That's the best way to get Diamond if you want to minimize your cost or sometimes have no cost these days. But if you do want to have the fun of playing video poker while getting there, then uh, or, or you just don't have a way to get Wyndham Diamond, and you, you don't want to apply for that credit card to get Hilton Gold, then I would suggest going to either Lake Tahoe or the Harris Cherokee in North Carolina. The good thing is both of those properties, there's things to do other than gamble. In Lake Tahoe, there's summer activities on the lake and hiking. Of course, there in the winter, there's uh, snow play and skiing. Skiing's not very good this year because the snow sucked in 2020 so far. But nevertheless, they're skiing. And in uh, North Carolina, that's right by the Great Smoky Mountains and by Asheville, which are both uh, scenic. And also not super far from Atlanta, if you want to see that. Someone asked me, why would I want to see Atlanta? But I I did. I I had never seen Atlanta before. Last time I went there, I actually went to Atlanta. So there's things to do and things to see in both places. Neither is particularly easy to get to, though. Both of them require a flight to an airport that's not all that close, and then you have to drive in in some way or get some transportation in. But keep in mind, for 7-star, you're not going to get the free rooms anymore, and some people are getting rejected for 7-star once they get there. It's just not really worth earning. Unless you're going to get there anyway, it's not really worth shooting for. 
Diamond is fine. That's all I'm going for. That's all I have. But yeah, it's too bad the Rincon killed their good video poker. Uh, Harris Rincon, another problem is there's not a lot to do in that area. It's in Northern California, not Northern California, Northern San Diego County. And it's not by the attractions you'd think of in San Diego. It's not by SeaWorld. It's not by where the, the Padres play. Uh, nothing like that. You're just in the northern county, and you're not particularly close to anything. You're not even that close to Disneyland, nothing. You're not close to Legoland. Really, anything you want to go to is not that close. Not super far, but you're going to drive 45 minutes or whatever to get places you want to go, or more. And at Rincon itself, really the only thing there is to do, and this is really only in the summer, is uh, they have a pool with like a lazy river that you can float around on an inner tube if you like that. But there's not a whole lot to do over there if you're not gambling. So I, I don't know if I'll ever be going back there. And not only that, they have kind of like their own standards for comps. So you have to book it through them and they have to... They're kind of stingy with offers. So I I can't imagine they'll comp me again. I can't imagine I'll be staying there again. I wouldn't even stay there if I was going to San Diego because, as I said, it's not close to San Diego. I'd rather just stay somewhere in San Diego that's closer to the things I'd want to go to there. So that is the situation. By the way, their spa sucks. Their spa, they're constantly trying to cheat you. Two different times they tried to cheat me at that spa. And both times I had a comp in some way, but that doesn't justify it. Because they were they were still getting paid the same thing. They were just getting paid by the casino instead of from me. But they were still getting paid. And they tried to cheat me two different times. And not, not related to the other. Like they didn't even remember that I had been cheated the previous time. They're just very shady over there. So I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of Harris Rincon. But if you want to play in Southern California and earn tier credits or have your status that you've already earned of like diamond and seven star matter, then that's the place to go. I believe the free buffet that they gave twice a day for seven stars has also been done away with, which sucks too. Cause you used to be able to go twice a day to that buffet for free. So when I would go there to earn tier credits, at least I got to eat for free. I just, I got sick of the buffet, but I just, got, I, I couldn't resist, you know, I, I got a free buffet. It wasn't a good buffet. It wasn't a bad buffet. It's kind of an okay buffet. I'm not really a buffet fan, but I, I had to. You know, it was a free buffet. I'd be there a number of days. Sometimes I'd eat other things, but usually only if I had a food comp. Otherwise, I would just uh, stick to the buffet because it was free, and it was really hard to bring myself to pay for any food if I had this free buffet, which wasn't bad. I just figured. There's a number of things at the buffet, and I can eat different things so I won't get that sick of it. And how do you bring yourself to go pay for food in a hotel if this buffet with so many different types of food are being offered for free? And you can do this twice a day. How can you bring yourself to actually pay for food? You tell me. You tell me. Well, that's it. We don't have any other topics tonight. We had a lot, though. We had a lot of topics, didn't we? Covered a lot of things. I think we had like 15, 16 topics. I lost count. 
I don't care. But thank you for listening. It's only been six days since we were last on, and it'll probably be six days until we are on again. I'm planning for our next show to be on Saturday night, the 29th of February. That's tentative. It's possible it could be on Friday. It's possible it could be on Sunday again. But it'll be sometime next weekend. It will not be Thursday. It will not be before Thursday. It probably won't be after Sunday. Check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for information of when the show will be. Or if I'm not updating it, just text me 775-372-8355 and I will tell you this information. And I'll try to remember to call up Wendover during the proper hours so we can make our prank call. And, you know, the World Series of Poker is going to supposedly release their full schedule by the end of this week. Supposedly, it will happen on Wednesday, but no guarantees. They didn't say Wednesday, but they keep releasing it on Wednesday, and they said before the end of the month, so that would mean Wednesday. So I have a feeling on Wednesday we're going to know the actual schedule. Then I will nail down what I'm going to play, and then I will open up the floodgates to where you can send me money to buy pieces of me in the World Series of Poker 2020. And I'll start ordering hats that you don't have to buy that I will send you. By the way, if you buy a piece of me in the World Series, uh, 100% you'll get a hat, I promise you. Unless it's like at the last minute and I'm out of them. But otherwise, that'll be priority one also. If you buy a piece of me in the World Series of 2020 or 2019, I guess. Before that, tough luck. But you'll probably get one anyway. Trying to come up with a number of hats to order. I don't want to over-order. I don't want to be left with my house overflowing with hats I don't need. But I also don't want to have a shortage of hats. So I think I'm going to try to err on the side of too many. Knowing that I'll probably be around for many more years on Poker Fraud Alert. And eventually I'll give them away. That's one area I'm not going to be cheap. At least not that cheap. Thank you for listening. You know you can find this in many apps many ways to listen whichever way you listen to poker fraud alert i appreciate it good night good afternoon good morning and most importantly shalom